Hi Scummers, Spamuel here. Just a bit of warning about this episode here. As you're all aware, I like to often say we are a G plus podcast. But in this particular episode, I make a few points that get me a little bit excited. And I do mention a few words I'm not likely usual to say during an episode of the podcast. So please do take that into account if you are going to be listening to this around any juves. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Underhive Lawkeepers podcast, the number one Necromunda law podcast produced entirely to avoid our families. As always, I am Spamiel, and to my right, the mineral mining manvent himself, Nathan. G'day, mate. What's going on? Oh, not much, buddy. Mineral mining. I thought you'd Explain. like that. Explain. Yeah, well, I was... What's that have to do with anything? Well, this may shock you. And, you know, we're going on a tangent already. We've been in the episode for 11 seconds. Uh, there's, there's a lot of squats in this episode. And oh. you're actually, in comparison to me, quite short. So in my mind, <laughs> you're like a tiny goateed squat. Uh-huh. And you dig holes, literally for a job. You dig holes yeah, for I a dig job. Holes, yep. Yep, that's, so that, that makes sense. It's, if, uh, if I simplify the complexities of your actual real life job down to three words, it is manvent dig hole. So middle yeah. mining. Yes, yeah. I get it. Uh, probably your best one to date. Somehow um, it's made me the angriest though. So congratulations. <laughs> well done. No, How I, are you, I, my brother? What's I, going on with you? I could shock you and be like, today we're actually not doing episode three of uh, the Aranthian Succession. We're actually doing the Van Sar episode. But someone hasn't given me the information back. No, they haven't, have they? And no. I know you're too enthralled with that previous episode to create something new. So you're just going to have to wait for me when I, uh, when I decide I want to feel generous towards you. Well, go ahead and ask that question you just asked me again. So, how am I? I was good. I was good, <laughs> and then I jumped on to start recording this episode. But this is our first episode of 2024. We've just come out of the festive period. Nath, Christmas, New Year's, how was it? Yeah, it was a blast. I had, um, had a fantastic time. Um, it was... Um, the first Christmas and New Year with my little boy. So that was uh, quite exciting. Excellent. And Christmas, did we get any hobby necromunda at all or was it just boring regular people presents? No, I managed to uh, avoid the regular people presents, so no sucks and jocks this year, uh, which is a, a blessing because normally I get the, the, the ones from the op shop. So... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, no, I got, I didn't get any Necromunda, but I got something else that has completely sunk its teeth into me. I managed to get a, puppy. a 
a puppy. <laughs> it's almost as big as a puppy. I've got a Warlord Titan for Legions Imperialis. Oh. Yes. That's yes. the same size as our collective children. Yeah, exactly. It is an absolute beast, and I have been uh, completely taken by this game, uh, Legions Imperialis. It is a fantastic game. I've played, at this stage, two games of it, and just using some old epic models that myself and Steve were able to wrangle up and had a brilliant brilliant time playing that game so if if you're not on it i know we are doing a necromunda podcast but if you're not on it definitely dip your toes into the legions imperialis i have like i'm pretty sure i have a box of reaver titans here from adeptus titanicus and yeah right oh okay do yourself up a little princeps of reavers and go stomp out the uh the Rebellion of Lady Credo, eh? No, because I think they're the same size as Lady Credo. She <laughs> she will win. She will win. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, that was me. How was your uh, how was your festive season? How was your Christmas? Um, yeah, good. Much the same. You know what it's like. You have kids. It's just family stuff. And I actually did manage to luck out, and I got some specifically Necromunda hobby. Oh, cool. Um, one of the gifts I actually got for Christmas was a box of Orlock Arms Masters and Wreckers. So that's yeah, fun. I think they'll be joining up with the Orlock gang I started last year at some point, or they'll just get turned into squats that, once again, I will never paint. Maybe this book might inspire you to uh, want to paint your squats, eh? No, no, I refuse to be bullied. I will. I will not be bullied by. Uh, bullied by your own drive by, and focus. By my own drive and determination and enjoyment <laughs> of my hobby. Yeah, radio. Okay, so uh, good festive season all round. Good holiday. Good break yes. time. Yes. Excellent stuff. Well, you've been uh, busy outside of the festive season, though, haven't you? You've uh, been philandering about on other podcasts. <laughs> I don't. I'm not upset. I'm just uh, concerned, that's all. Uh, only one, I swear it'll never happen again. <laughs> but yes, I was invited along to record an episode with Chris and Steve over at Sum City Radio. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. And it was really difficult to keep it a secret. Uh, the boys sort of wrote my segment in as a bit of a surprise for the audience. I absolutely loved it and yeah uh this is a really awkward time to tell you that i'm actually podcast breaking up with you and i'm i'm leaving you for another co-host that's fine i was never really into this anyway so it's all good (laughs) (laughs) but yes if anyone hasn't listened to that episode yet i can't imagine that we have many listeners who haven't heard of some city radio get over there have a listen it was yeah Everything Chris and Steve do is just fantastic. And that episode, I like to think a little bit more so than everything else because it's really showing just how much they're going to be putting into it over this next year. It's it's very cool. Yeah, well, I had a listen myself and I, I really enjoyed it. I blanked out your bits just purely yeah. due to jealousy. But, um, yeah, no, it was a fantastic episode and really enjoyed it. So 
Yeah, no, brilliant. Any any other exciting things happening to you? Uh, well, okay. So I mentioned, I don't know, like a minute ago that I refuse to be bullied. <laughs> okay. It turns out I'm actually very easy to bully. Um, a little while ago, I had gone into a local gaming store here. Uh, I, was, I was genuinely going to buy paint. I had a voucher for the store and thought, you know what? Nice cruisy afternoon. Me and Goblin Juve drove in and I've walked in, gone to the paint section and the little man has wandered straight over to the kill team section, picked up a box, walked over to me and said, Daddy, I want this one. These are my favourites. And, you know, I laughed and had a look at the box. And so now I own a box of the bloodied kill team and I think I play kill team now. Uh, which is actually a little bit ironic. One, because uh, an almost three-year-old bullied me into buying hobby. Uh, that's what I told my wife anyway. Um, very but, believable. <laughs> very believable. believable. Yeah. And on top of that, I had actually just recently started listening to a Kill Team podcast called Once Upon a Kill Team. And I've been chatting with one of the co-hosts there, Sean, He's an awesome dude. The podcast is fantastic. It is all about narrative play and narrative campaigns within the Kill Team setting. They are just awesome. If Please, if someone out there is thinking about sort of getting into some more narrative play, give them a listen. Follow them on your preferred podcast platform because it is absolutely brilliant. Shout out to the boys for just absolutely hammering home top-tier content every episode. Yeah, I've listened to a few myself, and I love it. it it's it's right up my alley in terms of the fact that it's so lore-driven and it makes you feel like you're immersing yourself in something rather than just smashing some dice into a table. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic episodes and fantastic uh, podcast, so get onto it if you haven't already. Well, we have a pretty decent episode in front of us here, but if you do enjoy the show and you are interested in supporting the podcast, please shoot over to patreon.com forward slash the Underhive Lawkeepers podcast. Starting in February, there will be a Patreon exclusive episode each month, as well as competitions, polls on episodes, and other bonus content. If you are looking for another way to support us, get onto our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and now YouTube. A like and subscribe helps us grow and get our particular brand of Necromunda law out into the world. All of the links will, of course, be available in the show notes. And please don't forget to give us a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. Yeah, those, those five-star reviews really help us to get found organically through um, whatever whatever platform people are using. So those, those are a major, major help, and hopefully it's just a couple of clicks of a button for you guys. We can't just rely on me yelling at people in various internet forums, hey, listen to my podcast. Yeah, I got kicked off the street the other day for that. <laughs> it, it wasn't good. <laughs> also, uh, mentioning our Patreon, just a, a shout-out to our new Patreon members. We have Luke. Craig, Ryan, Kieran, Alex, Barks, and the mighty Overlord Bleak. Thanks for all your support. Now, we have one more thing 
before we get into the episode. And that is a segment I'm rather swiftly coming to hate. It's called Spamuel Corrections. Cue the corrections music. And Nathan, this episode, we have three. Three? Other is, is that a PB? I, I think it's up there, yeah. <laughs> we have three kind of bank corrections to make. Oh, right. Oh, dear. Um, so the first one actually goes to me. Yep. And I incorrectly mentioned, do you remember when the prophet showed up at the Cinderac Crater? And yes. I said he had the, the bones on the stick. And I kept saying, oh, yeah, I think it's the bones of the arch prophet of the redemption. Well, yeah. apparently I said the wrong word repeatedly, as was pointed out to me. Uh, once again, with great gusto by several listeners. Thanks, guys. It Sounds actually, too nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually the arch zealot of the redemption, not the arch prophet. Uh, so oh, right. Yes. Apparently, yes. I said arch prophet of the redemption like 11 times. So people, yeah. Yeah. You did say it. And I, I did want to correct you, but, it, you know, we, we were having a good flow. So I just thought I'd let it fly. Yeah. I believe. Because I knew that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, you <laughs> did. You, you, knew, you knew everything about that artwork except. The willingness to point out that I was wrong. No, I don't want to bring you down, mate. I'm yeah. here for you. Anyway, well, what was your other two? Enough, the second one was also for me. Oh, um, sure this is a shout out to Axon Hatma, uh, one of those great Goliath characters we mentioned last episode. Axon Hammer is the leader of the Iron Tree Reavers. Uh, several times I actually mentioned that he was the leader of a group known as the Knuckle Boys. The Knuckle Boys were those gladiator scum types that were following around my man Durgan Killfist. So you actually did agree with me at one point. You're like, oh, yeah, Knuckle Boys. Uh, but I was the one who made the incorrect statement. So unfortunately, that's like two for me and like technically half for you. Um, no, no, I'm, I'll, I'll be the scabs of the Cal Jericho with this one. I'll hide in the background. It's fine. Yeah. It's two for me so far. <laughs> yeah, two for you, buddy. And um, our third, uh, our third is one that it was said by someone that the scrutinators uh, of the enforcers were actually all psychers. This was incorrect. And... They're actually a type of, it's a, it's a rank, they're a type of detective. They're not psychics. Oh, uh, right. So Valen was actually a bit of an anomaly because she wasn't a psyker, she was a psychic null or a blank. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there were those three corrections from last episode. So can I just clarify something here? So it was said by somebody that they're all psychers. Who was that? Was that me or...? I I don't have that information in my notes here. Oh, it must have been somebody else who joined the show. Yeah, because it wasn't me. <laughs> and if it's not you, right, we're going to need a scrutinator to work this out. <laughs> who did it, yes, Sam? All three of the corrections from last episode were Bamuel corrections. Oh. So 
thank you to the multiple listeners who pointed out my minor mistakes. Um, so we're the, we're the ones setting the cannon, mate. We can't we can't have those kind of mistakes. Yeah. So like, look, I'm I'm happy to take you through a bit of coaching and training to just help you <laughs> refine your process because I don't seem to get many of these corrections. So. Yeah. I'll 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 guide you by the hand through this yeah. episode if need be. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was three corrections this episode for me, and yeah. there were three less than that for Nathan. I, I'm gonna go out there and and this is the guiding bit. We don't need to say three less than that. It, we can just call it zero. We just shorten the words. We'll make it a little bit more succinct. We don't have to worry about trying to correct the words. There you go, buddy. So three zero. Yeah, it was, it you're was welcome. Yeah. <laughs> now, do we want to get into the episode proper? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, it's been do you need bit. me to? Do you need me to guide you through this bit? I will quit this podcast <laughs> so quick. <laughs> Again, I'll give you a pointer there. We don't want to quit, <laughs> mate. That's that's one of the corrections I can bring in straight away for you. Well, not we, the option. we don't want to uh, quit, no. Let's Ooh. get into what's going on here. So the events of the last book so far. Why don't you start us off with that one? Yes, so we have the mighty zealot appear. Oh, no, wait, sorry, prophet. We have the prophet appear. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> the prophet appears, who's probably the most enigmatic character that we have appearing in Necromunda at the moment. And listening back to what we spoke about, I guess there's there's not a great deal of info, particularly about where he's come from, but in terms of the the nature of who he is and the the drive and the force that he has become on Necromunda is amazing, and that's his his will is what leads then to the pilgrimage to Temnos and the absolute uh, shit show that goes down at Temnos. I know it's a swear, but it needed to be said. Uh, there is no better description for <laughs> it. Really, it, it is. A, it is an absolute monstrosity what happens at Temnos, and then obviously from there, we we have quite a few events generate. Um, but I think. I think Temnos, the artwork really showed in that book, in, in the Vault of Temnos, how exactly what was going on in terms of the, the scale and and exactly what was happening to the individuals. But the, the enforcers getting absolutely munted there as well. And the roving redemption gangs. Yeah. And all this stuff we were seeing, so much of the artwork was, you know, uh, hives being attacked or temples or, you know, fortresses and that sort of thing. It, you almost seem to forget that the sheer scale of bloodshed that was happening out in the wastes, not, mm. not just from, you know, the constant nomad attacks or roving gangs of, you know, ash-waste renegades and, you know, the, the, the type of degenerates that, and the brigands and bandits, but just different religious groups coming to each other at crossroads and being like, well, one of us is wrong. Yeah. And yeah, it's the, the, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It all goes back to the prophet. And 
from that, we also have the attacks on Lady Hera. Where remember those very heavily armed Cordor? Yeah. Into her chambers a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, the type of weapons they were using. So that attack on Hera is a big thing. So yeah, you have those direct attacks against Hera, but there's also the attacks on her power base, I guess, which is really important, and mm. that is destabilizing and undermining her, undermining High Primus, and it, it it when I guess the the pilgrimage or the crusade, as I was referring to it, joined together with Cordor, it really scuppers whatever whatever sort of semblance of control she was trying to create. And I, I guess another thing that needs to be mentioned is that she she destabilizes herself a little bit as well in the sense that a little bit she, well you're right it's more than a little bit she by destroying the houses around her their their hierarchy um, she's basically decimated whatever kind of support she's going to be able to draw on that is valuable support not just a couple of numpties or a couple of um dummy dum-dums leading the houses who are then <laughs> capable, who are basically capable of providing her the kind of uh, support and aid that she needs during this time. Uh, I guess the other one, the, the big thing from the book, though, was the resurrection of Ozostium. Ozzy. Ozzy, I know. <laughs> it's, it's Ozzy. I tried one more time, Ozostium, but it doesn't roll off the tongue for me, so Ozzy. So the I resurrection. Love the fact you say it's a big thing. Where he's like, yeah, he's like a twelve foot tall. Yeah. We're pretty sure Necron human hybrid. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm still very much sold on my idea. I will say, and this is not a correction. This is more sort of like a afterthought. I'll call it. Is that looking at that Necron symbol again? It has still has the seven points on it. You've just got to be quite. Uh, liberal in your idea of what you think the the points of a star would look like that's all i'll say about the matter but anyway so big, big papa, i still reckon he's a necron yeah it's like oh i still do but big papa ozzy has come back and he is we find out that he is the 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 master of both credo and the prophet so it is uh very interesting that He's keeping the two elements separate. That is, it, it, it's a grey area for me because are they separate? It, it or are they was not separate? separate. They it was they were yeah. separate. Yeah. But then from that point, now they've been united not only mm. in in sort of leadership but now in action. And oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that adds on to that, where you then have. Credo, the group we call Credo's army, being unleashed. Those strange white-cloaked armies. Remember, yeah. they just started popping up from underground, like the the world's worst game of whack-a-mole, where, <laughs> where the just, mole has arc rifles and yeah. heavy armor. <laughs> yeah, and apparently can just go one-on-one -on -one with the biggest, baddest meatnecks on the planet and be absolutely fine with it. Yeah, and. Yeah. It, it is interesting, though, Sam, just to, sorry to interject here, but we, we don't get a lot more information about Credo's army, um, especially in Vaults of Temenos. 
which I thought we would get a little bit more. We'd, we'd sort of get a bit more of a delve into and a bit more of a an understanding of exactly what they are. It definitely feels like the veil it doesn't want to be lifted just yet. They they are definitely keeping their cards close to the chest to say. Well, I think a lot of it is due to the fact of the possibility of the particular individual showing up as a gang maybe this year i would uh, love that i, I would, would love it too but make sure there's some uh house aranthus aligned algrins in there if, uh, <laughs> if you're still designing the gang but i also think it's because they aren't necessarily completely written out yet so mm. i really think when we get another campaign series from games workshop we will see a hell of a lot more um hell not even just a campaign book the next book of or house of or whatever book we get especially once we start talking about the through the timeline and start getting into the meat of the episode we are going to see why i believe these white robed armies are going to be such a big part because mm. there's just so much there about them already in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, and, this oh. this this last book and this ep- last episode there there's a lot happens in this. Um, yes. I I correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would dare say not a lot of loose ends get tied off. Uh, <laughs> There's like three tied off. Uh, so there's still, and I've just got my list of loose ends here. There's still 84 loose ends <laughs> from the first book. Um, weirdly enough, 48 from the second book. Yeah. And um, literally just the stuff we've spoken about so far, including me playing Kill Team and this weird thing about Knuckle Boys. Uh, there's still another 614 loose ends by the end of this book. Um <laughs> No, and it's it's classic Games Workshop. They're like, oh, he tell you what, we're going to give you one answer. But the next statement proves that the answer we've just given you is a complete lie, and yeah. here's a bunch more questions that you will never know the answers to. Yeah, Gang idea. Go, go, go. <laughs> that is very true. For the ultimate enablers of gang idea. Old yeah. Games Workshop. Yeah. But, yeah, look, I, I, I don't want to spoil the episode, but uh, if you are listening to this episode, you're like, oh, we're going to find out what happens to this person and that person and, no. and this particular. No, this is, uh, I, this is the beginning of something else for Necromunda. This is not the, the end of the Arantian succession. So, no, no. Yeah. You, you find out exactly what happened to three characters in this book. Yeah. And that's it. And yep. that's it. Uh, yep. Anyway, let's let's right. keep anyway. working through our wrap up. We were already going a little bit off it. Cal Jericho and Scabs took a little bit of a holiday out to Hive Primus, and they kidnapped Ronti. They dad napped Ronti. They corpse snapped Ronti. He's not dead. Ah, oh, they popsicle napped Ronti. Yeah, he's frozen in stasis. Yeah. They popsicle napped him uh, under the command of Lady Credo. Yeah, well, I, 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 I will correct you there. I don't think it's under the command of Credo. It's at her request. Uh, I don't see Cal Jericho being under her command. 
I think he's uh, a little bit too yeah. much of a he's too much of a rogue element to be under the command of anybody. Oh god, yeah. I know it's semantics, no, but no, it's early no. in the episode, so I'm happy to have these discussions with you. I I agree one hundred percent. He has under the request of Lady Credo popsicle napped Ronty, and I don't think he is going to follow whatever plan she had. I yeah. think I think he's yeah, he's a wild card. Yeah. 100%. And um I don't think she took into account just how wild card Cal Jericho can be. Hundred <laughs> percent on that one, and that's uh, it's sort of the same failings that she had with uh, Jangar as well. Ah, the old gun fist. <laughs> She's um, like, nah, he's he's a loyal subject. No, he's not. Oh, it's the last part of our wrap up is the that lady Hera, Lord Hera, Lord Helmore gets wounded. And is shot with Scab's plasma gun in the back. And she certainly feels it enough that she needs to bolt away from the fight between her and Cal. So that's left her in a not only a a vulnerable position in, in the larger, grander sense of Necromunda, but also physically. This is the first time we see her get actually a bit messed up. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out for her. And it took a plasma gun to do it. Remember when she killed a dozen of her siblings and she was yeah. like, all right, time for brunch. Yeah. This yeah. time she gets, she gets shot in the back with a freaking plasma gun yeah. by half rat skin, half mutie, half down hive scab. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, okay, give me five minutes and mm. we'll go again. And, you know, Cal and scab scarper off with Ronty. And she's left there holding the bag, but on their way out, Gavs forgot to close the door. That is the critical bit of information, isn't it? <laughs> that is the number one. Old Scabs doing what Scabs does best. Just forgetting something. Well, on that note, how about we get into the episode? The meat and potatoes, absolutely. Lady Hera is forced to flee from the spire of Hive Primus as the followers of the Prophet invade the Great Hive City. Among the unwashed hordes are agents of the Aranthian Aussie, 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 paving the way for their overlord's ascension to the throne of Necromunda. As the power of Aranthus returns, both clan and noble houses bow down before their new master. It is a very small read, but my lord, there is a lot to unpack from what we read in this. Well, it's it understates just how dangerous it is for her right now. She's literally forced to flee as this mixture of redemptionists and, you know, the the downtrodden, the the below the working class, that that prisoner with job class have yeah. forced their way into her domains. And she's clutching the knot of plasma burns at her side. And, you know, it's to the point of one of her menials rushes over to actually help her. And she rips her sword up, threatening to kill him. If he touches her, this oh. is 
This is a servant that would be might maybe not known to her, but she would at least possibly recognize him as one of her servants. Like, it's a bad day in Hera town. So there's a lot going on for Hera, as mentioned, and the, the threat to her personally and where her mental state must be with the whole world collapsing around her is terrible. But it needs to be shown that that the high primus is under attack and it's not it's not in this and we talked about it in the previous episode it's not in this traditional method of attack it is just a swarm of people just invading the hive just untold numbers and drawing more and more workers with them and drawing more and more to their cause and within that as we say there's age, agents of the Aranthians within mixed within that rabble but I guess for here, we, we talk about the fact that High Primus is under direct threat. But for Hera, they reach the Imperial Palace. And that is just unheard of. You know, to have... It must be terrifying for them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, they, don't get me wrong, the, the, the nobles kind of deserve what they get. And you, you need to just understand the fact that the, the Imperial Palace... So this is the, the pinnacle of the Imperium's rule on the planet other than the Imperial Fists. This would show the Minotaurum and all other Imperial or Imperium representatives exactly how destabilised and how weakened House Helmore has become. Yes. So these dreams of power that she would have had of, you know, being the remembered name and everybody else forgetting Gerontius, all of that's just... A, a distant memory now. I, I personally think that no matter what happens, there's no recovery for her here. There is no re-establishing of Hera as the dominant and possibly not even re-establishing the Helmore name as the dominant name or the Imperial House upon Necromunda. And this is further exemplified by the fact that she gets attacked by brats. Yes, of she does. And these naughty little no-goods are wearing the carnival mask of Inus Catalyst. So this is this is where the Aranthian agents have already embedded themselves within these houses and they've said, go take down the Helmors. They, they're, they're simply just a carcass now. You just need to put one final nail in their coffin. And it's it's truly... Uh, a, a, I guess a, a high, a low watermark for Hera that she needs to understand that even house catalysts are coming after her and sending brats of all things as well. Not sending murder cyborgs or anything, just brats. I, I don't even think it was that anyone sent them. I just think, because the nobles, these last two books have been, let's, let's be honest, they've been going proper mental. And the... The brats here, so there's this little section from the, page eight of the Ruins of Yardland, and it is the corridor cleared before Hera, and the first of the brats saw her, pointing in her direction with his stiletto sword. Never one to back down from a fight, the daughter of Lord Helmore stepped out to meet the invaders. As she did, she crunched a stim capsule between her teeth instantly feeling the drug wash away the burning pain in her side. Traitors, she spat at them. 
I'll pave the floor of my palace with the bones of your families, so with each step I might remember how I reduced your house to ashes. Your time is done, the brat yelled back. House Helmore dies, and he returns to save us all. Like, oh, I don't <laughs> think they've been sent. I think these nut jobs are part of the mob, or they've, oh. they've, they've seen it and gone, these they're are drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, right. The Kool Aid. They're part yeah. of this, and they're saying, "Oh, we can get into the Imperial Palace. Oh. We can get to the enemy." Oh. And it's it's this section here that once again reiterates what we talked about at the end of last episode about that chaos paint that just seems to oh. be part of this. Yep. There was something manic in the brat's voice, something that for a moment gave her a pause. Could she be wrong? Could there be more at work here than betrayal and noble ambition? These that is true. Yeah. Are not in their right minds. We know that. Yeah. And I think this is a mixture of everything we've spoken about. Somnus, the cicatrix maledictum, mm. um, the you know the the prophet, the the resurrection of Ozzyaranthus. They're yeah. all working together to drive whatever force this is. Mm. And yeah, it's it is a bad day. I have a question for you. Then, slightly sort of askew to what we're talking about. Do you think this force is? For or against the Imperium? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Great answer. Yeah. Yes. Um, I believe they are for the Imperium Uh until they are not. I believe they are so completely enthralled by their master, this, you know, this, uh, this new noble... Sorry, this returned noble of House Aranthus, who has tainted their minds, that at the moment they're all being told, we will seize Necromunda for House Aranthus. House Aranthus will lead us into this glorious future. Yeah. Later on, they will be told this glorious future also includes seceding from the Imperium and galactic civil war. Uh, you know... I, I I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's going to happen straight away. This is a snowball. Okay, but Necromunda itself, as a single singular entity, would not be able to secede, secede itself from the Imperium without some significant aid or support. So, how? how that's why I, I kind of everything they do is to completely destroy the Helmore name and the yep. house. Yep, which instinctively makes me think they're trying to destroy the Imperial House, which they are. They're, it is the Imperial House, but the notion of a singular and defined, like, defined rule set by the Imperium in the format of the Imperial House. Destabilise right, so, that. Yeah, we are going to go full conspiracy theorists here, and I believe, in fact, it was something I believe you mentioned last episode where... The Aranthans refer to Helmore as Helmea. Helmea, yep, yep. So 
I believe it is, as anyone who's listened to our last episode knows, I believe that Azostium is an Iron Lord and a scion of House Aranthus amalgamated into a single yep. individual. And I believe yes. the brothers and sisters that we're looking for are quite possibly the same, uh, which is one of the reasons why I believe Lady Hera had the Escher Seas Hive Mortis. Now... Right, oh, had, right, yeah. Because yeah. that was their stronghold, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, remember it was like, oh, they seized it for Lady Credo because... Um, oh. And I just said, I believe Lady Hera. Hera. Yeah. Uh, they, it was her <laughs> ancestral line. No, it's yeah, yeah. It was the traditional home of House Aranthus. So I believe that the way for them to possibly fight the Imperium would be with the aid of either Necrons or other members of the Araneus continuity who have somehow survived since the Heresy, possibly via the travel of those warp gates. Mate, it, it, you are relying on so many things to sit right. I'm not, I'm not undermining your theory whatsoever, but you're relying on so many things to sit right and make it happen. Yep. And I say this not because I don't think it's, in, it's possible to happen, but I think the, the placement of Necromunda within the galaxy, it is so dangerously close to Terra that if the Imperium decides it wants to raise its little finger and set an example, then they it's it's nothing for them to get to Necromunda and truly stomp face. Okay, where are they going to get the troops from? So this is now turned into 40k tactics uh, <laughs> with Fabula and Nath. That's right, we're talking genuine troop movements in the 41st <laughs> millennium. Um, but seriously, right now, where do they get the troops from? The Cicatrix Maledictum has cut the galaxy in half. Yeah. All right? You are having trouble communicating within your solar system, let alone other systems or sectors. Or, mm. you know, okay, pick up the phone on Terra, call Baal, go for it. Oh, wait. Where are you uh, getting the troops from? Line's busy, mate. Yeah. Line is <laughs> definitely busy because it goes through a literal hell dimension to get there. Um, there's no one coming. They no see this is where I would this is where I differ with you. If this were to happen to one of the pinnacle planets within the Imperium, you would find the troops. You would find something, and if that something is an exterminatus, then that's what you would use. You cannot have this happen to one of the jewels in the crown of the Imperium. It, it's just unthought of, unheard of. Uh, well. You know what? You're absolutely right. So do you think there could be, I don't know, cultist uprisings on... Let me just pick a planet at random. Terra? No, I don't. not on Terra, no. Okay, so do you want to talk about the unthinkable war which started in M42 when the Imperium discovered that a pauper prince gene-stealer cult was active underneath the Imperial Palace? Right. Did they kill them all? They sure as hell tried. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is a bad time for the Imperium. Uh -huh. This is the perfect time for everyone, absolutely everyone who has issue with the Imperium to attack them, especially in the Segmentum Solar. Like, it doesn't matter if, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're on Mars right now. 
Life ain't good. Like, everyone is fighting. The galaxy has literally been torn in half. And Necromunda is still far enough away that the line is busy. You can't, you can't just pick up the phone and say, hey, man, shit just got real here. We need help. The Imperial Fists aren't there. The Adeptus Sororitas aren't there. The Adeptus Terror aren't there. I mean, so you, th- there, there you might think be the some. chapter house is completely empty? I reckon there's maybe uh, a squad. I wouldn't even say a company. They'd most likely either be on Inwit or the Phalanx or Terror or trying to put uh, down the number of uprisings and, you know, all that sort of stuff there. Like, Terror is currently having Chaos Cult and Gene Steeler Cult uprisings. Terror. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just, I, I struggle to see the long game here because the Imperium will recover. The, the the Imperium will recover. It's just it always does, always will. And when it comes back, it'll come back with a proper iron fist. It 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 will. I want to disagree with you there. The Imperium does not actually recover. It might it might be a little better than its worst point, but I don't think it ever recovers. Yeah, okay, okay. Fair enough, I'll take that on yeah. board. But I, I just think I, I'm struggling to see the, the long game for the Aranthians here. I, I think that they are going to kick over a hornet's nest. Absolutely they are. Yeah. Absolutely. You know who else kicked over a hornet's nest? The Tau Empire. They had a little thing, was it the Damocles Crusade? <laughs> yeah, um, and then, you know, they the Tau still kept a bunch of planets then formed the Farsight Enclaves. Uh, shout out to the actual bad guys of Warhammer 40,000, the Tau. Absolutely, um, yes. But, yeah, like, people can kick up, you know, as much dirt into the Imperium's face as they want. The Imperium has war on too many fronts. If they could focus their forces, the Eye of Terror would have been conquered in, like, 16 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I can't go for that 15-minute record. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, no. But they, they literally would have just been like, all right, circle it. They circle the Eye of Terror. Now everyone just drive forward. And when you see something, you just exterminate us. Exterminate us. Oh, hey, yeah, right. it's, a, it's a planet literally full of beautiful puppies and perfect, you know, capability to house humanity. You know what we should do? What's that? Exterminate us. Exterminate us. Yes. Yeah. Those puppies right. are actually demons. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's what i'm saying like i get you i get yeah. you that what i'm saying there is so much that has to happen for it to be true um oh. but if i'm even one percent correct in that like okay yeah it's just it, it, for me it's the attack on that on Helmore or Helmaya is sounds very personal and very um driven by a great um, slight or something that has been done to this uh, to to Aussie, but the the overarching theme is that you're still attacking the the sanctioned imperial house of Necromunda, yes. which is <clears throat> dangerous. Like you can go after the Helmors, go go for your life, because there will always be another imperial house, but well, you can't attack the Helmors because you're attacking the imperial house. 
Well, we can move away from it. I'll, I'll just that, that, that's the overarching. No, yeah. I I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um. I there, there's a there's a lot more to this than we're well, than we're learning in this book and that last, you know, section of the last book. There's so much more to it. In fact, I want to talk about that attack on the Imperial House and the actual escape that Lady Hera made. Now. Uh, there's an amazing part here, actually, in the reading. Now, I really want to read this section to you because it's a little bit of a mic drop moment. So, it talks about, uh, on about page 10 of The Ruins of Yardlin, it's called The Flight from Primus. And... It talks about how everything we've really talked about so far with the great darkness, the pilgrimage, the resurrection of Azostium, and then the, the Aranthian army, the, the, re, the rebellious types, those rebel lords, these mercenary groups were coming up, and just all the attacks that they're actually making on the Imperial House. In fact, it was actually eased sort of moving from Helmore to Aranthus by the Makeda Viritas and the Makeda Horologist, the guilds of oaths and cycles respectively. They had actually laid out the legal claims of House Aranthus to become the Imperial House of Necromunda, albeit under the careful supervision of Lady Credo. So whether these guilders are actually working because they think it's the right thing or they've got a crazy, possibly member of the Blades with a power sword to their spinal columns saying, <laughs> how about you uh, fix these forms up for us? Yeah, yeah uh, look, I, I, I think having that legal claim is important, which when you do mention that sort of means that they want to be recognised by the Imperium as well. They don't just want to sit there and say, we're we're just part of now Necromunda independently. We are we are part of the Imperium, but I still don't I still don't believe they are good for the Imperium. I will Absolutely. say I will say one thing though. Um, when you're talking about uh, the merchants and so forth, I will say one thing. We do get uh, a mention of a caryatid. You son section. of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is exactly what I was going to read, and you've ruined it. You've stolen it from me. Good. Um, read it. Yeah. Read it, for I will be vindicated. <laughs> Former allies like Lord Abaketh, the Master of Merchants, Lord of the Guilders in High Primus, actively rallied the Makaters against House Holmore, while Gerontus's faithful caryatid had vanished from the imperial suites of the inner palace for the first time in living memory. You all, you all mocked me <laughs> when I said it. You all questioned if I was, you know, drinking. You all questioned what I was drinking. You all said, Samuel, the caryatids aren't involved. Stop saying the word caryatid. 
I often say we are a G plus podcast. <laughs> but scummers, in this particular case, I fucking told you. <laughs> That's a big swear word. <laughs> I maybe maybe he's gone off to get help. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Sticks flew off and came back. I was going to say this place of white robe general. Yes, I understand that. Ronty had multiple caryatids. We know of Blinky, hashtag Blinkygate. Shout out to Steve from uh, Some City Radio there. Now, we also know he had Rex. That yep. it, it specifically mentions he has multiple caryatids. He's obviously not that lucky. Ronty got shanked. But he survived. He got shanked by a murder cyborg and survived. There's a little bit of luck going on there. I will not have you steal this moment from me. <laughs> I'm just All saying. Right. He's flown off to uh, the, the chapter house of the Imperial Fists and he's going to be looked after, get Gerontius looked after by the best apothecaries. Firstly, boo. Boo, yes. We have, we've talked enough about this. All right. Uh, Fair. I've done effectively this entire podcast to read what you just stole from me. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. But if I die on this hill right now, I want you to know one thing. And this is a quote from, funnily enough, Malal's favoured son, Conrad Kurz. Death is nothing compared to vindication. <laughs> You're drinking your own Kool-Aid now, Sam. <laughs> You've gone down a path nobody will follow. Don't care. Don't you finish care. this. You finish this. Go. Finish this. Take us to the next point. Right, I will do. So the, the last thing I just want to say about this, and it's directly from the book, it's pretty much the first sentence you read. If the great darkness had brought Necromunda to its knees, then it was the pilgrimage and the prophet that broke it. What fragile order Hera had been able to achieve in the aftermath of her father's incapacitation and betrayal of House Escher and House Orlok was shattered by the return of Ozistium. Ozzy. It's, it's Ozzy. It is Ozzy, because <laughs> I butcher the pronunciation each time. But that, to me is a beautiful summation of our first reading point that Necromunda is totally at its knees and is in dire need of some sort of salvation. And that salvation needs to be leadership. Anywho. Leadership from Karyatids. <laughs> Queen Adina and the newly risen over-tyrant Janga are forced into an uneasy truce as they contemplate the return of an ancient power on Necromunda and just what it might mean for their clans, contracts, and people. It's nothing like being conned into, you know, attempting to destroy not only your enemy, but you're also your own clan uh, by a woman under the control of, uh, you know, time-travelling, possibly Xenos hybrid robot man to really make you sit there and go... Maybe I goofed. 
<laughs> Are you talking about Adina at this point? I'm talking about both of them. Oh, right. Like, Credo We've, played them both real well. She did, like like a fiddle. We still haven't quite worked out exactly what Credo was able to hold over Adina as well. So hopefully we do reveal that in this episode. But this is, as I've mentioned earlier, this is the book of loose ends. So. <laughs> That could be that could be the next book release for next Monday. The book of loose ends, and it's yeah. just really open questions. It's like, yeah. what flavor is corpse starch? Yeah. What do you? What? I don't exactly. want to think about that. What's the viscosity of gas when you try to take it? Is it thin? Is it thick? Hmm. I don't know. Is, but, it, uh, is it is it like a liquid liquid, or is it like custard? Or you take it like a Jager bomb. You have like a mage drink and then you have your gas, which you drop it into. And then you're like, boom, shoot both. And then you get that horrendous aftertaste. And then like three weeks later, when you smell Red Bulls, you're just like, oh, no, 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 please. Lady Credo worked both of these houses either to her goals or they may have worked against her goals, but she managed to come out on top. And... I then think Escher and Goliath have lost enough groups, basically, to the meat grinder of war, but also the Escher losing them to civil war, the Goliath then losing even more at Cinderac City. But both houses have lost gangs, have lost hives, have lost mm. huge sections of their clans to the Prophet. I was just about to say that. Yes. They've lost huge sections to Credo. Yeah. And now they're losing them to Azostium. Yeah, so it's this is not just about the casualties of war and war. We're talking about the fact that the pilgrimage was able to draw its claners out. And these are two particular clans that can't take the hit at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it, it's funny that it's not mentioned in this read that House uh, Orlok is in a particularly nasty state as well. They, they also are. They were there aiding, aiding House Escher. So they, they are another clan that probably needs to do a little bit of retrospect and see what exactly did we win here because they were never directly approached by Credo. They were never taken under her wing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They were simply allying themselves with, I guess, House Escher and, I guess, what they thought was most powerful. So... At least for Goliath and Escher, there seemed like a quite definitive and positive outcome. Escher were going to be become the dominant clan house or, you know, they were indebted or beholden to Credo, whereas Goliath were going to be the most dominant house due to Angry Goat and his claim to the Helmore position. Pull one out for Angry Goat. He uh, left Angry us Goat. He really did in the most brutal and abrupt way. But, gun fisting. <laughs> but um, I think what the the houses are going to suffer from now is the concept of returning back to the way they functioned and activated and behaved within old Necromunda. That old Necromunda doesn't exist. I don't think they want to go back to being ruled. So many of them have effectively lived free this last little while since this uprising has, has occurred. 
they've been able to do sort of what they want, how they want to go. But now Aranthus is coming back. Aranthus yeah. is going to put them back under that heel of you owe me tithes, you owe me production. That must be passed on to the Imperium. Right. And yeah, At the moment. Yeah, well, we've established that he wants that legal claim yeah. to the to the Imperial House. So yes, you are right. But I think I think they're going to struggle because it's not just going to be Necromunda of old. It's not just going to be slipped back into the same systems. The there's too much blood has been shed, too much disruption has been caused, and so much of the population, the working population, has is now missing, you know, embroiled within the pilgrimage. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like one thing I you said before, I sort of wanted to say something about. I don't think uh, Orlock necessarily joined to joined Aranthus or Credo, or they joined against the Imperial House. I think they a lot of them just joined up because they were in the wastes and the Goliath were causing a lot of problems in the wastes. I think a lot of those Orlocks wound up at Cinderac City because that's where their convoys were going. That's where they were heading. And unfortunately, it just got to a point where they're like, I think we fight for Credo now. Yeah, right. So they're, they're so far down the rabbit hole, they can't actually... They can't turn around. Yeah, okay. I, understand. I get what you're saying there. But yeah, for me... It's it's going to be. I'd love them. I, when I say them, I'd love Games Workshop to really explore the idea of weakened clan houses and what that reflects in the game sense. Um, so they, and and clearly, Escher and Goliath are probably the two most weakened. Well, bar sort of maybe Cordor, but Cordor is just a weird mixed bag of weakened yet still more powerful than it was before. I, I would love to see some way that this impact of this book and this this period of law affects the gangs in in the uh in the gaming sense i think uh i think we're going to see a lot of different ways to play or different views on playing coming from this campaign book because so much has changed from a lorical perspective and so much has changed from a setting perspective that if you, if you want to play narratively, if you want to move forward narratively, your games, your gangs, everything has to change. Like, yeah. play, play more crusading gangs. Play yeah. more, uh, like, just natural religious stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would, I would love to see adjustments to the game itself mm. representing that. Yeah. And yeah, I think that would be a great thing to see across across the board, but particularly for these two clans. The other thing when we mention these two clans, they have a very strong synergy. Goliath needs the chems. Escher needs the the raw materials to make their last guns and whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's sort of like having a huge brawl and then just going, okay, well we're back to training partners again. You know what I mean? It, it just seems, I, I guess it's the Necromundan way, isn't it? You have a, f- a few fisticuffs, a few blood noses here and there, and then you go back to working in next to the same cubicle. 
You know what I mean? So Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think no matter how this really goes, I think a lot of this is going back to uh what's the word I'm looking for? Business as usual. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's sort of I and that's one thing I would hate to, and that's why I keep mentioning about seeing seeing this reflective in the game. There's one thing I hate is that when you have these big major events and and you have these cataclysmic moments and then nothing derives of it. It's sort of all like, well, we just hit the reset button and it's all back to normal. I, mm. I, I would love to see this have some sort of bearing and impact. It, it would definitely have it in the law, but as I said earlier in the game. But I, I do feel like Games Workshop's moving away from that concept of, as well of going, okay, we've had a huge, you know, 13th Crusade or the 10th Crusade, whatever, uh, Black Crusade, sorry, but it didn't affect anything business as usual. They don't do that anymore, you know, and we can see that from even as recent as the release of 10th edition where they had a, um attack on a planet and the community got to decide whether or not the Tyranids or the, or the Imperium would win that battle. And then that becomes a, a hard point within the law and it becomes stuck. Do you know what I mean? So I'm hoping that is what we see within all of the Aranthian succession. We have some stuff that just drills it, locks it in place. No, that is now the new the new truth. That is the new new format of belief that we have. Oh, oh can you imagine like actively playing games knowing that it's going to affect real life. Oh, oh that man. would be crazy. That would be I crazy. Remember, I remember playing games that was at the 13th Black Crusade of Warhammer 40k years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, man. <sighs> but anyway, we have a Necromunda podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, the, the principle still applies. I think Games Workshop is still leaving the footprints of their their law like leaving the impact of their law onto the game um, yeah. and onto the, onto the actual background of the his and the history. And I just, I just would love to see the Iranian succession have that. And even if that means that weakens the Goliath and Escher gangs for a period of time, then so be it. It, it just makes it yeah, more, so and more it. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that ends my rant about GW. And I guess we can go into our next reading point. It wasn't even a rant. You were praising them. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't. No, it's just normal, a, a divergence from what I would normally be talking about. Uh, you were, you, it was your spamule imitation where everything <laughs> I talk about ends up with me yelling about something. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I was trying to be inspired. It's It didn't feel good. So, <laughs> anywho, on to the next point. Pilgrims, converts, faithful clanners, and nobles pour out of... Hive Temenos in their millions. After the great pilgrimage had drawn them to the ancient hive, it then cast them forth, the servants of the prophet, taking the true word of the redemption to all four corners of Necromunda, and with it the influence of the ancient Aranthian lord, Ozostium. Ozostium. Ozzy. Ozzy. You're just going to keep trying to pronounce his name every trying. single time. And every single time my you head just, against the wall. you're just going to get pissed off. <laughs> I've got to have a go. I have to. Just like the, the, the prophet would demand of me. Just have a go. Have a dip, Nathan. See how you go with it. <laughs> I can just imagine the prophet looking down and being like, 
You there, Hiver. Have a dip. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty common lingo on Necromunda. You back off, mate. I can only um, assume. But I think it's great. We're seeing, yeah, everyone has almost been sucked into that vortex that is Hive Temenos. And then, you know, Azostium comes up. He turns around to his followers and says, all right, every direction away from here, go. And they move out to spread his will and bring the rest of the planet under his heel. And it, it reminds me of, you see, the, uh, like the biblical plague of locusts. Yeah, right. Everything that they came across was devoured. Yeah. That's what this yeah. faith is doing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, that we're talking about them spreading out and basically spreading his word across Necromunda. What I want to know is, are those pilgrims that were brought in, are they returning back to their old lives or a semblance of their old lives? Or are they going off as yet more sort of crusaders slash pilgrims to just be, I don't know, prophets of of him, I guess, in a way, or preachers of his word across the planet? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I want to say that they will travel. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I like to think that they'd almost be like those, uh, the wandering priests that you mm. read about, you know, from, you know, the the feudal era of sort of our own time where they would, tr they would just travel from place to place, town to town, preaching whatever sort of divergence of the religion they were from to the masses. Mm. But, you know, they would eventually get back to their homes. Yeah. Yes. My answer to your question is yes. They are doing all of the above. They're going home, but they're also going everywhere else at the same time. Right. So yeah. you would then have people interacting, say, with a, say, a lowly, like, corpse starch maker or just a, a, a person who breaks down a corpse, right? And they're now leading a roving band of uh, faithful. Yes. And so now they return back to their old hab and they're being treated with this level of respect where their old foreman comes up to them and says, mate, you are nothing, and tries to, I don't know, stick, put their heel on them. They would just be decimated by oh, their man. group of uh, followers. You know, and that, oh. That's what I'm envisaging here. It's not, it's not so much the spreading of the word. It's the uh, destabilisation of power. So those yeah. who were once trodden upon return back to their areas as... I guess, for use of a better term, more powerful or, or yeah. more influential. That's kind of cool. More influential, yes. Like, this, this is that overwhelming theme of this succession. In fact, you've mentioned it a couple of times already this episode, where the, the, those on the lower rungs of society have been lifted by the prophet, have been lifted in power because they are now bearers of his word. And yeah. that, yeah, that little, that corpse starch factory worker comes back to whatever hive he's from and, you know, old, you know, Simon supervisor comes along and says, oi, mate, you 
back on the assembly line. You've enough of this, you know, nonsense before I put you back in your place. And all of a sudden, the old factory worker mate has 10, 20, 30, 40 guys, 40 of the faithful behind yeah, them going, yeah. you do not speak to our preacher in that way. And yeah, yeah that supervisor gets put in his place. And unfortunately, yeah. his place is in lunch because he's just thrown <laughs> into the machinery. And then yeah. that factory floor is now being like, well, holy hell, we're going to follow that guy. Yeah. Exactly. It would draw Tread. more people over. It, and as I said, it would draw more people to the cause, but it would, it would really draw in people who would feel like, I don't have a chance on this planet, but there's, you know, Lucky Pete who managed to get off the production floor. And if I can just get one little modicum of his presence and power, perhaps that gets me away from here. So that real destabilization, that's what I can imagine. It's all, as I said, it always comes back to the production and industry and so forth. So I can imagine this, this, I guess, pseudo pilgrimage or this spreading of the word, whatever it might be, further disrupting the processes of Necromunda. But for me, one of the most important parts of that little read that we have there is it spreads the symbol of Lord Ozzy everywhere now. So those who had just heard about a seven-pointed star will see it left, right, and centre now, and it will become part of the day-to-day. It'll become just as, as, as... noticeable and as common as the gang badges, as the noble house icons. Yeah. People are going to be able to see it everywhere. And they're going to go, oh, that's the Aranthian. That's the symbol of the Aranthians. And that's their territory or that's their people. And we know that now because we know that's the Aranthian symbol. Whereas before it might have just been, look, somebody's just broken one of the, the points on a chaos star so we don't get it. But <laughs> now it's now it's actually something that means Will well will mean something to everybody on Necromunda. Speaking of returning to from whence they came, our mate Lord Mormayer, the Thane of Cordor, returned to Hive Primus, a man reborn, bearing the mark of the prophet upon his flesh. He works, albeit futilely, to unite his divided house. Eventually. His travels take him to the ruins of the Palace of Bones, where he seats himself upon his throne once more, in a grand hall still scarred by battle and littered with discarded weapons and spent casings. This reminds me of, you know, the Flesh Eater Courts from Age of Sigma, where they're oh, those yes. horrific, ghoulish, and that new, like that, uh, that video for the new Flesh Eater Courts army where it was they see themselves as noble warriors and you know the the creme de la creme of their society in these beautiful banquet halls but in reality it's like a dungeon with uh, just a table covered in rotting meat and Mm. that's how i picture lord mormayer right now this almost reminding me of theoden from uh, Rohan in Lord of the Rings. Oh, right. You know how he's that's a good almost, analogy. Yeah. He's, he's withered and he's, yeah. he's got the sunken eyes and his, mm. his hall is dusty and dark. Mm. Mormaya is pulling a Theoden. He's sitting there in the dark, 
you know, the the rubbish and detritus from all those battles and the invasion of the Prophet's forces littering his hall. And he's looking out upon this ruin, maybe with a few retainers and a few, you know, men, soldiers, uh, followers sent with him by the Prophet, sort of looking upon him. And he's just, he's looking out being like, this is nice. This is, <laughs> this We're is back to normality. We're back yeah. to normal here. Um, yeah. Can someone find me something to eat? Oh, there's no food? That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I saved a rat from before. I'm going to mung down on that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it shows yet again a weakness in the house, doesn't it? Because now we have well-established the Esher Goliath, potentially the Orlock, are all quite weakened houses at this stage. And Cordor... It is a strength without being a substantial strength, if you know what I mean. So now we have a house that is weak from the top, weak all the way through, and the only reason it holds its strength is because of the profit and the pilgrimage and the fact that that was, I guess, amalgamated all together to become the new house corridor. So whatever Mormay is sitting over is just a shadow of house corridor. Yeah, And it would be interesting to see if they are still maintaining any of their their previous, I don't know, industries and duties and so forth as they did before the arrival of the Prophet. I think they would be. Um, yeah. It specifically says that, you know, Mormaya is attempting to unite his divided house. So he would still have the forces loyal yeah. to the Prophet from House Cordor behind yeah. him. All those... Yeah truly loyal retainers of his. Um, Whereas we know the the Red Redemption, the followers of Clovis, those those sort of redemptionist factions who, when Mormaya was saying, I need soldiers, I need help, they were turning away from Mormaya because they they saw the prophet for what I saw him for, a, a, a false prophet. He was a, you know, we, we disagree on this, you and me, but... Yeah. They sided in on where where I sit with this sort of situation, and I think there's still going to be your your drudging classes from everyone. Everyone's still going to be having industry taken care of. That was one big thing that was specifically mentioned that you know the followers of the prophet, their industries didn't fail because your oh. drudging classes, your you know prisoners with jobs. Oh. They were, they were truly faithful. They were following the teachings of the prophet, and they were getting behind it. And these nobles were having to say, "Yep, yep, we love that prophet. Great guy, uh, pretty, pretty cool fella. Hey, can you keep working? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. So I think, yeah. I think stuff's still happening. It's just, you know, one wrong move and the the prophet's followers which make up your working class just stop working yeah i don't okay i can i can i can see that as the potential outcome for the the way we look at and it's not mentioned a lot throughout the book there's there's a lot of talk of squats and lady Hera and nomads but there's again the book of loose ends um <laughs> we don't really get a, a clear definition of 
what's happened to the House of Cordor. Mm. Uh, and I guess this kind of gives us an idea that when it specifically states he seats himself upon the th- his throne once more, so I can envisage Mormaya becoming the thane of House Cordor again yeah. with actual power, you know, not just sort of I'm in power thanks to the will and whim of the prophet. But he is. Yeah, but he is now, yeah, but I'm, but I'm saying <laughs> the, long term, the long term is potentially actually him becoming, once again, the singular and without influence power of uh, House Quarter. Yeah, no, perhaps, I totally agree. Yeah. Perhaps. Moving on to our next section, many former Hivers, clan gangs, and outcast nobles find a new home in the Waste. The largest of these is the makeshift city of New Primus, built in the skeletal ruins of Hive Venturium. For a time, this new wasteland outpost prospers until the settlers discover to their horror and their peril, an older and far more determined foe has made the ancient hive their home, the Grey Waste Walkers. Dun, dun, dun. I was going to say, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, just stay out of the wastes. Stay out of the ruins of hives. Stay out of yeah. cities, stay out of caves, stay out of tunnels, um, stay out of uh, rooms that say uh, that there are, like, dead people inside or uh, if it's a convention of a mixture of people who are, like, bicycle enthusiasts slash vegans, stay out of all of those places. <laughs> if you live on Necromunda, stay out of all of those places. Um, also on Necromunda, vegan means they exclusively eat people. Uh, <laughs> just, I just let everybody know that is verbatim uh, from the tourist handbook of Necromunda. <laughs> well done, Sam. That was that was perfect. Yeah. I didn't think you'd remember it all. Yeah, but man, that must suck. These these people have you know have busted out, founded this new settlement, and it's going great. And then one day. You know, there you are, Nathan. Um, I'm I'm assuming your job will be some sort of like ash wastes pastry chef, and you're all excited. You're heading down to the bakery, and uh, then you and your entire block are killed by a bunch of ash waste nomads because they're like, I'm sorry, did you move onto our top floor? Uh, get out of our city. Yeah, <laughs> it sucks. Necromunda sucks. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It, it's, it's kind of sad as well because it says former hivers, clan gangs, and outcast nobles. So I, in my, I don't know, I guess, uh, positive mind, what is it, optimistic mindset that I'm looking for, yeah. I imagine them trying to create a newer, better style of society. Yes. You know, where they're going, okay, we can become self-sufficient, we can do this. There's no tithe sitting over our head because the governance is completely up the wazoo. So we'll create something better only for Necromunda's history and past to come back and destroy the new. Mm. It's it's poetic, I guess, in a very, very sad way. But It's poetic in the form of face shooting. But also <laughs> what you described there almost sounded like filthy democracy. Yeah, um, well, you know, that, dip your toes in it. So I'm, I'm assuming the Ashway Snowmads aren't democratic. Otherwise, they would have joined in. They could have been like, yeah, we'll jump in. Mm. We'll cast our vote. 
we have the we have the ash waste nomad party for progress you know the the npfp we of the npfp uh believe that we should kill all interlopers all in favor i all opposed oh well no one we kill all the interlopers <laughs> motion carries yeah yep. that's the first time we mention the nomads so far but they are they have a very important role within this series within this book actually and uh some i guess you get some really nice insights into them as well but you uh, get some terrifying insights <laughs> into them <laughs> i'm being i'm being a bit too kind with my words but it's, sam's right yeah some terrifying insights as into what exactly they are and what exactly their motivations are but mm. before we get to them take it away sam our next one we have the return of our girl Scrutinator Primus Servalen. She and a small group of loyal enforcers escape Hive Temenos ahead of the agents of Azostium. Unable to reach Hive Primus, they instead turn southwest towards the expanse of the Iradium Oceanus and countless kilometers of wasteland beyond. Their ultimate destination the prison hive of Zalktra, and the secrets Surveillan knows are hidden in its submerged cells. Firstly, once again, can people stop locking things up, obviously en masse, <laughs> in either prisons or temple cities? Like, we saw what happened just then in Temenos mm. when you had a bunch of drunken gangers running around, thieving artifact weapons, and unleashing demon beasts. Now, you've got Savellan and her crew kicking on to Zaltra to go to a prison which, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, is usually a place filled with bad people uh, who maybe want to cause some kerfuffle. And if there are secrets hidden in its submerged cells, I can only assume they are going to be secrets that are used against Azostium and this rebellion. So what I want to do is I want to store them, quite possibly these world-ending weapons, around a bunch of criminals and recidivists. Oh, you see them as weapons, do you? I see them as weapons. Uh, I immediately think this is weapons. Oh, I don't. I see them as as individuals or a group of individuals or some sort of beast or something like that that could be quite easily turned uh, on. I I was not planning on doing this so early, but gang idea. (gasps) Gang idea. It's like the Expendables. Yes. Um, But it's like gang lead, like the worst of the worst gang leaders. Like, you know... um, Krug, the unconquered, the Goliath Ooh. gang leader from, I don't know, what's a badass hive? Uh, uh, Mortis, who, you know, who in the middle of a gang walk, like killed the entire enemy Escher gang, but then killed his own gang in a fit of rage and killed yeah. a bunch of ghouls and they captured him and he was just eating these ghouls. So he's this hulking, like, um, picture um, the old cartoon version of Bane from the Batman animated series, yeah. where he was this huge, like just huge chem pumps going into him, oh. and but he's he's a really like 
he's, he's like Bane from the movies. He's very intellectual and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, right. But yeah. They, they get the chems into him. They just unleash him on the enemies or, you know, these a pair of Orlock twins who <laughs> are just, you know, insane with bolters or chain swords or, yeah, and, right. you know, and surveillance going there to put together this like dirty dozen style expendables suicide <laughs> squad a group yeah. of guys to basically, because this is what she was talking about, we can't beat it here like this. Yeah. She wants the dirty dozen. Yes. Boom. That's it. Nope. Podcast Cannon. over. Yeah. Cannon. <laughs> Cannon, sort of. So from saying that, imagine like you actually try and run, so you run an enforcer the whole time in this gang. I imagine it's Venator's, right? And that's a, that, that, Enforcer is your representation of surveillance, right? Oof. But she's a blank because they have a a Delacroix psyker. And oh. so the only way to control the psyker is to have surveillance there. You know, so she's kept on a short leash. So you like, they've got Oh man, that's sick. Yeah. I like your idea better. No, no, no. I'm saying this is part of the dirty dozen, so she's oh, leading them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, it doesn't with psychic bullets. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. I'm, I'm getting way too excited. I need to make this gang now. <laughs> what would that be? Oh, my God. You could explore this so much. You could just, every element. Like, don't even worry about, like, do they come from a gang house? Go with, like, you know, the crazed uh, hub worker who envisages himself as you know, the new Batman, the new Night Haunter, and went around killing on a vigilante spree, just killing and skinning and doing all these manner of things. And they lock him away because he, they can see there's some sort of, like, glint of normality in him. Yeah. And they want to study him or him or her or whatever. They want to study it. And they just go, you, you've done this because you you see this is the pathway, you know. Or, or We can use you later on. Or, hear me out on this one, they have a space marine on the planet, one that ended up in the very, very bottom of the hives, constantly mangled brain. You know, so I say this because, and I I want anybody out there to correct me, there is a book about a night lord who is reawakened on a hive planet. I can't think of the, I think it's called Night Lord, I'm not too sure. And he wakes up not knowing that his legion has become traitors. But he is like the devastation of the, the, that hive. I can't think of it. It's a very long time, over a decade ago since I read this book. So I can imagine like a space ring. You just have them absolutely geared out to the nines and not necessarily geared like in power armor or all that, but geared out to represent that high value toughness and that uh, the high armor save. And so whatever you want to to go with it. But that would be... The one thing they're like, this is a, this is a legionary that we've got here, yeah. and end up in stasis for ten thousand years. We don't know what to do with it because it's from one of the tra- traitor legions. Not even that. What if it's a, what if it's an imperial fist from the heresy? Boo, boo. Um, yeah. What if it's an imperial fist that's been stuck there, or maybe has been? What is it? The Sussam membrane they can kick on. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, help. He's just in stasis. I don't know, man. I just like stasis. But all- they recovered him. They recovered him from the skull. Oh, and he's gone mad talking about the ghost. 
There you go. There's 500 different options of what can be locked up underneath this hive. And every single one of them is more horrific than the last. You could even go to alien races as well. Xenos races. Uh, A bunch of the Drukari. Remember when the Drukari attacked? What if there's a bunch of Drukari and they're like, listen here, you pointy-eared dickheads. (laughs) We've got a giant robot for you to kill and then we'll let you go. Yeah. And, and whatever you do along the way to kill him, we don't we're going to turn a blind eye to knock yourselves oh. out. Well, uh, we did mention this last episode, but I'm going to mention it again. The Zaltra was also recently raided by Credo and her Vansar allies, and That's they right. broke out a prisoner who definitely wasn't Mad Donna Yolanti. So. <laughs> What if Surveillant is going there to unleash Mad Donna and she's like, uh-oh, and Mad Donna's already out. And that just makes me such a happy Samuel. Oh, yeah, man. That, that would be cool. I, I kind of want to see a, a, an elite country of Dark Elder going yeah. after old Aussie boy because okay, I reckon so that'd be cooler. That Goliath Bane guy, those Orlock twins... There's three Dark Elder. There's a Space Marine. Um, who else is there? You know what? Screw it. Karloff Malloy is in there. Yeah, and I would. The, I, I would. If Games Workshop release a Karloff Malloy model, yeah. I will go to my local store. I will hand, just simply hand them the deed to my home. <laughs> I will take their stock of whatever comes out with Karloff. And I will live in my work van. I'm fine with this. <laughs> oh. That would be, imagine Karloff a lawyer in there and it's just like, we have to go to the underhive. Or, mm. Sorry, we have to go, what's the, the very bottom of oh, the, the, the sump. Oh, down, like down to the actual <laughs> sump sea, yeah. yeah. And that's where we recruit from. We don't need people with general thinking or whatever no. we need we need scrappers those who will shank you for one barnacle you know yeah they're, they're <sighs> the ones that we want that would be so cool you'd have like this this opposition leader who well like, basically going we're gonna go here and you'd have the primary leader let's say it's surveillance going no 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 we have got to get to aussie we have to kill aussie oh oh because at this stage they're gonna oh at this stage, they're going to find out that Lord Helmore's dead and, or not dead, but taken. They're going to find out that Hera's not in the best position. So it's, they would be on board to go, okay, we can sort of get away with doing almost anything here. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's that the enemy of my enemy, you know? Mm. 100%. All right. <laughs> moving on, G. Why you keep derailing us, Sam? It's another I know, it's definitely my fault. <laughs> the wall is overrun by the followers of the prophet and religious zealots pour into the spire. While assassins and agents of Ostium use the cover to cull the opponents of the Aranthians, most pilgrims simply revel in the gilded atriums and grand gardens of Necromunda's nobility, leaving grubby hand marks and dirty footprints everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor cleaning servitors. That's what I'm Honestly, concerned about. I've just realised they're the only good guys here. The poor cleaning servitors, you yeah. know, they just want to 
buff and polish the marble floors and the beautiful gilded and um assuming gold leaf walls and I let's be honest, this is really just shaming the the pilgrims for being poor. Like the unwashed masses. Like you filthy turds coming in here with your filthy hands and your grubby feet and your religious fervor, uh, but mostly just the dirt and grime. All right. Yeah, spoken like the last words of a noble encountering one of these. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Uh, remember when the uh, angry goat was about to tell off old Jenga? He's like, I'm going to give right. this this rather rude fellow a piece of my mind. Yeah. Gun fist. Yeah. Um, yeah, once, once he hears what I have to say, he'll go, oh, right. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's what I imagine the nobles would be. Their primary form of defence would be, we're going to give them a stern talking to, let them know their place. And, oh, wow, we're all dead. And it's it's really cool, though, because the noble houses, and when I say cool, it's completely misplaced, but it's not cool for the noble houses. It's unfortunate for the noble houses. They've already gone through a culling from Lady Hera, yeah? yeah several. And, ne- well, the, the big one where she got them all together and then sorted them out and left only the, the dregs to run the houses. They're now going through another culling of... By the Aranthians. And I like it here in this part of the timeline. It doesn't talk about the Lord of the Aranthians. It doesn't talk about Ozantium or Ozzy as a singular. It talks about the opponents of the Aranthians. So we're starting to see this development now of not just this singular leader or this singular focal point of what the Aranthian succession looks like, but what the Aranthians look like. And it's only it's only one sentence. But we're starting to get that rhetoric and that idea that this is this is the Aranthian succession now. It's not just the waking up of yes. a single a single entity. So yeah, I, I I kind of feel a bit sad for the the old noble houses here, getting stomped out by Hera and then getting stomped out again by the pilgrims. Uh, I'd be lucky. I'd be very surprised if there was uh, any noble houses left by the end of this. Nah, bro, eat the rich. <laughs> no, eat them. And then grubby their floors and their and walls. Grubby their floors and their walls and, you know, <laughs> use their fancy cutlery. Yeah, eat the this rich. Is, yeah, this, is, this is a toilet. This is not a drinking bowl. How amazing is that? <laughs> uh, actually, this is my new soup dispenser. You drink all the soup, you press this button, brand new soup. <laughs> Uh, well, it's the water for the soup. You got to cook it, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> not a barbarian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slice, slice a little bit of uh, Lord Catalyst into there. You know, make a little <laughs> bit of a ran low broth. <laughs> and because you keep pressing the button on it, it'll never run low. I know I've used that before. It is gold, so stick that in your pipe. Those forces loyal to the line of Helmore retreat into their wasteland hideouts or far-flung hives as the Palatine Cluster becomes a stronghold for the forces of the Prophet and the ancient being that he serves. In the wilderness, though, the ash-waste nomads gather in numbers not seen for centuries, their purpose known only to the great spirits that lead them. This is the second mention of the ash waste nomads here and this is where it starts to get scary there's something important i need to ask you though did you just 
simply bypass my crack humor before? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Um, no, I just want to get clarification. Yeah. yeah. Okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Derailed. <Yes>. Derailed. We're <laughs> um, about to talk about the important bit about the, <laughs> the hashtag phone notes, and I'm like, but I made a funny. <laughs> you made something. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. I allow you to continue. So you allow me. <laughs> so yes, with the Ashway Nomads, this is where it gets scary because these are numbers that haven't been apparently seen in centuries, but it goes much deeper than that. In fact, there's a small reading here. Ignorant of the dealings of noble houses and return gods, the Ashway Nomads of Necromunda gathered in the depths of the great equatorial wastes. Had any hiver been witness to the millions-strong tribal council, they might have thought all the nomads in the world were in one place. Such were the misconceptions as to the true strength of the Ash tribes. We've heard plenty throughout these books and throughout other books of Ash Waste nomads raiding caravans or settlements or Cinderac City, they rated it a fair amount. We know Cinderac City is the largest settlement in the Ash Wastes. We've talked about hundreds or thousands of nomads, and everyone seems to be, this is, this is pretty big. This is as much strength as they can bring. We now know that is a lie. We now know that you have a council, millions strong, and that if someone were to consider this to be all the nomads on the planet, they were wrong. That yeah. is terrifying. They are, that is a hive. That is a small hive yeah. worth of ash waste nomads. It actually sort of reminds me of when we were talking about the idea of what a census would look like on Necromunda. Yeah. So I know it's a little bit off track, but it just, you know, you're talking about millions and millions. So therefore, you know, you, you, you can't account for the, the vast amounts of ash waste nomads that we're, that we're going to, well, that the Necromunda could potentially see. But for me, I kind of, I kind of want to see them motivated for a single, as a single entity, as a single force moving forward. And what I do love about this period is that we do see that as well. We see them being driven and directed by, I guess, well, one of the more famous ones, the the Lady of the Ash. But that's just one of the spirits. So, and it, I'm sorry to distract and move away from the numbers of them, but the the mentioning of the spirits, and I'm not I'm not much of a uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to the ash waste nomad so i really didn't know much about their spirits but the, they talk about the spirits in this part of the book and it's crazy yeah so the gods that we talk about they have a great read for them and i'll just go through and read that section so that we can sort of reflect on them a little bit more and have a bit of a discussion about them for the bakau known to wasters as the oil run stalkers came the sump spirit a creature dripping with the poison of the slag seas and covered in tentacles and teeth, ripped from the horrors of the deep sump. Next came Ghost Halamite, the spirit of the Urgnar, Urnag, or dust wall crawlers, 
was clad in the exoskeletons of a dozen insect beasts and moved as easily on six legs as two. Then there was the Storm Dancer, spirit of the Kartoka, the lead sky seers, a figure wrapped in fluttering rags and robes, its form hidden within a perpetual swirling cloud of dust and ash. Finally came the most powerful of all the great spirits, the Lady of Ash. And what I love about this, these are physical manifestations of gods. And that is what the, the Ashway Snowmads worship. They don't have some temple they go pray at. They're able to, I guess, communicate directly with their god. They're able to get a direct, um, I guess, what would you refer to it as? Divine intervention. Direct yeah. divine intervention to help them out or to draw them or to even inspire them in a moment like this where you have millions gathered together. They get to see their gods. They get to see what it is that motivates and drives them forward. And from some of those even just brief descriptions, they seem absolutely terrifying. For me, the sump spirit is the most horrendous and heinous of them all, dripping with poison covered in tentacles and teeth. It is just something that I can't imagine any any ganger or hiver or whatever saying would be able to survive the encounter physically, but then also mentally if they do happen to get away. They'd just be a, a wrecked mass from it. It reminds me of the... I keep wanting to say Primark, but the, uh, like, the Elder with their... Um, what's the word for their weird god things? Like there's J- no the Zane. Oh, the, the Phoenix Lords. The Phoenix Lords. Yeah. It reminds me of the Phoenix Lords, where religion and belief of you know their their purpose and their particular you know school of combat or whatever takes them only so far, and you can you can meet the head of your temple or whatever, but. When you meet a phoenix lord or you meet one of these spirits, you're meeting the actual personification of your belief where we're looking at these we're looking at these great spirits and their their faith is proven their faith is mm. true because it is tangible it is in front of them if you are of the baku you can you can go up to the the sump spirit. And say, my, the, my faith is in front of me. If you are, you know, if you are of the Sungar and you go up to the Lady of Ash, you can see her. And, yeah. There is, there is something else like that as well. And that is the pilgrimage and the prophet. They can actually speak to their, their leader. No. No, I will disagree with you here. They speak, they can visit with and speak to and see someone preaching the word of the emperor. They, at the end of the day, he is still talking about the emperor. He is not the emperor. Okay, and I can believe in the divinity of the holy shovel. And if I go to a shovel store and see 50 shovels, I'm not seeing 50 gods. Yeah, okay. Fair fair enough. I still think that the the reason for the pilgrimage being so successful is that 
it isn't a shrine or a concept they're, pro they're following. It is their prophet. He is simply someone preaching the word of the emperor in a different fashion. But it's giving them a focal point. Are it's you questioning the divinity of the holy shovel? <laughs> All right. Dig oh. deep, dig wide. <laughs> I'll just, I ho, 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 it's fans, shovel right? time. All right. Praise so, unto the shovel. <laughs> um, no, I understand, I, I, I understand I, what I you're saying. Like I do. Yeah. Uh, I see it very differently. I, I can see your, um, of like, personally, I can see your incorrect perception. Yep. But, yeah, no, I, they don't believe the prophet is the divine being. He may speak with the will of the divine. He may speak with the power of their divine leader, but he is not the divine. He is not the divine, is how I'd yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I, I still think if you have something tangible there, you're more inclined to, to do more, do more. It's like if Angron rocks up to a battlefield Okay. Yeah, that's that's different. He's he's become literally the red right hand of Corn himself. He is he is he once again he is not divine. He's not. Uh, he is a tool of the divine. He is but one you step would removed. Be driven, you'd certainly be driven onward and upwards if you saw. Yeah, when he picked you up and threw you. <laughs> I, I yeah. Look, I I would be more inclined to follow knowing that I was able to interact and engage with my leader. And I guess we'll swing it back to the nomads. That's exactly what happens with the nomads. That's where they're able to generate millions to turn up is because there is a direct and physical link with their gods or at least the avatars of their gods or at least the principal prophets of their gods. Yeah. Well, this meeting is huge in this particular instance because. It tells us in the book here that such a meeting of the great spirits had not happened in a thousand great cycles, not since the last alignment of Necromunda's moons and the world storm that brought down the equatorial hive of Gorgothma. Back then, the Lady of Ash had led her people against the hive dwellers and their machine gods, punishing them for their transgressions against the world and reminding them that they were but parasites feasting upon its ashen hide. So this Lady of Ash was around a thousand great cycles ago. Is this Lady Credo? Is this another blade? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. The Aranthian succession, Azostium is one of the blades, Credo is one of the blades. The brothers and sisters, they're all blades. Yeah, the hair is a blade. Everyone's a blade. Everyone's a blade. <laughs> they're, they're all, all the blades. clothes of the blades. <laughs> They're all the clones of the blades. Um, but yeah. this, this gives more credence and value to your idea of them as phoenix lords, I think, is yeah. that they, are, they become effectively like a perpetual so that the, the character itself might be, in, be, the spirit goes into another physical being, you know? So yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the only way you can talk about that survivability for such a long period of time, unless they are actual gods, which... Uh, I don't think it's true. Which is a little bit scary. Yes, it is a little bit scary. But if they are actual gods, then 
they certainly got a lot more uh, followers than Malal, which is interesting. Well, <laughs> more more than more than well two now, uh, Punkataku and the one Malal gang member of my yeah. uh, trading guard. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, shout out to Punkataku. But uh, we will talk a lot more about the Nomads and the Lady of Ash later on. Righto. Winds whipped up by the great storm drive the toxic cloud layer of Necromunda down toward the wasteland. As the air pressure increases, the vortex over the Secundan abyss twists and turns in upon itself, showering the equatorial spine in rust rain radioactive ash and gravitic lightning. All paths overland between the hemispheres of Necromunda are cut off. That is not great and implies that you need to now take those, what are they, Necromangian tunnels? Yeah, bud. Yeah. That's not a great place to be considering how flooded they already are with people trying to escape the cities the being being closed off and other gangs and other outlaws just using them as killing grounds and hunting grounds for themselves and white robed armies yes and uh you know once again just quickly shout out to hive secundus and the secundian abyss it gets into every episode um but yeah you don't want to get into the what are they called the necromagnium Underways right so, now because yeah they're they're chock full of folk yeah chock full of folk who want to shoot you in the face and take your stuff um and that's that's just a normal down necromunda on no, necromunda but there's more of them now <laughs> like and you can't even go outside to you know the secundian abyss uh because yeah it sucks you've got this crazy vortex which is a grav- gravitic and electromagnetic storm that clings to the Secundan Abyss. Like, once again, is the world storm still going? Because weather on Necromunda sucks. It does suck. And I, 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 it's not very clear, is it? But I do think that the world storm is still going at this stage. I don't, there's been no clear and definite, definite outcome to say, hey, this is abated. And we're starting to see some sort of movement. It feels like the world storm's just moving. Like it gets yeah. worse in some areas. So you you travel to one area and you're like, hey, we can go through here. It's not ideal. It's not perfect weather, but we can still move on. Whereas some areas of Necromunda would just be absolutely inhospitable, in like impassable. Yeah. You would not be able to yeah. get through at all. Yeah. Um, look. What we need to understand here, though, as well, is that there are occupiers of these tunnels who can control them, can open them up and shut them down, and they right now would be holding the absolute power within these within these areas because of their ability to shut the gate, to say, no, we've had enough of people coming in. And those, from what I understand, the majority of those tunnels are controlled by our little stunty mates or your little stunty mates. Well, I want to say our little stunty mates because we're a we're a kind, caring, and accepting podcast, uh, especially of tiny people with enormous beards and huge levels of firepower. We welcome them into our uh, our homes 
and please stop shooting us. <laughs> I will say one thing about the Scots and Leagues of Otan. Since doing this podcast since July, I have looked at them a lot more and I have been drawn into their beard magic. Oh, man. I, uh, I do like them. I, I, I'm very opinionated about dwarves. Um, I'm very opinionated because of Steve. I'm very opinionated about a lot of things, actually. I just go, nah, don't like it. No, can't shift me. But this particular group has managed to shift me. And one of the the things that did it for me was their new kill team, which is just just a ridiculously good-looking kill team. But also their new vehicle, the Scavlian Explorator. It's just, for me, it's proper sci-fi. It's ridiculous. It's so good. It's, you don't even need to sort of worry about the setting of 40K or Necromunda for this vehicle to exist. It is a proper sci-fi vehicle. It looks like it has all the practical elements along with a whole bunch of just silly, over-the-top sci-fi elements to it as well. Beautiful vehicle, real simple design, but just ticks the boxes massively. Anyway, I derail any further. I'll move on to our next read. Psychic anguish and atmospheric turmoil work to awaken the broodspire from its slumbers. Sensing the distress of its prey, the ancient creature sends malstrains and brood scum out into the wasteland in their thousands, seeking escape from its abyssal prison. Those who explore the Secundan Abyss note the increase in activity, though they are ill-prepared for what is to come. Here you all were thinking, I wonder what weird religious crap's coming on next. And out of left field with a steel chair, we have Hive Secundus. We have the God's damned brood spire and Malstrains. Oh, buddy. Yes. Oh, buddy. It's Gene Steeler Colts. Wait, yeah. that's it. Cancel the episode. Let's just talk about Gene Steeler cults. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I love this part where we begin to talk about Secundus and we begin to have a look at how much of a focal point it becomes. And so much so that the Maelstrains are actually attacking the Dust Wall, which we'll go into a little bit later yeah. as well. But there's a really cool character who we get to see who, who's not a Gene Steeler character or a Gene Steeler cult character, sorry. Provost Marshal Logan Kane. He is an absolute badass. Unfortunately, we don't get to see much of him, but the imagery that I have of this enforcer manning the walls, and you've got to remember the, the walls are also still manned by other elements as well. So there's PDF, there's Guard, and way back when, when we first read about it, there was even Space Marines that get stationed there. I doubt they'd be there during the Cicatrix Maledictum. Can't imagine so, they're going to be there right now. No, but I like the idea that there's an enforcer running the show of all of this. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. But circling back to the Gene Sealers, the, the, the thing about this is that they're trying to probe now again to work out how to get out of Secundus, how to spread themselves right out across Necromunda. And yeah. they surely would have known the horrendous condition that Necromunda's in at the moment. And it's, it is just ideal for a gene stealer, I guess, infection or a gene stealer taint upon the world. You have vast millions of people moving around the planet in uncontrolled, 
unsupervised masses. You have hives that are devoid of structure and power. It's ripe for a gene stealer infestation. Ah, oh, there's there's going to be lots of gene stealer talk later on. Um, <laughs> but I I just love the fact that it talks about how you know all the crazy junk that's going on with the psychic anguish and the atmospheric turmoil and this brood spire i'm assuming that's the name of the new patriarch within hive secundus oh, or at right. least uh, the highest ranking patriarch the oldest yeah. and so it sends out its maelstrains and its brood scum and just just like okay find a way out we need to expand we need to we need to get out of this this prison push but I can't I can't start talking about gene stealer cults right now. There's three things I love <laughs> in this world. Necromunda, gene stealer cults, and gene stealer cults on Necromunda. Um, <laughs> and obviously my wife and children and the podcast and our listeners, but primarily those three things. <laughs> and I can't get sucked in right now. <laughs> no, no. Well, as I said, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get back to them. We do have to talk about them a little bit later. But for the moment... Uh, we have actually we get to mention the um, the name of the book in this little part of the read. Yeah. Ruins. Oh, ruins. Well, not yeah. Okay, ruins. Yeah, well, fantastic. <laughs> the name of the podcast. Um, <laughs> connection. To, <laughs> <laughs> connection to the ancient squat hold of Yardland is broken, and all envoys sent to their halls fail to return. This comes after Harrow. Charter Lord of Yardland calls his kin back to the defence of their home, claiming the shadow of Secundus is stirring against them. The other Iron Head squats, ho- ho- the other Iron Head squat holds, can only look to their own borders and hope they are not next. Well, I did say we we're going to mention Gene Silicultes cults later in the episode. This is later, and it's clearly, yes. clearly them. Unless and, you have another theory. It's, no, it's definitely them. Like, yeah. If you look at the map, actually, in the book here, you go to that ex- secundan zone there where the wall is. Yardlin is directly to the northeast of Hive Secundus. It is well within that walled-off zone. It's basically in, like, the worst place you could be. And those little red lines there, in my mind, given from what we see far to the north... That's a necromagnium underway link between Yardlin and Hive Secundus. Um, my guess is much like their cousins in that fabled squat hold of Moria, they dug a little bit too deep, maybe dug a little bit too far to the southwest and joined up with one of those tunnels to Hive Secundus. And... Yeah, that's ended up a bad day for everyone involved. That's the way yeah. I'm. That's the way I'm reading that. Oh, totally, totally. Because once that tunnel is perhaps even opened and knocked open a little bit, the gene seals will take advantage of it. But because it's within that exclusion zone, they'd be attacking overland as well. They'd be attacking from above ground, underground. Yeah. They're digging their own tunnel. You got to remember, remember back with the ten thousand year history part two, we talked about how they. The, that straight-up army of vehicles and that were attacking the wall and they were digging vehicles and they That's were industrial right. machines. 
what's to say they're not using this on Yardland to try and get their mm. way in because you've got two other hides within that zone right there. Is it uh, Pulpus and Nostrum? So yeah. if they've taken over those two hides and taken whatever they can from there, Yardland with its, uh, its army of squats is nothing more than a big juicy meal ticket. Yeah, 100%. Imagine that, though. I've, I've got a point to say about this, but imagine the idea of um, squats infected with a gene stealer, with the gene stealer kiss. So you have gene stealer cult squats. It'd be squat stealer cults. Squat stealers, squats. That's squat stealer so, cults. Hey, that's six times fast. No chance. I screwed it up saying it once. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an articulate man when it comes to my words. <laughs> they would be yeah. cool, though. They would be very cool, just tiny dudes with three arms and like yeah. purple chitinous beards. Oh, they'd be quite like these cute little stunty tails and elongated <laughs> foreheads. <laughs> Easiest way to do them find a bunch of like you need so many people who play Gene Stealer Cults, but little Gene Stealer Cult familiars. Yeah. You know how they're those little tiny things? Yeah. You need about 300 of them, and you could just give them little auto pistols and chainsaws. Yeah. Boom, Squat Stealer Cult Army. <laughs> Fantastic. And then, oh. and then like 15 of those Hecatron land fortresses from the Leagues of Otan range. Oh, man, those Leagues of Otan vehicles are so good. They would, oh. they, they would look really cool. Stop yeah, man. on those, actually. But oh, I like that idea. Gene Stealer yeah. Cult infected um, squats. That Is that possibly good. a gang for the Manvent for 2024? Uh, no, I, I'm brewing something. Arcramunda 2024? Oh, I've got I've got two ideas out there at the moment. Um, we'll talk Ooh. a bit about. They definitely will be talking about them at the end of this episode because they're both related to the nonsense of this Haranthian succession. Excellent. But I also want to point out something else here on this map. Something uh, I know you really love. Thanks. If you look down to the southeast <laughs> of the Hive Secundus, there it's the wreck of the Gladius Four. Now, <laughs> listeners may recall that for absolutely no reason. Nathan went on a rant about how frustrated he was that he couldn't find out anything about this wreck. And I, I, I really want to know more about it. I not, still do. I still there's, do. There's a tunnel going something. past it. Yeah, right exactly. there. What, what was the Gladius? Was, I'm going to do this again. But yeah. just a couple of quick questions for people to mull over. Was it a Zeppelin? Was it a Stratoplane? Yes. <laughs> was it a Thunderhawk? Was it a Runner? It, it's it is. De I definitely believe it is a, um, it is a interplanetary vessel of some description that has been oh. shot down and has somehow avoided Helmore's graveyard. Has maybe it's been shot down somewhere else, or it's been drifting through the through space and has crashed into the planet and has landed there. I. This is the stuff that entire campaigns are built around. Exactly. And I'm, I'm just terrified to build a campaign around it and be like, it's definitely this, it's this ship, it does this. And then <laughs> as Workshop release, you know, the, the, the Gladius 4 campaign, and they're like, no, it's, um, it's actually a single uh, Space Marine land speeder that just crashed there. And yeah. Uh, yeah. that's that's it. Like, oh well, I look like yeah, and it was it was fully recovered. Like they recovered fully every recovered. Last bit it's of just a hole it left a hole in the ground. It's yeah. just very famous because they were like, oh, a spaceman vehicle went down. Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely tire. Well, back onto something just a a little bit more happy go lucky. 
ash waste nomads sweep across the great equatorial wastes, consuming all settlements in their path. The towns of Rust Gulch, Lucky's Hideout, and Far Enough are all extinguished in single bloody cycles of murder, leaving only gutted wrecks, ruined buildings, and corpses behind. Those that can flee towards the hive cities, though they meet a hostile welcome from hivers who have sealed their own cities against attack. Once again, the Ashways really looking after its citizens. Talking like that hurts my throat. So these poor bastards are rushing back to the hives to try and save themselves after their friends and families and loved ones and neighbours have all been killed horrifically by Ashways nomads. And these hive cities are like, uh, go away. No, you're too dangerous to have here. Yeah. I know, stay, we, don't, we don't want to open the door. Get out. Yeah, if you stay out there and you get attacked, we'll see where you're getting attacked from, and then we can shoot over there, wherever you're getting attacked from. That makes things marginally safer for us. You're basically like range finders for us. But it's, that's a, firstly, that's a real big brain move on the, the side of the <laughs> hivers. Well done. Yeah. And secondly, Rust Gulch, classic. That's a, that's a real... Like that's a proper West, name, isn't that's it? That's a proper name. I love yeah. it. Lucky's hideout. Not so lucky. You all just got killed. But that and, has history. Like Lucky. History. Oh, yeah. he was lucky. What happened? Why did he have to hide out there? And why was there a whole, you know, town built around him? Amazing. And finally. Far enough. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go make a new settlement. How much further do we have to go? Ah, this is far enough. Yeah, that'll do. It's, it's right like, up there with halfway and big hole. Yeah, yeah. It's like every <laughs> every city in the world has a boundary road and a high street. Yep. Every every planet in the Imperium would have a far enough. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fun. We're done. Call it. <laughs> but yeah, there. This is great. It's not great for those people that have just. Uh, you know, unfortunately been murdered. But this is great in the fact that the Ashwaste Nomads are just saying, cool, enough's enough. Let's uh let's follow our great spirits and really just cleanse our planet. Every settlement they're coming to, you're done. Yeah, it is it is a total war of extermination from the Ashwaste Nomads. They're just mm. whatever is a soft and vulnerable target they absolutely punish, and even not a soft and vulnerable target. They're going after towns and, in some cases, cities and so forth. And from that read that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Great Spirits, there is another line in there that I will just read here, and it just exemplifies perfectly exactly what's going on. Now the time of their rule was coming to an end. And that is, I know it's very short, but it is, yeah. it exemplifies exactly what their thinking process is. And when it says now the time of their rule, obviously it's talking about the, the humans, the non-ash waste nomads, their time of rule had come to an end. They are absolutely hunting them down. And this is another part of that read as well. Things changed after the wastelands were flooded with fools and lost souls. They were easy pickings for the nomads, the little sport for their war parties. So again, where these pilgrimages are going off and moving and so forth, they're, they were moving with some sort of freedom and, and some sort of focus. But now the Ashway Nomads have just put it into third gear and they're just like, mate, anything that is not us is going to die. 
do you remember last episode when uh, the pilgrimage was, you know, in its millions mm. and those Ash Waste Nomad war parties, the Helamites were just picking off, yeah. you know, groupers on the side or they were, they were coming up on campsites where people were relaxing for the night and just being like, <laughs> yeah. you idiots. And they were, remember they were kidnapping them, which yeah. I, I'm oh. still blown away by. Like, that's, that's terrifying. Well, at least they get to see what an ash waste nomad is. They'll be like, oh, I've never seen one of these before. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. No, I don't think that's a an at least situation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, silver linings. That's what Necromunda's about, yeah? You try to find the positives? Sil- silver linings and uh, I, I guess going far enough and you know, <laughs> far seeing enough. what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Overland trade between the hives is threatened by the rise of Ashwaite's nomad activity, and many roads once considered safe are now almost impassable. Even the Great Ash Road East, a major artery between the hemispheres of Necromunda, becomes a war zone, with heavily armed cargo eights and mounted runner gangs fending off relentless nomad war parties. Yeah. There is some form here, though. You, you're going to have some veterans out on that road. The Escher, the Orlock, uh, what's his name? Axiom with his Goliath as oh, well. The old, the old Iron Tree Reavers kicking on. Yeah. Yes. Def- definitely not Knuckle Boys. Um, <laughs> but you imagine these hard to the wall veterans taking on raiding nomads. What a cool fight that would be. It, it also shows you that. This is almost the nomads going into a stance of total war, where yeah. even these major arteries, where they've always, they've always considered safe, you know? You, they, you, of course you can drive down this road. There's constantly traffic on it. No one's, no one's going to attack you there. All of a sudden, nomad war parties are there. They're, they're attacking even heavily armed convoys, not just, yeah. not just your lone vehicles. They're attacking full gangs or full groups of gangs. This, yeah, this, this is that next step. I'm, in my opinion, this is the nomads going total war. Yeah, no, unleashing, is- yeah. unleashing on on Necromunda. So we, you know, we our time has come. Um, we will, we will take back what is ours, or at least make you bleed for everything that you have taken from us. Oh. I do have here one little scratchy sort of gang idea if you want to hear it. Always. Always up for a gang idea? Gang Always idea. up for a gang idea. Gang idea. So, yeah. <laughs> so imagine a group of engineers tasked with going out and clearing all the destroyed vehicles. So they're not necessarily built around combat and so forth, but they're built with the, the premise of, like, we've got to clear the roadways. So it might be coming from a guild who says, we need to finance you to clear this road so that we can get out there. And they're more, they're more built. Yeah. More built around logistics. So they would definitely have a vehicle, but the vehicle is, would have a claw or some sort of boarding plank that they can use to hook onto or a winch or something to clear things out of the way. But their whole premise is using, you know, sentries and guards and all these other things to, to protect the operation that they currently do at the time, which is to clear the vehicle. Yeah. In my mind, um, and being the Imperial Guard treadhead that you are, 
Remember the Trojan support vehicle? Yes. That Chimera with the big winch and yep. like I'm picturing okay. Vehicle idea. Now yep. to make the I'm gonna call it the Manvent Pattern Recovery Platform. Yeah. All right. You yeah. need a Bane Blade chassis. Yeah, right. Now you I think you, I know you, where you're going with this. You build it effectively like a Trojan, but it's a traveling workshop slash tow truck. You need a big flat empty platform on the back of it where you've got your workbenches and your big your big winches to haul up these ruined vehicles and that. And I'm gonna say this is an Orlock gang because you yeah. have wreckers that are sort of hanging out on the side of the vehicle and they can do a quick jump over to make sure, you know, everything's kosher before they hook this bad boy up. But also if other vehicles try and raid them, they're able to jump across. But you'll have, you'll have um, a big focus on like um, melter weapons and that sort of thing for cutting through wrecked armor plating to strip that bad boy down to get in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this would be great to see. I have a bane blade here <laughs> somewhere that I haven't built. Do you know? Do you know when you mentioned bane blade? I've got the similar idea. Like as soon as you mentioned bane blade, this is where my brain went. You got the inside of the bane blade, so it yes, just has yes. a track. So on the inside, but that's where it has like these heavy haul winches and a, a sort of like an assault ramp. So I'll make it a larger ramp, drops down, yes. and they actually drag the vehicle into the guts. They flip yes. the ramp up, and then they can just piss off with it. Anything bigger than that, they put onto the flatbed on the back or whatever, and then they just boot out. And then exactly as you're saying, you'd have melter weapons and, you know, weapons that would be used to break down vehicles or even just, melt. oh, you try and take melter charges and demolition charges where yes. they're like, we can't recover this, but we're going to clear the road, decimate it. And then you would just have, like, pipe wrenches and hammers yeah. and all this. No, you straight up, up like a full guys. workshop. Yeah. Yeah. But, but hanging off the individuals as well. Yes. And that's where what you said about that sort of, like, convoy that would be going with them. That's where you're going to see your Orlock quads, your Ridge Runners, that sort of thing. But they're going to be festooned with all sorts of gear that, you know, ah, oh, you know, Kane and his crew are the ones that found this. So they get first dibs on loot. Everyone gets to take their, you know, item or bag or whatever, their arm load worth of gear. And then the rest goes back to the main, to the rest of the gang. But yeah, yeah like, I, I actually disagree with you on the fact of you'd have them being able to pull it inside. I think the whole thing would be a huge open, like flat, flat like a flatbed. So yeah, you'd, right. the, you'd still have walls effectively going up the side of it. So you could drag up a wrecked vehicle into it and they would be able to strip that bad boy down. And there'd be heavy stubbers all across this thing. Like, yeah, it'd be festooned. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, Almost like uh, gear webbing running up the side of the vehicle, yeah. and yeah, oh man, yeah, this thing. It would. I'll, I want to say it would be rough looking, but it wouldn't be ramshackle. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It looks like a, a a workshop that gets used every single day. Yes. And gets yes. properly used. Yes. It's not like once a month. And the the premise for me would be that the the whichever guild has asked them to go off and do this or contracted them to go and do this would be like. Clear the road. That's your main thing. Clear the road so we can keep pumping our, our convoys down there. Whatever you strip Whatever off you find vehicles, is yours. It's yours. You have at it, you know. 
we're not going to buy anything off you. We just want you to clear the road. Here's a ridiculous amount of money to make it happen. Um, but if we if we run a convoy down that road and we hit a roadblock, it's your ass. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. the idea of it. It's just like we come for oh, you. Man. I, I love the idea of like engineering groups going out there and they're just sort of having to rough shot themselves into becoming combat engineers. I think it's such a cool idea. Oh, yeah, I really like that. Well, speaking of engineers, let's talk about some real ones. The Vansar oh. begin to make a series of precise calculations for the continued existence of Necromunda. Taking actions based upon the results, thousands of agents of the House of Artifice set off to other hive cities, wasteland outposts, and even off-world to shift the odds back in the favour of their home. So, hear me out. I think they're going to strap, like, jet engines or plasma thrusters onto the base of Hive Primus and shoot that thing in space. We are going to see hives in space. Cool. Um, just for our listeners, just so I can give you a bit of a detail about what happens behind the scenes here. Sometimes we find that we talk a little bit too much about certain points and we give each other the wrap-up. So I'm just going to do that now, Sam. I'll just give you the wrap-up on that one because not only is it insane, but I'm no, concerned. No, no, it's not insane. I'm not the only one who thinks this. There are learned scholars within our community who agree with me, all right? Men and women of learning and education, you hole digging grub. Hole <laughs> digging grub. <laughs> I'm assuming this is your little council of caryatid haters that I've heard rumours of. And you get together, you paint each other blue, and you get angry about the fact that you look like caryatids. I am not going to deny that there may be such an organisation <laughs> as the one you describe. No. But in all seriousness, the first rule about Karyatid Club is you do not talk about Karyatid Club. <laughs> the second point I'm going to make here is I think it would be rad if the Vansar came together and were like, you know, let's just send this bitch into outer space. There's, there's oh. all these issues on the planet. Let's get off the planet because nothing ever goes bad in space. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I do like your, um, in all seriousness, let's talk about flying hives. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what, what do I, you think they're doing then? I think, I think they're going to do what they did through the entire Aranthian succession. What was nothing. that, Sam? Yeah, <laughs> one one gal wound up in Corn's throne room. Yeah, um, uh, a bunch of them sided with Lady Credo. We we don't talk about that though. Yeah. Um, there. That being said, there is a very cool Vansar character we're going to talk about at the end of the episode. Yes, there he is. There is. That he one is one. very cool. He is an outlaw Vansar. I was just about yes. to say he's not really a Vansar. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. We'll talk about that character at the end. And this it's a perfect segue to move away from flying hives in space. Let's just uh, put an underline under that one and never come back to it. You're welcome. Well, I, I will 
I'll agree to disagree. <laughs> he still will. All right. So plots and plans, millennia in the making, come to fruition as the mechanisms of House Aranthus take over the social hierarchy of Necromunda. With the blessing of the guilds, clans, and no- nobles, Ozzy, actually, I'll just let me try it one more time. Ozostium. Nice. Was that it? Yes. Yeah, that was yes. I hear the cheers from all the fans. Ozostium <laughs> takes the throne of the hive world, having turned its most ancient traditions against it and subverted its people to accept him as their new overlord. He's done it. He's done the Aranthian succession. But this, this goes back to what you said. Was it last episode or the episode before? You cannot just assume that because you are a Helmor or you are a Yulanti or whatever you are, you can't just assume that because of my position, because of my power, I will become the next ruler. Ozzy, yeah. through, through House Aranthus, through the actions of Lady Credo for this, through everything, has done exactly what you were talking about last book has subverted the nobles, has gained the financial backing, but also the verbal backing of all of these nobles and clans and guilds. And I'm, I'm just assuming, please tell me if you think otherwise, those few remaining members of the Adeptus Terra or the Ministorum or the Munitorium. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it def- he has definitely done that and taken over control of them. And there's a great line from within Ruins of Yardland. I'll just read that. And it, pure, it, it directly explains exactly what, I, what Ozzy's pathway was. It seemed to Hera that after all these years, the lie of Necromunda had been revealed, that the power lay not with the noble houses, but with the subjects who served them. Boom. Yes. Oh. And what has overrun Primus? The, the mad people. The, the, the will of the people. The will of the people. The popular exactly. vote. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Even the Imperium is twisting to this. The Imperium's going, well, what's going to work for us? Is it going to have Aussie in power or is it going to have Hera in power? Mate, it's Aussie. So we're going to take him on board. We are going to allow his succession to take hold, whether that be that they are under thrall or that they are simply going, look, we need some form of stability brought to the planet and it's not going to come from the Halmors and the other noble houses. What else is there? It just, it just doesn't seem to me that any... Uh, I think that the, the vast majority of people making these decisions, your nobles, your guilders, your clanners, so many of them are looking at this and just being like, everywhere Aranthus is taking control of seems to be at peace. Lady Hera, on the other hand, was a nut job who just started killing people. Every time she got involved in something, people died. There were purges. There were, mm. you know, the, the, her, she was getting her enforcers to kill people in Hive Primus because they were faith traders and they weren't. The prophet hadn't even got there yet. So, yeah, true. How, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. How much of this comes down to, to just them having enough of Hera? 
Yeah, Aussie it, it, brings in a completely different way, I, I think, way and ideology of leadership. And I guess it's due also to the fact that he is a corrupting psychic voice inside the, the heads of a lot of the Necromundans at this time. But, well, not a lot of them because there's this particular group that he's not in, in the heads of, and that's the old, uh, the old Delacroix who <laughs> have already have the silent ones chewing their ear off. So they're probably a bit immune to it. Actually states that uh, House Delacroix were absent from uh, Aussie's, I guess, what would you call it, inauguration? or Yeah, the inauguration. Yeah, his inauguration, yeah. And it's, it says, yeah, the House of Shadowed had disappeared leaving the other houses to wonder if they had been extinguished by Ozostian's agents or perhaps they were formulating their, their own plans. That's that's pretty interesting. I'm thinking it's probably that they're creating their own plans, their own nefarious fishiness. I think it's less that and more, uh, hey, didn't we kill this guy and his entire family that time? So um, maybe <laughs> we won't gatecrash his party if he's about to become the new uh, imperial governor? That is that is very true, actually. <laughs> just thinking, I reckon this bloke's got a pretty decent memory. We're going to uh, boot off from here. But <laughs> sort of referencing to something I'd mentioned earlier in the episode, the the idea of validation from the the Imperium is is really important for Aussie to be able to, I guess, maintain control or establish control at least. Yeah, and. It states quite clearly in the book that the Adeptus Terra were had basically given the right of passage to to Aussie, and it says, "What is it? Those representatives of Adeptus Terra, nominally there to oversee the interests of the Imperium, were handpicked by the Aranthian, as in Aussie, from long-serving local servants. Their loyalty already given to Ozostium." and their reports to their off-world masters reassuring that order had been restored to Necromunda. So now is the capacity to do what you want because, as you mentioned earlier, the majority of the military forces are off Necromunda. The forces that should be loyal to Terra or to the Imperium are either too small to have any sort of influence or already under the will of Aussie. So, But looking at that, it's not even that. It's just he knows that if he controls the information going out, he controls everything the Imperium knows because all lines of communication off-planet are done by Bid Astropathic Choir or anything like that. You control the Choir Masters, you control those communications. If you control uh, transport and travel off-world, even as simple as... You know, heading up to the Eye of Selene. If you control that, you control what the Imperium learns, what they receive physically. Everything he's doing is ensuring that the only information that gets out is Azostium's information. He is ensuring that the only thing people learn are what he is willing to teach. Yeah, yeah, that that is very true. And I I think you have the, the other nobles would be on board as well and that that comes about because as you mentioned Hera's reign is horrific it is death blood and slaughter left right and center every solution 
to her was who do we kill? <laughs> yeah. there, there, there has to be a particular person or group or whatever. We wipe them out. We, we solve my, my whatever issues I have. So she was a very blunt tool. And so it, I, I don't necessarily know if all the noble houses are on board with Aussie, but they're most certainly sick of what they've just been part of for the last however many weeks or months or whatever it was, especially during the time of the Great Darkness. But they don't even have to be on board. They just have to be against Hera. Or Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just being against Hera and just taking on that the new well, they're not new, but they're basically taking on a, the Aranthian house and saying, Oh, welcome back to the fold. We're 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 very happy you're here. Um, we were rooting for you the whole time. <laughs> exactly. You know, you had that unfortunate business in Hive Mortis, but you know, we we knew you'd persevere and get through it, boss. Oh, uh, you know, we're uh, we're fourteenth cousins, eleven times removed <laughs> on my mother's next door neighbor's dog walker's side. So I'm basically a ranting as well. Why wouldn't I want you to win? <laughs> exactly. So I mean, for the for the nuts and bolts of it. This is the Aranthian succession complete in a way. Um, All right, end of the episode. Yeah, well, I mean, there's obviously a lot more going on. The Aranthian has succeeded. Basically, yeah, that's that's what this says, and it even (laughs) says in the book that the 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 sigils and the help the marks of uh, House Holmore were struck from the grand plazas and gateways of the Hive City. so they're gone. Now, it, it's interesting whether or not that the whole house is gone or whether or not it is them removed as the principal, you know, noble house and there is some uh, element of them left, which there would be. There would be still elements that would draw themselves as Helmore. Well, but what their power looks like is, is unbeknownst to us. Well, there were 30 siblings. Hera yeah. took out 12 of them. Yeah. All right. So... There's 18 left, including yeah. Hera. Where are the other, who are the other 17? Where are they? Yeah, but then like, there's also there's also extended family. Yeah, well, yes, I'm talking about just Ronty's kids. Like we're not yeah. talking about Uncle What's His Face and Aunt Who's It. Like that's yeah. those are those are just even more cogs in this machine. Mm. Like. Yeah, so, yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, we, we should move on to the next point, but just to, to sort of wrap it all up is we don't really get an understanding of what House Helmore looks like now. Is it a has it been completely liquidated, or is it a skeleton of itself, or is it an underground, you know, network, or what has become of Helmore? That'll be very interesting to see when that is totally revealed to us, and and what kind of power and what kind of establishment they have on Necromunda, considering that big Aussie has uh, effectively completed the succession. Do you think any of the Helmore children who survived might be looking at this and might have actually sided with Azostium over Hera? Oh, definitely. Definitely. They, they would side with him and probably on the, on the basis of, well, if I can show that I'm a good Helmore then I'll get a pat on the, the head and I'll be allowed to, you know, get his coffee. Yeah. You know? so, or at least keep my head. Yeah, well, that, that would be the principal thing. Like, you know, 
I'll survive first and then I'll work my way up to um, Royal freaking Coffee Grabber or Royal Royal Grammar. Coffee Grabber. <laughs> or whatever whatever position they think they might be able to amass and then henceforth be able to reestablish themselves as a Helmore. But I think also the the repercussions from the other houses towards the Helmores would be very interesting as well because mm. they would have a long list of vendettas, I'm assuming, that they want oh. to revisit. On, like, on, on Hera particularly, but any Helmore will do. Any Helmore will do. Like the whole Helmore family, let's be honest, you said it episodes ago. They're really just the strongest gang leaders. And, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't become someone like, you don't become a planetary governor by being a nice bloke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's going to suck for them. In fact, I think it's going to suck for any supporters of House Helmore that are still around, which is quite ironic because supporters of House Helmore are dealt with harshly within the Spire. In their zeal to appease their new master, many nobles betray their own kin, welcoming Lord Azostium to the Spire on a carpet of broken corpses whose only crime was questioning who the new Lord Helmore was going to be. <laughs> so they genuinely just said, I wonder which of the Helmore kids is going to be in charge. And next thing you know, Aunt Who's It from before has stabbed you repeatedly in the neck and then yep. a giant metal man is walking on you, really yep. just rubbing your face in the dirt while you're down. Yeah, well, shankity shank should not have asked that question. You are done. But that, like, I mean, it's classic Necromunda, isn't it? They're like, oh, Hera was so horrible to us. Look what she did. Oh, we're in power now. Now, for us yeah. to be able to do that horrible nonsense. So, okay. what was it before? Uh, was it the last episode? Why does, why when we overturn the tyrant, do we always get a brand new tyrant? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and so there, I, I don't know what Oz, Ozzy is looking for, but. Is he looking for a carpet of corpses? Who knows? And oh, but, but the nobles of of Necromunda go, this is what he'd be looking for, a carpet of corpses, because yeah. that's what the Helmors have looked for for thousands of years. So they will he'll appreciate what we're doing for him. Which at the end of the day, again, we don't know his as I mentioned earlier in the episode, what the long game is, but No. It's just classic Necromunda, classic tomfoolery, I'm going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, a dozen of the largest Mercators gather in secret within Gothra's Needle to discuss the rise of House Aranthus. The various merchant guilds conclude that should this new master endorse their contracts and ensure their wealth, they will serve him willingly. Though should their coffers be threatened, a change of leadership will need to take place. They're inspired, I guess, by modern events. They're going, oh, leadership changes. Oh, wow. Well, we're the we're the merchant guilds. We're the ones of power. They're the true power of Necromunda. So we can just depose the leader whenever we feel like. I think this is a... You dummies. Yeah, it's a you very dangerous game. Dummies. No. <sighs> He's, he's literally just killed his way to the 
tippity top of your entire civilization, and they're like, yeah, we'll just we'll just won't let them have money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy. It's like it's like I can imagine them bringing a knife to a gunfight sort of thing. They rock up and they go, well, we've got all these writs in place, and we're going to turn this against you. And old Uncle Ozzy would just be like, righto, time to bring out me metallic skeleton friends, and you're all dead. Not, he doesn't even need to do that. He just turns around and goes, that's fine. Um, anyone loyal to me or loyal to the prophet and his redemption, uh, don't work for these people. All True. of a sudden, yeah. they, they can be as merchant guildy as they want. They can have as many little contracts and, you know, you know patents and stat- statues of office or whatever they want. They can have all of it. Ozzy says you don't have employees, so unfortunately, you're done. Yeah, you're no longer a guild. You are a group of people who are claiming a title because then we have a brand new merchant guild yep. or whatever for whatever particular guild it's going to be because they would just set it up themselves with the, with the aid of the noble house. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Silly duffers. Ah, well... Just more retribution coming at us here. Because after supporting the wrong Helmore and then trying to change his allegiance to the Aranthians, Master Merchant Abakith, Lord of the Mercators of Primus, has an unfortunate accident while ascending the thousand stairs to the spire, tripping and falling his way to his messy demise. Um... He got thrown through. down every yeah. single one of those stairs <laughs> repeatedly. It's a pretty straightforward uh, understanding of what happened to him. He had a forced fall. <laughs> it's just like in that uh, scene in Ace Ventura 2 when he's got the slinky going down the temple stairs. Yeah, yeah, I, can yeah. just, I can just imagine like this, this pair of Goliath who are loyal to the redemption are just throwing him down and they're watching <laughs> him roll and he stops at the stair or one stair down from the bottom and there's the, one of them goes, oh, can we do it again? Yeah. And it was just like, yes, yeah, yes, we can. <laughs> they take him back up the top and throw him back down. Um, but also his name is Abacith, which is like Abacus, but with a lisp. No, I was going to say, I was actually going to mention this. It sounds like Mike Tyson saying, have a kiss. Have a kiss. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, Mike Tyson, actually a, uh, a listener of the podcast, and yes. now no, I'm assuming no. coming after you. Uh, no, but I like Mike Tyson. Yeah, well, it shouldn't have mocked the way he spoke. <laughs> I think it's cute. Anyway. <laughs> As House Aranthus returns, oh, more House Aranthus, shock yeah. horror. As House Aranthus returns from the shadows, it causes surprise, but mostly confusion among the greater population of High Primus. After years of work by the Imperial House to purge any evidence of the ancient Necromundans, few references to its existence remain. Osostium soon disabuses the inhabitants of High Primus of these notions as armed enforcers raise the banners of House Aranthus once more and noble soldiers shout its name from the spire. Very interesting, isn't it? Because remember from our Compendium episode way back when, and we talked about that Imperial Eagle that has the um, Necromunda skull in it. 
you know. Yes. So we know that as the the symbol of House Helmwall. So now modern Necromunda, or going forward from this point onwards, the seven pointed star of House Arrakis needs to be established as that symbol. And this is not just within a lorical sense. This is across all gamuts of the game, you know. So where you're playing a game and you're in high primer somewhere, that should be represented on your tabletop, that the spray-painted marking is the seven-pointed star. No, 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 no. I have to disagree with you. The seven-pointed star should be painted properly. It's a it's it's the symbol of the ruling house of Necromunda. Spray painted over the top of that is the symbol of Helmore. Like you need to remember, yeah, the, the agents of the Aranthians uh, would be going through and destroying all evidence of the former Imperial House. Yes. Because they wanna they wanna remove that from people's minds. But you're gonna have those loyal sons and daughters uh, of Necromunda who, for some foolish reason, are like, yeah, but we like the Helmores better. And they're going to be spraying up the Helmore eagle or the, you know, the Helmore face, whatever it is. And then they'll be righteously destroyed by the forces of our correct and lawful leader, Planetary Governor Azostia Maranthus. Praise be unto his name, unto his na- name, be praised. And we have a proper convert of the zealot. Oh. I don't want to get thrown down a bunch of stairs by some uh, Goliath. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. I think it's... I, when I finally actually paint some terrain, I'm yeah. going to make sure that I have uh, some seven-pointed stars on there. But what I want to know, is it the seven-pointed star with that bird's head in the middle? Because that is sick. So, yeah, that was my next question as well, is what exactly does this symbol look like? Because I don't think we see it anywhere. I've had a good peruse through the book, and I have not seen it. I have Googled it, and I have not seen it. Well, we have seen one version of it on the, I think it was the cover page of the Hides of Temenos, False of Temenos. Uh where we saw the seven-pointed star that had the bird's head on the inside there. That's right. We did too, dude. But was that, I don't know, was that Credo's emblem or was that like what the, the, the true Aranthian symbol? I don't know. But then and further to that, what is, what's the now imperial slash Aranthian symbol look like, you know? That's what they would be displaying across yeah, the cities. Yeah, they're going to try be their own personal one. Yeah, they they would want to uh, bring in the um, the Imperial Eagle into it as well, wouldn't they? You'd have to. Um, You'd have to. It, yeah. I, I can imagine it's like the Imperial Eagle with a, a seven-pointed star for, like, in place of its body almost, do you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I yeah, don't I don't know. know. Like, we're, we're speculating on stuff that is... And well, we don't like to reach. speculate. Uh, <laughs> we are not a podcast that believes in speculation yeah. at all. So yeah. don't speculate uh, because it will get you thrown into prison. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, it's Necromunda just going through a rebranding, basically. Oh, my God. Necromunda is basically Twitter. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> oh my god, Zostium is Elon Musk. It makes so much sense. <laughs> a giant robot man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, oh, god, right. Emperor, save us all. Yeah. But speaking of weird things in outer space, and once again, I'm not talking about Elon Musk. Tales of the return of Somnus, unheard of so soon after an appearance, spread fear and confusion among the populace of many hives. Unknown to most, these rumours are spread by the immortal cult of Necromunda, whose psyches feast on the terror of the hive world, turning it into etheric energy for their shadowy masters. Those crazy buttholes are at it again. I... Such a good description of it. I really do like it. Every time they show up, everything just goes redonkulous. I love these nut jobs. One day I'm going to make a gang of them. I I just I just need to be able to turn every member of my gang into a psyker, but you have to roll a uh, scatter dice and whatever direction it rolls into. The closest model, friend or foe, is what you have to fire your psychic power at. <laughs> Honestly, the immortal cult are—I <laughs> can't think of a better way to think it. They're dicks, basically, right? But yeah. all their planning comes about like I have a great plan, and we're going to execute it. Have we thought about the contingencies? Have we thought about other plans? Have we thought about something else? I have a great plan and we're going to execute it. And that's it. And they get stuck in this. They put the blinkers on and they just go head first into it. But every time they have a plan, it just seems to be do a bunch of ghast, do psycho <laughs> stuff and <laughs> dot, 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 step four, profit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have... Uh, step one, step two, and fill in the blanks. And fill in the blank. Yeah. Profit. Like, <laughs> I love them. I, I love them. I love everything about them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they are I, silly. I am, I am happy they got a mention yeah. in somewhere within the Iranian succession. I think they've been mentioned every episode. Have they? Really? I didn't think we mentioned them in the in the previous episode. Oh, no, we did it. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because it'd be them and Secundus. Them and Secundus have somehow yeah. showed up every episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's just the Secundus has. We know that. Secundus as well, but Secundus deserves it. It's a fantastic place to yeah, be. Yeah, Secundus is great. I yeah. love it. Uh, anyway, I want to live there. No, no, that the people of and the, the cults, the genes of the cults within Secundus don't want to be there. That's why they're no. forever trying to get out. Why they're trying to get out, yeah. Anyway, moving on to our next one. House Ranlow and House Green make a secret alliance to preserve their power against the return of House Aranthus. There's a bit more of this read to go, but I will insert my own little two cents here. The beginning of a bonkers idea. Anywho, reading into it. <laughs> Battalions of Green Hive Militia are ferried by Ranlow stratoplanes to forbidden cities across Necromunda. Their orders to seal the military bases against all intrusion and wait for word from their masters. This is a silly, silly idea. You're and only saying that hurt. because they're on stratoplanes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I somehow believe that somebody listened to an episode of ours and went, we better bang them in there. Let's get yeah. stratoplanes in here. Yeah. yeah. 
It's like, um, what's, the, what's the dumbest thing we can do here? Let's make a bunch of them fly around in stratoplates. Why would you want to do that? Just to annoy the man vent. I'm in for it. But I love that these two houses are basically like, oh, yeah, we're going to support him. We're going to do that. That's cool and everything. But just in case, let's just take a whole bunch of our military and send them to these forbidden cities and then seal the. They're basically doing what I have theorized those Aranthian troops have done, where they've gone to these military places. They're just sealing themselves in. The, the Grand Militia are most likely not going into stasis. I understand that. But they're basically just saying, we're, just, we're going to close the doors, not gas ourselves, which is necromundan <laughs> tradition. Yeah. We're just going to close the doors and wait. We're just going to wait and see what happens. This is what the Enforcers did, and everything went to hell. Mm-hmm. Like, I, exactly. I foresee these grime militia and all of that becoming very important later on. I don't know why. I don't know how. But I have a feeling they are, they are going to be very important later on. So I'll just say a couple of things about this. One is that these noble houses are still run by the, the worst of their house. Yes. As, as thanks to Lady Hera. Correct. Two, if these are known military facilities and they're going there to seal themselves in, I dare say the Aranthians are already on top of that. And from what we can see, they have a very effective and very clandestine army. So I think you're right. They are going to pay a part in it, the part of a speed hump to Lady Credo's army. Oh, they are going to be no sort of challenge at all uh, in comparison to anyone that Azostium sends towards them. Uh, yeah. They may comfortably fight back against um, gang houses, yeah. nomads, all that sort of stuff. They're not doing anything against the Aranthians. No. No, they, they will not be a footnote on their strategic pages. Was it... Uh, it was definitely last episode where you mentioned that the forces that are going to be... Sorry, the plans that are going to be put in place by these new leaders, these noble houses, aren't exactly going to be top tier. Yeah. And yeah, we are we are seeing that here. This is <laughs> well, this is a dummy service. move. Yeah, this is a dummy move, buddy. Um, you probably you probably should just maybe go home, have a nap, because Aussie, no, Aussie's already outwitted you. Yeah, it's like it's a classic example of. Have it, sleep on it. Go have a sleep on it yeah. and then come back. Yeah. And if it's still a good idea in the morning, go for it. Yeah, just go have, have a, a little think snoozle. about it then. Not yeah. now. Don't yeah. move armed <laughs> forces into military complexes and then be like, oh, oh, how did you know we were doing that? Long story short, we're basically just making fun of these nobles now. They're dummies. Uh, yeah. yeah, dummies. <laughs> oh, I want something a little bit more lighthearted. Yes. All across the great equatorial wastes. The nomad tribes attack settlements, outposts, and hives in huge numbers. Countless towns and people are wiped out, their existence scoured from the face of the hive world. 
Though this is not the goal of the nomads, who press on towards the peaks of the equatorial spine and the massive squat holds that shelter in its mountains. So, when I said light-hearted, I meant that in like the, the way of like the royal light-heartedness. It's light-hearted for the nomads. Uh, those poor, what, settlements, outposts and hives. Uh, yeah, no, it sucks for them. Uh, so... Sorry, guys, I shouldn't be making fun. On the plus side, uh, one thing that was mentioned during that meeting we mentioned earlier are the millions of nomads getting together. They specifically stated that they were going to destroy the half-men. So the the actual reading here is, never in the long history of the nomads had the world spoken to its children, though it did so now guiding the leaders of the Ash Waste Nomads to wage war upon their most ancient of enemies, the Half-Men in their burrows. So, my theory is that they hate the Squats because the Squats maintain control of the, the underways, the tunnels, you know, cavern cities which mayhaps the nomads would be laying claim to as their own? Yeah, that, that would make sense. Like, they basically control uh, the ne- Necronu Mangian tunnels. Yeah. They also are, like, mining, mineral mining, and they're probably du- disrupting the whatever ecology that the, uh, the nomads have. Uh, I think also because, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but they've been on Necromunda for a long time as well, the squats. Well, they, uh, the original squat inhabitants, I believe, came through right after the Horus Heresy. Uh, in fact, the sort of the rebuilding efforts on Necromunda were basically spearheaded by the squats. And it's squat technology that allows what small amounts of breathable atmosphere to, you know, actually continue on Necromunda. Right. Oh, so it makes sense that the nomads would see them as their great enemy or their most long-hated enemy. So yeah, absolutely. Going after them, I totally understand, but it's, it's interesting they're, they're going after the holds, which is, you know, even if you're a, a novice to any fantasy or sci-fi, sci-fi realm, you don't go after a dwarven hold. So that just shows the the power that the nomads believe they have at the moment. Well, this this is actually a great little lead back to some old school Warhammer 40,000 lore, where when the Imperium and the squats actually came into contact with each other, the Imperium, at the height of the Great Crusade, had problems getting into squat holds, where to the point of, they had they basically just went, Hey, we're humans, you're kind of humans. How about we how about we just be friends? Like we join together, but you can maintain your legitimacy. And they they allowed it. Like the squads yeah. were basically saying, Yeah, we're instead of running the meat grinder on each other, yeah, cool. All right, we'll do that. Yeah. But you have nomads who are attacking these squat holds however they can and quite possibly winning. Like, that's, yeah. that's yeah. scary. 
And I think it's it's not even about the quality or the strategy that they're using. It is a purely about the numbers that they're bringing to these fights and all the nasty, weird gribblies they'd be bringing to the fights as well. Plus, remember, we still have the World Storm kicking on in some parts as well. Oh, yeah. It, so this would be utilised as well. Yeah. So we don't really know what's happened to these um, squat holds. We, I'm, I'm assuming that some have fallen or are in the midst of falling or, you know, in the midst of holding 100%. off. Yeah. But we, obviously we know Yardland has um, gone the way of the dodo, but that's, you know, that's Wait, not really? exactly nomadic. When did, when did that happen? <laughs> Just to, <laughs> it'll escape you, mate. <laughs> oh, don't tell me it's ruined. No, no, I won't tell you that. It's just, um, Good. it just got a different aesthetic now these days. Oh, yeah. cool! Real it's feng shui. Yeah, it's <laughs> <the fun laughs> <way>. <laughs> G still is rocking around with demolition charges, just trying to set the uh, the ruins in the right way. <laughs> I like the way the energy flows now. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, look, moving on from this because we do we are going to talk a little bit more about the uh, the nomads. Um, it it is it is interesting to see how this will evolve this this war between the nomads and the squats. And let's be clear, it is a war. Sorry, let's be clear, it is a war between the nomads and the squats that is being contained purely just to Necromunda because the vast army of nomads that's being uh, gathered, and also the fact that the the squats are calling all their clansmen and kinfolk back to their holds. So they yeah. understand they're under threat. So, yeah, very clearly this is not a gang fight. This is one of those 5,000-point games, minimum. Why is it that everyone who isn't human seems to be smarter than the humans? Well, the, the, the humans are smarter because there's more of us. Quantity. No, we seem to be universally dummy dum-dums. No. What is the great quote? Quantity has a quality all of its own. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, while the bulk of the nomadic tribes move east toward the equatorial spine, a number travel west toward the Poison Sea. Made up mostly of warriors of the oil-run stalkers, they lay siege to the floating hives of the toxic ocean, beginning a war waged on chem tides between ramshackle sump ships and great mutant sea beasts summoned from the deep by the nomads. You need to say something about this now because... Oh, man, it's in my belly and it's bubbling up and I need to say it. Gang uh, idea. It is, it is campaign idea. It's gang oh, idea. It's man. miniature idea. I love the idea of the mutant sea beasts that are being summoned. That sounds so freaking cool. This, is, this gives you so much. And remember the oil run stalkers spirit is that black, sickly looking thing with the yeah. tentacles and so forth. So... There's so much going on at, now at the Poison Sea and different ways of fighting as well. So fighting from barges while the, the tides smash into the barge. It's, it's brilliant. It just ticks all the boxes. I will say, however, I do feel sorry for the particular people at Poison Sea or living near or around the Poison Sea. They've gone well, through the Great Darkness. Yep. They've gone through the rise of the Chaos Hallet cults that have come up. Yes, that's right. They've get, then gone through the Redemptionists coming. I'm assuming the Redemptionists are everywhere, so they're there. 
And now they've finally got some stabilisation. They're going, okay, we have a new house in power, the Oranthians, and then the nomads rock up. So have it almost as bad as uh, Dust Falls. Uh, the free state of set. Sorry, my apologies, the free state yeah. of set. And just remember, you put you put the respect due on your uh, voice when you mention those words. But so, no, I'm gonna ref, I'm gonna restrain myself from blurting it all out at once. But just imagine how awesome it is that there are these floating hives, not floating hive singular, floating hives. Like, are there? Are there, like, engines underneath so that they can travel the sea? Are they, are they chained to the ground like buoys? Like, so they're, like, just bobbing up and down? Like, there's just, oh, man, there's, there's terrain ideas from this. There's campaign ideas. But then just the gang ideas. Like, you, you basically just get a whole mess of the gribbliest beasts you can from the Tyranid range and just cut them in half and stick them on, like, bases that you can use as boats and then have, like, howdars full of these oil-run stalker nomads on the back of them and then you're building sump boats for your human gangs and, like, I'm picturing gangs of, like, Poison ocean fishermen, like oh. that are that are hunting like the mutant squid, and That's like awesome. Like you'd model them all. Like all their heavy weapons would be harpoon guns yes. or flamers, and yeah. oh man, have, like flare guns and stuff like this. Yeah. Oh mate, that would actually be sick, and make them look like they're out on an ocean, you know. Yes. So yes. gun up in like heavy coats, and you imagine they're just. Oh, do you know who did it really good? Was uh, Game of Thrones, and it was the oh, what were they called? The ones who lived on Iron the ocean. Islanders. Iron Islanders. When you saw them all clad up in their cloaks and their yeah. armor, yeah, and they just they they looked unwieldy. But they could, like, they still look deadly. That's what I imagine yeah. this gang would look like. Like, just a little bit too many layers, but they'd still look absolutely crazy killy. Yes. Oh, yeah. man. Also, like, you'd, I'd probably run them as Orlocks because then you can give your leader one of those power claws yes. and have that, like, you know, you, you do, like, a fish scale motif up it. Yeah. And, you know, he'd be, because you'd, obviously, you'd probably use the, uh, the, Orlock models because like your arms master with that hammer you yeah. do it like a huge bill hook yes like for, yeah, for dragging like when they're, yeah. when they're boarding each other like they're boarding poaching ships and oh my with the power fist you make like a captain's hook yes you know, right? so it's just oh. this, a really nasty almost orc looking hook it's just extra chunky it's just designed to just cleave into things do you remember the uh the vampire counts no, the was the pirates of the va- vampires of the pirate coast. Pa- pirates pirate, of the vampire yeah. coast. Um, this sounds like when they were trying to come up with the name for a movie, and they just started throwing yeah. pirates into every other vampire, word. Vampire, pa- pirate, pirate, coast, 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 coast pirate. vampires, yeah. coast vampire. Is on pirate. Coast. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> how about we just go pirates of the vampire coast? Done. 
Um, but picture them, but in 40K. Do you remember there was a white dwarf years ago where someone had actually converted up the pirate to the vampire coast and they were the mixture of the like the militia kits and the Empire State Troops and the yes. zombies. And yes, I do remember that. Like, that's, hey, that's a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. I've got that issue here somewhere. Um, but I loved that because you could really go to town of like on the front of your um, sump ship, mount this huge cannon yes. and like really do it up as like as a pirate ship. Yeah, because yeah. this is this is the vessel that goes out with the fishing crews to ensure that you know these nomad attackers or um, you know those those uh, cord off you know ship jumpers mm. or whatever don't attack your fishing vessels. Like you've, oh man, and we, we've and we've got rules for sump boats already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know what I would do though, which would be really cool, and it makes no sense. You have like almost sort of like a 40k type rigging on the ship. And then yeah. you give your gangers like drop rigs so that they can descend from the rigging. I reckon oh. that'd be so cool. Oh. But then you've got the special rules of being knocked into the poison sea. Like mm. you can't just hang out there. Like it's, it's melting you or it's burning you or there's mm. stuff underneath pulling you down or biting you. Like you're going to mm. want to try and scrabble back up onto your. On, onto your boat, like, oh. So, yeah, one last one I'll make about this, though. Powder monkeys. They would be sick. Oh, my God. <laughs> They'd be mutants, and the people of the, the people of the floating hives would totally accept them because yeah. they, they, have, um, they have six fingers and, and a thumb on each hand, yeah. and, like, there's this particular group of this particular powder monkey family, but yeah. they're, like, accepted because they're their family just happened to be the best climbers in the yeah, hive yeah. and like, or they've got uh, like monkey hand feet where they, yeah. they climb like that because they've somehow made that maybe evolved that way. Yeah. But you could, yeah, man, you could do some really outrageous stuff. And yeah. I think the locals would accept it because we know Necromundans are already a little bit accepting of mutants anyway, but a place like the, these floating hives, because these mutants have such specialist, like, mutations, they're yeah. like, oh, oh, man. Yeah, you're oh, functional. Man. You're usable. Yeah. You're or okay. You've, yeah. yeah, or just, you know, you've just got a, a crew member named Lug. He's not a Goliath, but he's, he's just this mammoth of a man, and yeah. his whole job is to pick up the cannon and move it to the other side if another boat comes. Yeah, and yeah, they'd just yeah. be like, "That's just Lug. Like, you don't, you don't mess with him." Yeah, yeah don't, <sighs> don't worry about his tail. That's fine. Yeah, don't worry Keeps about his going. tail. It, I, I'm picturing him as basically a scaly from the old yeah. Scabby's range, oh, and everyone's yeah. just like, "They had a oh, harpoon gun too." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, I have so many gangs, <laughs> and we have so many reading points. Oh, I know. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, we're sticking to that Nomads theme just here. Now, we haven't mentioned this character yet, but Terra's Shadow is something we're going to be talking about later on. But I'll give you some quick information before we go into that later on, if you haven't read the book yet. Terra's Shadow is the grapple hawk that actually spends a lot of time with Asengar, the Lady of Ash. 
In fact, Terry's Shadow is not just your average itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny grapple hook that you might be used to. It is literally described as the greatest of the beasts that accompanies the Lady of Ash. In fact, it is described as being so large that it can it is strong enough to threaten vehicles. And more than one ridge runner or quad has been hauled aloft by the creature. So it ain't exactly a pigeon. <laughs> it's not the sparrow of the uh the yeah, Ashway state. This ain't your grandmama's grapple hook. Yeah. But Terra's yeah. shadow becomes the harbinger of the Ashwaste nomad armies. The massive cybernetic avian is seen perched on the wrecks and ruins outside settlements or on ridgeways before nomad war parties spill forth from the storm clouds to kill, burn, and destroy everything in their path. They are not playing. They want their planet back, and they are no longer Ooh. asking. They are telling you it is time to leave. Ooh. 100%, 100%. And, and this is what I mentioned earlier when I was talking about them and the squats. This is, this is a war for them. Yes. This is – and it, it's, what I find interesting about this, is, is, is it a pre-planned? Like have they sort of gone, okay, we're, gonna, we're going to have this conflict at this particular time because Somnus is here or the Portents were saying this or whatever, or are they taking advantage of the destabilisation that's taking happening? Taking advantage. They are taking advantage because they see the planet is weakened and they have a prime opportunity to, to get back what they see as theirs. Let me ask you another question then, without being too sort of, I don't know, strategic. The, the logistics of organising all of that since the Great Darkness took hold? You're off, absolutely right. It just seems... For everyone else, this is impossible. The nomads have been in communication with each other the whole time, remember? Oh, that, that is true. They did organise the assault on Cedrac City as well. They, they have had yeah. ways of communicating with each other the whole time. And for anyone else, mm. including, I believe, the Aranthians and Credo and Prophet, all of them, for anyone else, I believe this would be impossible. Not yeah, for the nomads. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Because, like, you see what it took to organise millions for the profit. Do you know what I mean? Um, it took a, a basically a psychic calling plus the word spreading everywhere for this vast horde to gather up. And yet we're talking, I, I'm assuming, similar numbers with the nomads, and yet it seems like a clandestine way but of doing we it. We didn't need a psychic calling. We didn't need a... Um, a revolution or a succession or anything like that. All the nomads needed was for the planet to talk to the great spirits. The planet has spoken, the great spirits answered, and they have brought their armies with them. Do you know what? It, all, it makes sense. It also does sound like somebody who's taken way too many funky mushrooms just once this yeah. planet was speaking to the spirit, I was ready to go. Are you okay? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys? Do you guys want to go? I don't know. Maybe raid some floating hives. Get some squids. Yeah. Um, go hang out with that big scaly fella. 
Yeah, listen, you know what, man? All right. Let's rush up to them as quickly as possible and welcome them to the neighborhood. You guys bring the snacks. Why does everyone keep shooting at us whenever we rush towards their house to welcome them here? I just don't get it. They kind of kind of yeah. makes me want to maim killing bird, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what the planet said to the spirit, which spirit then said to me. So that kind of makes sense. I go it kill makes something. a lot of sense. Yeah. It, it does sound like cocoa bananas, but it, it also amazingly makes sense. Anyway, while, while most settlements are a little match for the forces of the Lady of Ash... The nomad war parties encounter savage resistance in their assault on Big Fist, a mining settlement populated by ogrens. The hulking creatures are too stubborn to retreat and too stupid to be afraid of the strange outlanders and their insectoid creatures, fighting a relentless defence until the nomads move on to easier prey. Well done, lads. You can just, well, you can just imagine dumb, the ogrens are like, huh, what? <laughs> They shoot at us. Yep. That sandstorm's rather bitey. It really stings. I'm going punch bug man now. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to attack anyone, attack humans, attack squats, attack gene stealer cultists, attack gangers on ridge haulers and convoys, attack whatever you want. Leave the ogrins alone. Just leave them alone. <laughs> Because you, you you stab them, they laugh, and then eat your arm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but this is this is what happens when you take your strategic and tactical advice from a planet talking to a spirit Correct. that leaves a message in your head. Yeah, it so, makes you attack Ogrins, <laughs> and now who's yeah. the dummy? Exactly. They, they they probably once the nomads leave, they're just like, oh, yeah, cool, business as usual, move on, back at it, kids. Just let's. Who wants to go back to another headbutting competition? I do, I do. <laughs> well, right. let's get back to some uh, good old-fashioned imperial nonsense. Enforcers attempt to break out of the noose closing around the dust wall. Convoys of iron crawlers and venators carve up the wasteland, pursued by packs of dust lapback helamite riders and nomad war parties. Adding to the chaos of the breakout is the shadow of the vortex, pummeling both hunters and the hunted with toxic rain and gravitic lightning. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. You've got an entire nation of ash waste nomads coming at you. You are trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. So the dust wall is, is a very interesting part of Necromunda, and especially at this time as well. It is getting absolutely hammered. And in the read, it actually says it's the noose closing around the dust wall. Because what's happening here is, although we were trying to shift away from the nomads, they're attacking the dust wall. But on the other side of that, the Maelstrains and the Gene Sealy cults are still attacking the dust wall as well. So they're pushing from both sides, and it is getting absolutely devastated. In the wake of all this, this is also Lady Hera's final destination of where she wants to be. And the reason for that is there is a battalion of enforcers who she knows are loyal to the Helmors, and she intends on using them to reclaim her power in High Primus. Classic Lady Hera going, I will get the bluntest instrument I have, which is enforcers, 
and I will fight my way back to the throne of Necromunda, which is from everything we've talked about, it, it won't work. It, it's it's not it's not the strategy to win power on Necromunda as Ozzy has shown. But I feel sorry for the enforcers on, on Dustwall. But more importantly, I feel sorry for the mighty Logan Kane. Yeah, he is such a cool character. Uh, probably one of the best characters, in my opinion, introduced in this book. Now, yeah, Lady Hera is freaking out a little bit, obviously. She's just been kicked out of Hive Primus. And you know what? She's right. There's a whole mess of enforcers loyal to House Helmore right there at the Dust Wall. But man, did she pick a really crappy time to go sightseeing, right? Yeah, what's happening at the Dust Wall and to Logan Kane is horrendous. And it's it's written up, oh, I think quite sadly, within the book as well. Despite the fury of the Maelstrain assault and the spreading storm, Provost Marshal Logan Kane, commander of the 17th Palanite Enforcer Battalion and master of the Dust Wall, was more concerned about the tide of ash-waste nomads sweeping in from the west. Rightly so, the defences of the Dust Wall were turned inward against the ruins of Hive Secundus, and Logan had few emplacements protecting the back of his garrison. Attacks from the equatorial waste had always been sporadic and r- random, nomad war parties hitting outland settlements or lone convoys before disappearing back into the wilds. Not this time, however. So this gives us an indication of the horrible situation that the 17th Palanite Enforced Battalion is, in, is currently embroiled in. Gene Sillers to the front of me, Nomads to the back of me, and here I am, stuck in the middle. With- I was going to sing that, and then I'm like, no, we've sung enough in this episode. And you <laughs> jumped straight into it. I am so proud of you. Um, yes. But I love the fact that He's looking at this. He's genuinely fighting a battle on two fronts. And then he gets this coded Vox transmission from Hive Primus where he realised the fate of the Dust Wall might not be his primary concern and that loyal agents of the Palanites still within the Hive City reported that Lady Hera had fled the Spire and the Hive's systems and defences were largely in the hands of those loyal to the Prophet. So he basically just said, looks at it and goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. He breaks down the situation in his mind and then he effectively decides he himself is going to go and get Hera. But he actually calls up someone we mentioned, I believe, in the first episode of the Aranthian Succession. He calls up a man by the name of Dagos One-Eye and the 88th Penal... Sorry, Dustwall Penal Battalion. Dagos One-Eye is the illegitimate son of Gerontius Helmore. Yes, really. He's one of the illegitimate sons. Now, Dagos One Eye is obviously the leader of the 88th. The 88th is a motley collection of ex gangers, criminals, and outcasts, and they're often sent into the abyss 
to deal with Xenos outbreaks, an expendable force used to preserve the strength of the Dustwallen forces. This time, Dagos and the 88th were sent to defend the military city of Ashgrad, where the dust road began in earnest. Side note, Ashgrad is where my Van Sargang, the Ashgrad Technoclasts, are based. You can tell by the name. Technoclasts. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was like, Ash, Ashgard. No, they wouldn't come from Ashgard. That's too obvious. Uh, Why would you do? Oh, yeah, Technoclasts. I've got it. But it. imagine yeah. turning to the illegitimate son of the, you know, the former planetary ruler who is leading a bunch of regs, like X. They're, they're straight up just. I'm imagining these guys being told, all right, well, you're either going to be killed or you go live on the dust wall. And day one, boot camp, you're handed to this guy with, who I'm guessing is just enormous, has one eye, and is like, yep, there's two rules. Rule number one, everyone gets a beating every morning. Rule number two, there will be subsequent beatings. And, yeah, I, I love this. And I love the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm going to go rescue your sister. See you in a minute. Yeah. Logan Kane is just, he's just so good. He's just so good. Wicked awesome character. He just, that small little section about him is one page. And this is what we love to do. You you could draw so much about this character and they don't even, so there's not really much aesthetic information, I guess, other than the, the, the one picture we see of him. And he's just got his trusty stub pistol. He looks like just a a genuine like enforcer, but the nature of this character and what he does to go off to try and save Hera is brilliant. I love this character enough to make me want to go off and collect Palanites. Look, we can go into more about Logan Kane and and the rest of them later on in the episode, but uh, we'll work, we'll roll into the next section. Yes. In the wake of the Nomad's Campaign of Terror, Wasteland creatures of all kinds crawl forth from their lairs to feast upon the dead. Ash lions, dust stalkers, millsaw packs, and ripperjack swarms all descend upon the ravaged settlements, forcing survivors to fight their way through throngs of outland horrors. A lot of bugs there. What a a lot of bugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of gribblies to be destroying. But what a way to play a game of just like no, a holdout. Don't. Oh, that is so good. I'm thinking like, what was it called, the Vin Diesel movie? Um, Pitch Black. Pitch Black, that's it. I'm thinking like Pitch Black style, just swarms of things attacking an overturned cargo eight or something like that. And he's got a handful of gangers just trying to hold out or also trying to, I don't know, free up their cargo or something. So have a few little mission parameters they've got to throw in there. And it's, you know, it's a half-hour game of, yes, you get experience for killing, but the main thing is to try and get out of here, try and bolt, you know? So, okay, picture this. you got a six-by-four board, all right? Smack bang in the middle, just like you said, overturned ridge hauler, all right? Uh, you have two gangs of... Five minis. No, random five. Okay. Yep. On the opposite side, you have three 
Beastmasters. And they are the ones directing these monsters at you. And each yeah, be- like cool. each person in charge of the Beastmaster, or if it's just one person in charge of the Beastmaster, whatever, uh, what you do is you roll a D6 and one is Ash Lions, two is Duststalkers, three is Millisaurs, four is Ripperjacks, five is Grapplehawks, and six is you get to choose. All right? Yep. And uh, then what happens is... Oh, let me think. How would I do this? Uh, every time you roll that, you then roll a D3, and you get that many of that monster, and they go towards... The setters, you don't know what you're going to be fighting. It might be Millisaurs, yeah. it might be Ripper Jacks, it might be giant rats. Like, but these yeah, these yeah, beastmasters yeah. are able to sort of send their 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 wards towards you. Oh, that is that's terrifying because that's you're cool. trying to grab your cargo and get away, but you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. what if I what if I hold out? I can kill these monsters, get this experience and that. Except at turn three, it's two d six. At turn, at turn five, oh, it's, a it's 2d6 ball. plus 2d3. Like. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I get you. So the only thing I would say differently is that you would make the incentivize it so that the opposing gang, destroying the opposing gang is worthwhile yeah, yeah. for you. But then also have it that the Beastmasters are controlled at random by the 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 player who's got the initiative. Oh, Do you know what yeah. I mean? So, so so you can actually use those swarms to swarm around the opposing gang, you know, send them after them and so forth. And that that makes it a little bit more fear fear inducing because you know that whatever swarms coming after you is actively there to destroy you because your opponent wants that to happen and not yeah. just randomness happening to it. Yeah. That's cool. That'd be that would be an awesome game. Absolutely terrifying. And then what you could do is because it's the beast swarming up, you could have weather effects kick in, like yes. you know, a dust storm or something sweeps over. Oh, just god awful. And like the option is, you can just bolt. Yeah, as you well. you can just you can run. Like, you can, yeah, but yeah, you can just be like, I am not. I'm not going to try and hold on to my cargo here. I'm getting the hell out of dodge. Oh. That'd be a that'd be also be a great uh, game for me to play with the Pied Piper of Primus and his yes. what was yeah. it one hundred yeah. uh, Necromundia rats or nine rats, rats in there. Yeah. Yeah. just one drunk corridor. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Now that would be such a cool can like such a cool mission to fight, and that's what I always talk about within the games is the the fear that the, the, the game can do to you, whether it be losing a gang member, whether it be the surrounds, whether it be getting off the table. This would be about trying to get out with your cargo, but also just knowing that at any stage you could be shredded by the beast. And you, you would punish the... I know it's brutal, but you would also punish for anybody who gets taken out of action. Oh, no, that's, I mean? yeah, that's going to suck. Like, you... Yeah. They have to re-roll, oh. you know what I mean, to see if they're, they're actually actually dead, you know. And they're like maybe maybe they have to roll for however many turns they were dead for. You roll, you make that many rolls and pick the worst result. Oh man, you know what I mean. So if they get taken out of action, say two and two, and you and you played for six turns, they would have to make four rolls on that table, and that just represents the beast, just you know, tearing apart whatever's oh, left of them. That's. 
I love that. I love that. It's disgustingly brutal. And it'd, it'd probably get some players just like, nah, I'm not doing that. It's silly. Nah, I'm, you know, I'm all for but... it. Do it. Do it. Silly, silly stuff is the best stuff. Yeah. Just brutal. Oh. Um, but yeah, that's, that's enough of our campaign idea. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's just a mission. Sorry. Like, that's it. Sorry. That's enough of our mission idea. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I really want to play that game. We should play that game. I should build. Yeah. I should build these uh, hundred, hundred rats, and now I need some millisaurs, yeah. and I need some ash lions, and I need some ripper jacks, and some dust stalkers. Oh man! Okay, it's going to be an. Ex- That's interesting though. What do you what do you think ash lions are? Uh, I think they are insects that swarm, and they have mandibles, uh, much like the real life ant lion. Nathan, we're. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I think. What yeah. do you think they are? I don't know. Maybe actual nah, that's lions? Dumb. That's a dumb idea. You're dumb. <laughs> Your imagination is bad. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Thank you, thank you very much for clearing that up for me. Okay. <sighs> Speaking of uh, bad imaginations, read the next point. Driven by unseasonable weather and the awakened psychic presence of the broodspire, the vortex increases in intensity. Such is its renewed fury, the winds screaming through the high passes of the equatorial mountains can be heard as far away as Hive Primus in the west and Hive Vosroth in the east. Some Hivers claiming it is the world itself wailing in pain. Oh, oh those mushrooms are really kicking in now. Yeah. Um, you're in a hive and you're just hearing the world screaming. You're like, what's next? What's, what's, next? Like- what's next, geese? Um, yeah. yeah, mate. It is, it's insane because, yeah, it's almost becoming this perfect storm for the gene stealer cult where everything yes. is building up to seem to be almost forcing them to try and break out. It's forcing them to to want to expand and destroy. And it's not just the Cicatrix Maledictum that's doing this. Somnus, obviously. Um, the, the, the will of the Prophet, what that is causing upon the Empyrean. The, the let's be honest, the, the psychic alien Necron robot clone man. Aussie. Like, there's, <laughs> there's so much adding to this, and it's just... It's it's all just insane. It is all just insane, and man, there's going to be so many gene stealers. Like once again, just get yeah. off Necromunda. Go go to Armageddon. Like go into the heart of the sun. It will be a more pleasant experience than, than continuing to live on Necromunda. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is is purely just setting the scene for. Well, we didn't try and hide it too much, but there are gene stealers now absolutely everywhere across Necromunda. <laughs> and somebody's going to have to press the big E button, the old exterminators button, because we don't know how to get they rid of it. They wouldn't do it. They would not do it. The planet is too important. I believe they might virus bomb it. They might attempt to just, and just replace the people. the people. Well, didn't they do that on Armageddon? After the was it the first or second? It was the first war. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Where 
all the humans who had fought alongside the uh, the Space Wolves. The Grey Knights went, okay, time to uh, time to play your vanishing time act to now, retire, humans. humans. We're sending you to a <laughs> yes, farm exactly. world where there's lots of other humans yeah. to play with. Um, <laughs> and you're all going to have a lovely time. Really? Yes. No, no. In fact, literally no. all of you are being turned into like leather, leather that where they're yeah. going to burn. Everyone gets a side yeah. bolt. You get a side bolt. You get a side bolt. You, you yeah. just looked at me strangely. You get two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, this is definitely the the scene setter, I think for this book, if we are going to talk about potential outcomes from this book, as, uh, have sort of mentioned earlier, there's a lot of loose, loose ends, but I think we're going to have something a little bit more concrete with what's going on here. Mate, this is all, this is all leading to the next campaign or the next setting and, Oh, I want to go into this theory at the end of the episode, but I'm calling it now. It's Delark and Gene Steeler cult. It's got to be. It's got to be. Combining forces. That's amazing. Oh, yes, they... The silent ones are a broodlord. Uh, what do I know? A hero titan. Wow. Yeah. Listen, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's destroy the, the background of two <laughs> gangs by just mashing them together. And it's like, yes, genius writing. Well played. The uh, the the, the Delac were gene stealers the whole time. What? How, how did they hide the ridges? Uh, they never did. The ridges were there the whole time. You just weren't looking. You called them mountains. We called them ridges. You're hurting the podcast. No. <laughs> well, that's enough about the merging of two gang histories. That gang. That's enough about the merging of two gang backgrounds. It never actually happened. Let's continue with our discussion on current state of Necromunda. Yeah, fine. <laughs> All out war comes to the eastern reaches of the Palatine Plateau. On the dust wall, the enforced defensive battalions are assailed by creatures from the Secundan Abyss. While the squat holds face the fury of ash waste nomads, little help comes to aid these beleaguered defenders as the hives close their gates and turn their attention to their new masters. I said it before, this is a war. Yep. You, you do not waste resources on people who are not your own in a situation like this. And before. that's what the hives are saying. Yep. They're, okay. they're going, nope, nope, not our problem. You know, it's, we, we laughed about it before. Shut the gates. Don't turn on the gas. Just shut the gates. <laughs> Cut it down. Just, yeah. <laughs> but this is exactly okay. anyway, exactly what I was talking about. This is an all-out war that has struck Necromunda, and it is in the form. Like the, for me, it's the nomads persecuting persecuting the most open war, but it is also the gene sealer cults that are providing the secondary element to this war as well. So, Your I, person. I think, I think that somewhere, somehow, the planetary Rift forces, the Imperial Fist, something needs to be involved to wrest control back to Necromunda. And I, if I was to say, be a speculating betting man, I'm going to say that old Ozzy is going to show his value to the Imperium by stomping out this wall. 
and basically oh. hurting the gene stealers and hurting the the nomads. Okay. Oh, okay. That's mm. not. That's not something I would have expected. Um, no, it's very strategic, so I don't think you would have. But yeah, go on. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that's basically that's not the path I would have expected him to take. But the way you say that, the way you're basically saying, yeah, you know what he's going to do? He's going to turn around, do something the Imperium hasn't been able to do yeah. under the control of the Helmors, but yeah. it is able to be done under the Aranthians. That is, that is a big move. Yeah. And if he can pull it off, oh, man. You get the squats on board. You get all of the noble houses, even the clan houses would be on board. They said, "Look what it, look what this leader has done for us." So he begins to change the dynamic of not just replacing a tyrant with a tyrant, but replacing a tyrant with a savior. Oh, replacing a tyrant with a savior. It's still a tyrant, but under the guise of a savior. Oh, I love it. I I love it. Yep. No. Done. Done. If he does it. <laughs> He has my vote. <laughs> and, if G- and if it does happen, GW, like, I need to acknowledge it was my idea. So yep. I don't care yep. if they've already got it written. It's my idea. Yeah, done. <laughs> All well, right. Throwing a little no. bit of love back to my pals over with the Ashways Nomads. Nomad Stormcallers summon up choking clouds of ash and dust to cover the advance of the Lady of Ash and her minions. These storm fronts bury countless ridgeways, cutting off hive from hive and settlement from settlement. Countless guild and gang convoys losing their way in the confusion and falling prey to the waiting nomad war parties. This once again shows the nomads having mastery over the environment that we mere mortals do not understand. And... I've said it a whole mess during this series. I wish we'd been able to do a Nomads episode before this. Yeah. yeah. Because some of the weird technological stuff they have access to, uh, you know, especially for a group of people who, you know, are seen as less civilised, it's crazy that they have these abilities. Now, is it technological? Is it perhaps... uh, the gift of psychers, anything like that. We we don't really know. But all in all, I think it's very, very cool, especially in the fashion they're doing it. Almost that turning the planet against the the invaders, the, the colonizers that are the Imperial citizens of Necromunda. Yeah, look, I, I I'm with you. In, in this thing that it is cool that they have all these different skills, abilities, techniques, technology, whatever you want to have to it. But I also agree with you as well that we should have done a Nomad episode beforehand because just to get an understanding of what their population looks like, what their technology looks like, um, and just to, to, to get a bit of a feel for them because I feel like this book exemplifies them quite a lot and says, these are the big nasty. They are coming for everybody. You know, grab grab your washing, grab your linen, 
get the hell out of there sort of thing. But um, you, I don't really get a sense of that from Nomads when I look at a Nomad gang. Like, no. Uh, no. You know, I don't I get I can't envisage them in an army concept. And I would love to have seen within this book a little bit more artwork dedicated to them looking like a an army. There is some beautiful wide shots that they do. Yeah. But nothing that really sort of has a great amount of detail. So it, it also hurts us in that respect that we didn't really know much about their numbers until this book. So we knew there were individual tribes. We knew there were individual territories. We knew nothing of this confederation of tribes. You know, as far as we were aware, the tribes fought each other as much as anyone else. So as much as I would have loved to have done a full Nomads episode, as, we, as time goes by, we get more information, and it's definitely an episode we're going to do in the future. As, as of right now, we still don't really have enough info. Yeah, yeah, the, the stuff about the Great Spirits is awesome. But anyway, moving away from our little nomad friends, uh, moving on to the Charter Lords of Tapferkeet, Thavdhol, Anglish, and Scragfried like bonfires in their ancestral halls to remember the squats of Yardland. For days, stone speakers recite the 10,000 words of loss in the graven tongue while draw kin sharpen their blades and check their bolt guns in preparation for retribution against the ash waste nomad tribes. Now, this is something that I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about the Yardland itself. So its destruction, is it's quite clear that it, it it's at the hands of the gene stealers, mm. but less clear, and only until this point here, that it is also at the hands of the nomads. They somehow the gene sealer cults and the nomads have attacked uh yardland whether it be at the same time or whether they were you know the gene sealers had put the gene sealer cult sorry had put so much pressure on yardland that they became an easy target for the nomads it's not really clearly stated um but i i do think that you you definitely have three elements that are involved in the destruction of Yardland, and that is the Gene Stealer Cults, the Nomads, and the Squats themselves. No, you are 100% correct, and it goes back to your little song from before, you know, Gene Seals to the left of me, Nomads to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with a bunch of other arrogant Squats who don't believe they can do any wrong in regards <laughs> to what we're doing with our lives. In the I, middle I with you. I was going to say, I believe that's <laughs> the actual proper verse. Yeah, um, that, that's in the uh, director's cut of the song. But <laughs> yes, you are, you are 100% correct, man. Um, there were three forces that caused the damage to the squats of Yardlin. Uh, it was the Gene Stealer cult, which we, I think we all agree. They dug into their territory. It was the nomads who, while the squats were distracted by the gene stealers, the nomads took advantage of that. Yeah. And it was the squats who, whether it be hubris, arrogance, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, they were the ones who did this in the end. No one else is to blame. Well, let me just put it this way, and it's very reminiscent of Warhammer Fantasy Dwarves. 
why build your hold next to a known gene stealer infestation? They build their holds in some of the most silly places, or they try and recapture hold in the most silly of places. It's like you it's leave Carrick Eight Peaks out of this, right? <laughs> yeah, I love Skarsnick. He's my favorite character from the Orphan Goblin Armies, and he did everything right. Skarsnick did no wrong. Okay, silly dwarves. Okay, this is this is worrying because. We agree entirely on that fact that the greatest goblin of all time is Snarsnick, primarily because he has Gobbler. Yes. Or the, uh, oh, who was the fatty on the chariot who ate uh, troll meat? Grom the paunch of Misty Mountain. Oh, yes. my boy. But he was a proper gobbo. This is not our Warhammer the Old World podcast. That debuts next month. Uh, <laughs> the old world with old man Nath and young man Samuel. Um, young man Samuel. <laughs> blow it out your nose. But back to Necromunda. Back to Necromunda, yes, please do. I am really excited for this one. High above the equatorial spine and the toxic cloud layers that cover it, planes and airships fight over the airborne trade routes. House ran low long a supporter of House Helmore, must defend its right to the lucrative sky contracts as other clans, houses, and raiders target their cargo planes in savage dogfights and daring high-altitude boarding actions. I'm not going to say it. You all know I'm thinking it. Gang idea. I lied. I was going to say it. <laughs> sky pirates. Sky pirates. Sky pirates. That's, that's the whole idea. I'm just saying it. Sky Extrapolate pirates. on your own. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. But no, I want aircraft in Necromunda. Bring it into the ash wastes. I think it'd be very, like, just very cool doing strafing runs and anti aircraft yeah. runs on the back of vehicles. And it that just gives me. Really cool. Yeah. You know, it just gives me an excuse to buy that uh, Adeptus Mechanicus Archaeocopter. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I want it so bad. The Da Vinci Mobile. Yeah. Oh, mate. <laughs> Look, I, I love this. I, for me, I love the idea of um, gangs and other houses trying to manufacture their own planes or getting whatever they can to get up in the sky to destabilise House Ranlow so that they can be become the preeminent or the dominant within the air. And so you've just got all kinds of ramshackle nonsense going up against stratoplanes that are mainly... Uh, built for trade and not combat. Yeah. Also, how much are you going to trust like a helicopter or a plane or a pile of rocks that has been built by some Schweiss mechanic? Like, I don't believe he has a genuine degree in aeronautical engineering or design. No, absolutely not. Do you know who actually would make really cool aircraft? And I hate to say it, the Vansar. Well, they would make some absolutely sick aircraft. You know what would make a great aircraft? No, it wouldn't. A hive. A <laughs> hive. If we strap enough jet engines to it, hey, come on, they did it with the phalanx. We can do it with a hive. Let me let me let me try this on for size. I've heard this a lot. Um, you're hurting the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. 
Well, let's move away from crazy airborne hives and back to our nomadic friends. The Lady of Ash and her tribe strike at the western entrance to the Necromagnium underway. An alliance of gangs, guilders and squats fight to hold them back. Though eventually the defenders are forced to retreat into the underway, the nomads blasting their way in behind them and taking the war into the vast tunnel network beneath the equatorial spine. Yeah, buddy. There's a lot going on there because now you have the the nomads within the, the tunnelway, which is dangerous. And I, I still believe that Credo's army has access to that tunnelway as well. Yes. So I, I think we are going to have some sort of engagement. It can't you can't have two significant forces like this not actually meeting each other in some way shape or form and now that i don't know really what's happened to the pilgrimage and we know that a lot of it's been dispersed to go across and spread the word across necromunda but there sure surely would there would be enough forces left to create some sort of militant arm you know the the corridor mark two that they would be at the whim of the the prophet which is consequently at the whim of ozzy who would say go clear these tunnels i need this for my forces but you can't imagine that we have we have let's round it down to a nice even number we have a million nomads all right and i get it the the tunnels of the underway go across the entirety of the planet but they're going to be converging under hives or huh, under hive. They're going to be converging <laughs> under hives or they're, you know, um, central stations and that sort of thing there. Yep. Those are points you're going to want to capture, whether you are part of the million strong nomad army or the tens of millions strong pilgrimage or the, even if it's just a hundred thousand strong army of Lady Credo. Like, there are, there are certain points everyone is going to want to capture purely for their strategic location. And you are 100% correct. There needs to be a conflict between these forces coming together. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's interesting that you say that you think the, the nomads would be capturing. So you, you think they would because I think, I don't know, I see them just wiping out areas. Yeah, so um, I've, I've definitely um, missed represented what I believe the nomads would yeah, be doing. Okay. Yeah. I think they would be capturing it, taking what they can carry, yeah. and then burning the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think throughout this book, it sort of gives it that indication of them as well, is that they leave hives, towns, cities, whatever, in their wake, and they just wreck and move on. So, and that would sort of speak true to their their sort of, I guess, ethos of, we want you gone, we want... The yes. footprint that you've left on our planet, gone. Yeah, and um, that's what I'm saying. Like, they would be capturing it, looting it, and then mm. destroying it, not because they want to destroy it, but because they want to destroy it to stop their enemies from having it. Yeah, almost like a scorched earth yes. type, type process that they'd be going through. But, yeah, there's, there's, there's more going on in the tunnels, and I will, we'll come back to it a little bit later. It is, it is important. It involves one or two important characters in there as well. But you're seeing now, and it, it says that the squats, guilders, and gangs are all fighting together here. Yeah. They're, they're seeing 
the planet has just gone through a continuous case of, you know, a, a greater, more influential enemy that helps unite X, Y, and Z factions together because they look at that and go, well, you know what? We, if, if we don't stand together against them, they're going to wipe us all out individually. And we keep seeing this on Necromunda during this yeah. time period where, hey, I hate you, you hate me, but we can't kill each other if these guys kill us. Yeah, exactly. And, like, a, a really good example is, and it's probably sm- or smaller in scale, is the Goliath attack on Cinderac City. There's yep. a lot of factions there that just banded together because they, th- they just looked at it and went, the Goliath are coming, and they aren't going to be checking what your allegiance has been for the last, you know, five years or whatever. They're just going to be stomping face. Yes. And obviously you have that against the Chaos Hallowed Cults and so forth. So, yeah, I think I, the, the Nomads are the big trigger in this book, but uh, I don't think it is, it's really given as to why they're doing what they're doing. But that's a, a different, well, sorry, not why, more so what their end goal is. Other than the simple complete, end goal. Yeah, I, I believe it's just, it is the simple end goal. Complete eradication. No, but I, I just can't see it. it. It's not a feasible end goal. No matter how big, no matter how big the Ash Waste Army is, no matter how much power, sorry, no matter how much power or technology they have behind them, it does not, it does not match the vast population and the unity that they would create within that population of Necromunda who would stand up against them. I really disagree. Totally disagree. I think with enough, with enough time, same thing with Goliath, with enough time, all, all people on Necromunda will eventually be Goliaths because they are the only ones who can survive. But if the nomads set off a bomb in the right place and maybe shut down a plasma generator or blow up a goddamn pl- plasma generator... And a hive burns. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they if they get advanced enough that they can attack the right part of the hive in the right way, or the right part of the settlement in the right way, or they cut the power to the 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 air cleaners, or the sorry the air scrubbers, or the water the filtration system. Yeah. You know, you, you kill the right piece of technology, and the nomads seem to be. Pretty cluey with certain pieces of technology. I think they could do it. Okay, I I I see your point of view. I I still don't think they're capable, but I, I actually do see your point of view. I don't agree with you though. You got, just got no faith in the little guy. No, absolutely <sighs> not. No. Well, this next point here actually touches on what I said earlier. Not my entirely correct point on how the nomads could conquer Necromunda, but. My point on the nomads attacking key locations. Nomads hunt hivers and squats in the gloom of the underway. Places like Jericho Junction, Three Stops, and the Sea Line Interchange all become the sites of bloody battles. Abandoning the major trade tunnels to the nomads, the Ironhead clans retreat towards their holds planning to weather this latest crisis as they have weathered so many before it. They're hitting the important places and everyone is going, nah, 
no, nah, we we can't we can't stay here. Fall back. Yeah, I like how you say everyone is saying that they uh, can't stay here and fall back. Let me just check that again. The Iron Head clans retreat retreat towards their holes. Right. The, and everyone still alive <laughs> is saying we need to go back home. This what about the hivers and the gangers and the clanners? What's happening to them? No. The dwarves are doing what the dwarves yeah. do best. Uh, this is going great, guys. See you later. We've got a couple of four walls we're going to hide behind. Hold the line. We have an idea. What's your idea? <laughs> Wait, guys, where, where, where'd you go? <laughs> you just hear the, 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 the pitter-patter of tiny dwarf feet as they run down the, run down the tunnels. <laughs> Just off in the distance. <laughs> again, again, I trusted them at Yardland. They did the same. <laughs> hi-ho, hi-ho, <laughs> right out of here we go. Yeah. No, that, I, I, I have no problems with the Scots or the Leagues of Bollywood votes, but their, their stunted nature makes me angry at them. And they would do this in any fantasy or any sci-fi world that they're in. Because if, if it ain't one of their lives... It's not important enough to defend. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anywho. Oh, sorry. Any hi ho. Any hi ho. <laughs> <laughs> Without the numbers or the firepower to stop the Lady of Ash, a ragtag army of gangs and gilded coin merchants, drivers, and tunnel wardens start to seal the rail and road tunnels behind them as they retreat. In a final savage battle, they block off the eastern end of the underway turning the massive guns of Clan Hold Estfort against the tunnel entrance and blasting it to ruin. It's exactly what I mentioned. Exactly what I mentioned. The, we're not talking about this. There's no squat mention here. It's the a ragtag army of gangs, guild of coin merchants, drivers and tunnel wardens. The, all the people who heard those little peter-patter of feet disappearing off the distance <laughs> of God. You well, absolute mongrels. Hear me out. Yeah, they've, go they've on. Managed, no, 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 I'm actually going to defend your point here. Oh, okay, good. They've been left behind. Yeah. And they sit there and go, literally, our last chance of, um, our last chance of survival is not to keep fighting. It's to, it's to shut everything down and... You know, we can we can reopen it later on. We close it off now. We might survive long enough to open it up again. And they are literally just blowing it up. So yeah, if yeah. if they don't have it, no one can have it. Well, and it also it's it prevents the nomads from having access as well. That's yeah. I think that's the main thing that I see in that is that one scorch, scorch earth policy. And then number two is we need to stop them from getting deeper and deeper within this tunnel network. Yeah. Because I can imagine they'd just be like rats in the tunnel. They'd just be freaking everywhere. they just cause so much grief. But, yes, the squats, the dwarves, <laughs> letting, the, letting the regular guys down. <laughs> it's that lower centre of gravity. It's easier to let you down. <laughs> it absolutely is. And this is why... Certain members of this podcast play that particular army because they know how to let you down too. Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
if we if we step away from all the times, I'm assuming the squats have let people down, much like Steve routinely lets us down. We can also move away from the tunnels altogether because Nath, something awesome is happening up above. The dust wall, long a bastion against the horrors of Hive Secundus, begins to fail. Hordes of Malstrains batter the defences surrounding the fallen hive, while Ashwaist nomads attack the enforcer positions holding the edges of the Secundan quarantine zone. In the confusion, many servants of the Broodspire escape into the greater wastelands of Necromunda. If ever the term the enemy of my enemy has been applicable in Necromunda, it is right now where the nomads are actively, maybe not working with the, the Malstrains or, you know, the, the cult of the Second Sun as the original cult in Hive Secundus was, but they all seem to have the same goal, which is bust through that wall and those poor bloody enforcers and militia and penal legions, like, Honestly, it's just the worst place to be right now. It's truly horrendous what's happening to the the defenders of the Dust Wall. It's bonkers because you're coming up against two factions that will not take any prisoners. So there's no trading for hostages. I know we did mention earlier in the episode that the the nomads had taken some prisoners and whatever, but I don't think that's a, a common thing. And especially if they're attacking the Dust Wall, they don't care about Palanite forces. I I think um, not being taken prisoner by a group like the Nomads or the Gene Sealer Cults is a good thing because um, I'm convinced the Nomads are going to eat you or the Gene Sealer Cult are either going to eat you or you end up macking on with, you know, Papa Patriarch and you join the cult. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, dying is the good option here. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I actually, like, as much as the enforcers are the ones that are talking, talked about, it is the, I think it's the poor bloody militias and so forth that have just been wrangled up and forced to be on the wall. They, they would get zero support. You know, there's no oh. fleet of Venators to get them out of there. They're just like, here's your, here's your lasgun and some goodwill. Good luck to you. Yeah, or go find your own lasgun. Here's a a hat and a little bit of sunscreen. Um, (laughs) By the way, the sunscreen is carcinogenic. Um, But, yeah, no, you're 100% on it. At least the enforcers get, I don't know, like weapons, armour, maybe food. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I do do actually have a gang idea from this point, though. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Is it Gene Stiller Cult Nomads? Because I think that would be sick. I, I, it was not Chains to the Cult Nomads, but it's actually awesome. I Imagine, like that. Instead of Helamite riders, they could ride like Hormigons? <laughs> no, what are the big ones? Um, not That's Hormigons. actually really funny. Um, no, um, riding Hormigons. Ride a Carnifex. No, they, they <laughs> stick with the because they bound, right? And they'd be like, they, they do like leaping bounds, the Hormigons. And that would oh. almost be like Squeak Hoppers. So, like Necromunda and Squeak Hoppers. Done. Done. Perfect. And we all know nomads are goblins. It's a shout out to our buddy Trent. 
That's his theory. <laughs> and I totally respect it that the nomads are actually goblins. And you sort of think about it, there's a lot of stuff that makes sense. But we'll talk about that in the nomads episode. But um, no, my gang idea is actually a group of enforcers that have escaped but have the gene sealer kiss or they're, you know, they're, they're infected by their, by the gene sealers and they yeah. go off to a hive and they are spreading their, their infection. So they become like a, a law enforcement group that is actually covertly undermining the authority by spreading the cult of the gene sealer throughout this particular hive. That's sick. Oh, that's sick. Because you can just imagine, like, they're going in, they're busting in to arrest these gang leaders or champions, or but they're arresting, like, ranking people. And then all of a sudden, the next day they're released and, you know, they're gang members or they're... um, they're gilder allies and that are like, oh, do you, we should, we should do something about this. And all of a sudden the person that was arrested is like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. You know, mm. misunderstanding, you know, they realized who I was in yeah. reality. They're part of the cult now. And, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh man, that's awesome. And so you would, your enforcers would still fundamentally look like enforcers. There would be only small little in inclinations or idea uh, concepts that would draw or draw them towards being part of a gene sealer cult so those those small little things could be like just a symbol or a badge or it could be an icon hanging from a belt or it could be a particular weapon that the gene sealer cults are not, uh, renowned for using that suddenly these enforcers have got off the black market and they're using so you would try to keep the the actual physical mutations down to a minimum but you would definitely try to get a psyker in there in some way, shape, or form to show that that is their their real ace in the hole when it comes yeah. to subverting and undermining the other gangs and the populace around them. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think, I think it'd be cool. Enforce a gene silicon. Which, yeah, it's one of those things that you can't do it in the rules. Yeah. But, yeah, I... I'm all for it. Like, yeah, no, just the, the concept of it. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't necessarily have to have the rules to support you in this. It's the way that you paint and the way that you model and design these miniatures that you yeah. can draw them across that. Almost in my mind when I was thinking about it, it's like they would have spoken to the brood spire or whoever it was and in begging for their lives, they said, we will spread your corruption better than any assault you'll launch, better than any sort of uh, underhanded method you use. We'll get in there and we'll spread the corruption in plain sight. Like I've sold, I've sold my soul yeah. to, uh, to survive, but I don't realise exactly what it's going to cost me. Oh, yeah. oh shivers. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. Pity you can't do it in the rules, but as I said, you can still yes, do you it. Can. Yes, you can. In your do brain, it. you do it. Do, do it. it inside your own Do head. it. I read it in the rule book. Don't read the rule book. Just, just agree with me. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's, it's done. Anyway, that, that's in, considering that's done, we'll uh, move on to our next point. We don't want to get stuck too much longer on the dust wall because there's not much of it left. In the murky depths of the Secundan Abyss, Malstrains and Brood Scum emerge from the ruins of Hyre Secundus in their thousands. 
those settlements brave enough to exist on the edge of the cursed pit are swiftly overrun, their populations killed or captured. The survivors added to the brood spires growing army. Soon a tide of Xenos horrors are spreading out across the exclusion zone towards the weakened defences of the dust wall. This is it. This is the game you're making that is Cordor and Goliath and Escher and Dalark and Orlok and Hive Scum and just everything and Enforcers and, um, I don't know, Ironhead Squats. This is everyone. These, these settlements killed or captured and just added to the army. Like, this is no longer your... You're just house gang that's been infected by the Gene Stealer Kiss. This is now, man. You can run. You can run any. This is an outcast gang. This is. Yes. You've got. You've got Goliath heavies and um, wild riders with bows whipping forward um, like labyrinths. Like that's this is cool. where. This is where the modeler in me just goes. Oh man, what's the what's the craziest thing I can come up with to fit within that that gene stealer idea? Like, yeah, they they've they've said this is it, done. They're erupting from the hive, and you can just imagine them washing over like that plague of locusts I talked about earlier. And the at the end of the battle, you've got the these ragged and battered survivors you know, forced down on their knees and it'll be one of the, one of the, um, the mal strains coming along and, you know, that overpositor just pops in allegiance to Big Daddy and all of a sudden they, they, they're a little bit confused at first but they get up and they join the army and yeah. over and over and over like, again. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. Oh, man. Like... And this this would really add to that eclectic look that the gene yeah. stealer cult can bring. Not just not just a bunch of blokes in mining suits, but your hive scum, your yeah. your guilders, your criminals. Like it's it's everyone. A collection that has no right or purpose to be together suddenly are unified by a cause or a purpose. And that is not necessarily their own cause or purpose, but the, the hive mind's cause. And oh, no, we're, we're, we're not talking about the profit anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. It's another type of religious crazy. It's a, Sorry, yeah. carry on, carry on. It's, it's very similar. I was actually thinking that as we are reading this on, that, you know, they're amassing an army. There's already the Nomad army. Then we have Credo's army. Then we have the Prophet's Zealot army, I guess. So there's and the Imperial Guards on their way still, and the Imperial Guards on their way. So there, there's a lot of factions vying for the principal role that Ozzy Aranthus has got, or at least having a more power. It'll be interesting to see what the Brood Spires army, I guess. Do we call it an army? Yeah, it's in their thousands. Yeah, it's an army, mate. That's an army. Mm. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see what the, the, the end goal for the Brute Spire is, whether it's just to influence the planet or just to expand their their role, or if it does have something to do with the emergence of Leviathan as well. So well, that's, 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 a, that's a sort of going a little bit too far in the future with it, but... 
I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's like Leviathan's like two hundred years away. I forget yeah. the jump from the fall of Cadia to sort of like modern. Yeah, 40K. yeah, the, the contemporary stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, two hundred years though to establish a, I guess, a bridgehead for a Tyranid fleet is probably not a great deal of time. But okay, I don't want to go into this too much before we finally yeah. do our Gene Stella Cult and Secundus yeah. episode. But Secundus was nuked as well, wasn't it? Secundus was. So didn't the needle fall from? It was hit by something. No, no, no. And it... The planet was it? Was it the skull or Secundus that was nuked? The skull. No, the skull had the orc rocks crash into it, and then they fired the planetary defense lasers at it, didn't they? Or was that that, Secundus? No, I think that was Secundus because it's spire. I remember that. There's there's actually an image of its spire buried into the ground. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Secundus was bombed with high-yield rad munitions. And then, yeah, you're absolutely right, the spire actually topples over. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So do you remember, I think it was 10,000-year history, they were described no longer as humans or gene stealer. They were like troglodyte, like mutants almost. Mm, yeah, that's I why remember I, that. Yeah, that's why I think we're not referring to them as gene stealers or cultists anymore, but mal strains and brood scum. I think they might have evolved or been mutated with that radiation into something else. That's and really interesting. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe, especially given the hive environment, all they need to do is breed and prepare. Like, so you think even in their mutated form, there's a chance that they have a connection with the hive mind? Like, say, the wife. Absolutely. Right. Um, And yeah, I, I. We're going to talk about this at the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> this is an interesting chat, actually. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about it a bit more because I, I, I have a different viewpoint of what the, the hive mind would be doing to them. Okay. But anyway, next point. Let's circle back to let's our actual episode. Let's, <laughs> let's not talk about the war on the dust wall for the moment because yeah. worse than the war for the dust wall is the psychic madness that pours out from the brood spire. Countless enforcers and gangers are driven insane, hurling themselves from the dust wall or turning their weapons on each other. Many of the defenders flee into the wasteland, hoping to reach the questionable safety of nearby hive cities. This is what I'm talking about. This psychic emanations coming from Secundus seem to be so inherently different to what your regular your regular hive fleet or gene stealer cult does it's it's affecting the defense of the dust wall in a different kind of way and yeah i i don't think they are regular gene stealer cult anymore so if they're not a regular gene stealer cult strain and they are a mutant then I feel like they would have a different impact in the way that they organise themselves, in a way that they would impact with the, the hive mind as well. Surely they would be seen as 
you know, some sort of aberrant strain that must be cut loose. I, do you see them being utilised? Do you see them being taken advantage of by the hive mind? Do you remember the, what were they called? Is it the 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 Yimgal gene stealers? Remember yes, the one with the dribbly the Zoidbergs, yeah. Remember that the um, the hive mind got there and went to went to absorb them, and then was just like, "Oh no, no, I don't, I don't want this." And then they left, and the Yimgal yeah, was just like, "What do you?" What are you doing? We we, we yeah. wish to re- we wish to return to the fleet. Um, yeah. So the hive mind has no desire to like to bring that biomass into itself. Yeah. I kind of feel that the regular gene stealer sort of sorry the regular tyranid hive mind would see this new necromunda strain and feel the same way. Be like. You yeah. are just a little bit too different. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? What what what's gonna grow on me if I absorb you into me? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So mm-hmm. I I don't know. I simply think that the the rad weapons used like the those real scorched earth weapons that the Necromundans fired into Secundus have altered them enough that they are different. It's why we're calling them malstrains, I think. Yeah. It's why we're I'm... calling them, you know, the, the the brood scum instead of just cultists, like I said. It's, yeah. There's... So we're going to see Necromunda with, when, when they flesh out, which I believe is going to happen, when they flesh out the Gene Sealer cult, we're going to see a very distinctive Gene Sealer cult that is... Um, localized to Necromunda and not the Gene Sealer cult that you see in the codexes. Okay, we're pausing this whole episode and we're going to talk about this now then. <laughs> Screw it. Um, I truly believe the Gene Sealer cult are going to get a House of Book treatment next. Right. Um, okay. And we're, it, it may be like, you know, House of Mel, Malstrains or, you know, the House of Secundus or whatever they want to call it. But we will see these Malstrains as maybe a champion option. Uh, we will see the the gang as possibly bring, being these brood scum. I think mm. we will see some real psychic shenanigans, some real mutation shenanigans, and maybe an expansion onto the what you can gene steal or cultify. Because, yes. Yeah, yes. because yeah. of the focus on Secundus and the stuff we're going to talk about at the end of the episode, I th- I think I think we are foolish to not realize that Games Workshop is going to capitalize on the the eldritch horror that the Gene Sealer cult can bring to the setting of Necromunda. Yeah, I, I think you 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 bang on with that, and to make it something I don't know more special, more original for the planet, they will they'll bring out a range of miniatures for it, and they'll bring out something that helps define the Gene Sealer cult as not just a box of 40k miniatures that you can then use in your games of necromunda exactly. Exactly. they're going to be their own thing with their own mutations their own variations their own impacts the way that they operate 
Um, it'll be it'll be very interesting. I think you will probably see them perhaps drift away from just inflicting or sorry affecting other gangs. If you know what I mean, like you, you still will see it, but the premise will be to when you run a Gene Steeler cult gang, you run the Gene Steeler cult gang. You don't run an Esho or a Vansar that has been purpled up. Really? I'm going the complete opposite. I agree that they're going to be a very distinct gang, but I would not be shocked, much like the Venator rules, to see some, uh, some house legacies or some faction legacy rules in there for maybe one of your champions. Kind of like Gene Smithing, kind of like Cyber Technica. I would not be shocked if they allowed you to take certain aspects of the house books. Right, okay, so yeah. I mean, certain yeah. aspects of the house books, not necessarily going, there's a whole gang now dedicated to the Gene Sealer cult. I and still think you'll be able to do that, 100%. See, I, I don't think you will. I think they'll push the idea of the, a Gene Sealer cult gang is a Gene Sealer cult gang. Just <clears throat> We talk about it in... Uh, Vaults of Temenos, the way that you have these crusading gangs, you might get something like that, but I just, I just don't feel like that would set the individual footprint of the Gene Sealer cult on Necromunda or this okay. this Malstrain cult. I, 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 I'm totally with you that it will be very thematic that mm. you'll be able to have all these gangs that are, are heavily influenced, but I think it would strip away from this particular strain of Gene Steeler cult that is on Necromunda. Okay. Yeah, well, hey, man, only time will tell just how correct I am, but <laughs> I think... <Rough> plug. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if Games Workshop don't write this, we'll write it, and we'll have... <laughs> it'll, it'll, be, it'll be our own type of Gene Steeler cult gang, but with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> In fact, forget the Gene Steeler cult gang. Um, yeah, I, I, would love to see, I would love to see this come true and then for us to see an Aranthian succession style campaign series based around Hive Secundus. But yeah. but we can talk about that at the end of the episode. Yeah, because there's important <laughs> things, important people to talk about. Yes. But let's talk about Maelstrom's just a little bit more with your next point. In an effort to stem the tide of Maelstrom's clawing their way out of the abyss, the defenders of Port Aegis wreak the settlement's massive twin cranes with explosives. After the bombs failed to detonate, a lone outland fighter officer set them off himself. The mysterious ganger fights his way through the throngs of enemies before reaching the cranes, triggering the bombs and sending tons of steel and countless Xenos horrors plummeting into the abyss. Now that is a character. That's a hero. And in my mind, our nameless gangland warrior is a survivor he actually triggers the bombs and boots off fleeing into the waste never to be seen <laughs> again <laughs> exactly that <laughs> sorry <my God. laughs> i knew that exactly one would get that. Yeah. <laughs> disappears into the waste just, just comes back like 19 books from now and yeah. be like yeah, so I was, uh, I was in Port Agus, and uh, yeah, I blew up some cranes, and everyone's just like, 
where did you go? He's just, I fled into the waste, never yeah. to be seen again. Until now. Da, yeah. Da, da. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I love this. This is that real gist. Well, I've got to do this for the collective good, you know, because this random, this random ganger is automatically better than every noble on Necromunda. 100%. Yeah. He goes against the status quo of Necromunda. He does something selfless, something heroic, mm. and not for any direct advantage to himself. Yeah, but he goes directly against everything except the fact it is for the greater good. That, yeah, yeah you know what, I'm going to die, but, man, my name might live on for a couple of years as... The, as Mysterious Ganger. Mysterious, mysterious Ganger <laughs> A. Ah, oh, mate, look, he, he needs his own dramatis persona, Mysterious Ganger. Mysterious Ganger. He has one special rule. If you have a crane set up on the table, yeah. you, you roll a D6. On anything apart from a one, the crane just falls. Yeah. On a one, he just explodes. He actually left the bomb in his pocket. Yeah. And then as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as either of those events happen, you take him off the table. Take off the table. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, also cost 3,000 credits. <laughs> I like him. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's, he's a, he's a favourite already. <laughs> All right, moving on from Mysterious Ganger. Despite some victories and the bulk of the Broodspire's forces being contained, many more spill out into the wasteland. These horrors attack dozens of major settlements beyond the Dust Wall's defensive lines. In places... Ash wastes nomads clash with Valstrains, the two sides testing their predatory skills against each other in a game of ambush and counter-ambush. That is sick! It's amazing they're playing the same game I played as a child. That's awesome. Ambush and counter-ambush. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's a game, obviously, everyone at Australian primary school learns <laughs> instinctively. I yeah. mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming our... Now, foreign listeners have something similar, yeah. but... Well, you, know. you would know. You Like, what did you play in New Zealand? <laughs> Sorry? Are you, are you trying... I, I can't quite hear what you're saying. What did you say? That was really well done. Was I like that. Um, <laughs> oh, were you born here? Listeners, uh, Nathan likes to mock the fact that I grew up internationally, despite the fact I was born here. It was a genuine question. I wasn't too sure you were born here, were you? I was, yes. Oh, okay, cool. I don't, I don't think you've ever mentioned that you were born here before. We've known each other a long time. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a running joke for us. Um, anyway, back in, back into this. Um, I, I really like this because it, it's the first proper mention of nomads fighting uh, yeah, the, yeah. the Maelstrains. And this is, again, harps back to the fact that the whole world is up in a warlike state and two of the main protagonists in this war are now rattling sabres with each other, do you know? Yeah. So the Nomads and the uh, the Gene Sealers. It'll be very interesting to see, I, I, I believe, somebody like Ozzy Oranthius would simply let them bleed each other before sending his, his yeah. forces just to clean them up but yeah this is this is a great example of you are not part of my particular faction you are an enemy unless yeah. there's a, an enemy that's a bigger threat than you 
in the immediate area. You are the threat right now, and you are who my fight is with. Like that's that's the way I view this. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in the same mindset, but I'm also thinking it would be like you got to think Secundus, right? Secundus probably never really ever encountered nomads. So for the Gene Sealer cult, I imagine that the nomads are almost like a a bit of a myth, a bit of a legend that ah, they are. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see and so saying. when they start to fight them, they're like, "This is—is is this our normal enemy? Let's engage with them. Let's just get a feel of what they are and who they are, where they come from. You know, if they if they see enforcers, they're going to know what enforcers are. But yes. nomads versus gene stealers." they're going to say, well, hang on a second. And I think consequently as well, it'd be pretty rare for the nomads to engage with any gene stealer cults, well, Malstrains, sorry, not just gene stealer cult, but Malstrains because of the dust wall. Yeah. 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 So I think it's almost like two, two very predatory type beasts just trying to get a feel for exactly how dangerous the other one is. Mm. And unfortunately... Both of them have that same mindset of kill or capture. Yeah, and yeah. I would I would love to know just how many of the nomads were captured and then possibly infected with the gene stealer curse, like squig that. Hoppers. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Squig hoppers. It's. Oh, I want to see that. I want to see on hormigans painted red, red hormigans. With green nomads on top. This may shock you, but somewhere in my horde, I have hormigans. <laughs> and I have, I'm just going to do a really quick count, 16 Helamite Riders. Hmm. So... We should just, just do it one for, for a laugh, for a giggle. I've done oh. dumber things for dumber reasons. <laughs> We'll do it. We'll do that first. Then we'll do the uh, uh, vehicle recovery bane blade. Set the set the spore task as the second one. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, I really want to build that bane blade. I'm going to find that bane blade and just give it to you and be like, "Now build." Now build. <laughs> build monkey build. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. I'll just add it to my list of stuff that I don't get done. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, who are you doing a podcast to stop us from doing hobby? Ah, uh, I, I thought it would have the reverse effect. Yeah. But look, yeah, I think I think this is definitely one of those things that is going to get expanded on, the interaction between the Gene Sealer cults and the Nomads. Yeah. And I, look, even if it's not expanded on, it's the classic GW of leaving the pages blank for the audience to, to yes. take that expansion, you know, and letting us go with it and coming up with our own campaigns or our own ideas of what the conflict looks like. And our own ideas of what a resolution looks like between those two, whether it be the um, nomads becoming influenced by the gene sealers or the nomads seeing the gene sealers as the preeminent threat now on Necromunda. So, or do they draw a border maybe across the dust wall with the, um, with the nomads effect, you know, with that conflict going and the nomads saying, hey, well, we'll leave you alone if you don't cross this point, and you leave us alone if we don't cross that point. You know, I don't, go- I don't see the gene sealers abiding by that. Absolutely not. They'll just go into the. They'll dig tunnels and go underneath. Yeah. I mean, the tunnels. The tunnels are a big thing here. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh man, it's, it's what we like. We we had quite a, a big chat about it in was it this part two, ten thousand years? We were talking about the tunnels, or was, was part one or part two, and the the influence and impact they can have on the planet. And this series shows that how oh yeah uh, devastating these these tunnels. And it's not showing us directly, but it's showing us that the fact that the tunnels are becoming a, a focal point for the major non-house aligned, and when I say house, I mean noble house, non-house aligned forces that are trying to move themselves around Necromunda. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and so the squats obviously will become major factors going forward if the role and the concept of what the tunnels can do is expanded upon. But I think definitely the gene seals will be using them, the nomads we know are using them, the squats and who were whatever survivors are inside of them. You know what we could have? Tunnel wars. Oh man, what was it? The uh, Zone Mortalis. Yeah, but oh, I, man. I think you'd almost say so Zone Mortalis was, you know, within a hive city. I think you would have the tunnels affected by weather conditions as well because they are large and quite vast. They're not just, you know, a tunnel large enough to. For one person to walk through you know you can run yeah. vehicles through these so they'd almost even have their own little ecosystems within them and so forth so yeah. i think that's probably the next next uh expansion point in terms of where to take combat within the game but they're still obviously you know airborne and uh battles on the Zeppelin. and the zeppelin's why did we ever zeppelin was. Yeah. Zeppelin was yeah zeppelin was it's the it's natural like... expansion to the ash wastes yeah. zeppelin was <laughs> um all right so Ashgrad, you know about this place don't you shout out to my boys and girls the Ashgrad technoclasts boo Ashgrad. <laughs> sorry <laughs> key city in the defenses of the dust wall is overrun by the Grey Waste Walkers. While the city burns, the remnants of the 88th Dust War Penal Battalion fight for their lives in the tunnels under its streets. Gangs, guilders and scum fight a savage war against nomads and their hellish creatures, unaware the battle above them has already been lost. I'm sorry, what? What do you mean, what? This is sick. Did someone just burn down my home? You grey waste walkers, what a pack of dicks. Like, no, 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 no. It's, it's been overrun. They might still, you know, no, allow... While, while the city burns. All right. Well, it, you know, when they say a city's on fire, it's not every part of... You know, when they said London's burning, it wasn't all London. The outskirts were still probably okay. Yeah, yeah no, you know what? I'll allow it. Yeah, oh, no, I'm but, okay with it. Like, yeah, your your little lads are tucked away in a in a porta potty somewhere, just praying for the fires to die down. <laughs> Perfect. They're all at an internet cafe playing Counter Strike, going, "What's going on out there?" Yeah, um, don't worry about it. <laughs> this is great, though. This is literally exactly what you were just talking about in regards to tunnel wars, mm. where it's just like, "Oh yeah, the city's on fire, but everyone is in the tunnel." It's, you know holding choke points and just firing into the dark and hoping they run out of enemies before they run out of ammo. Yeah, exactly. Or oh. they only found another way around the back of that tunnel because these tunnels, I can't imagine, would be linear. There would, they'd be like a rabbit warren of this little offshoot tunnel, this tiny little 
you know, crawl space. Yeah. Maybe a handful of fighters through or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this would be a very hectic kind of fight and sort of like would be heavily influenced by lighting conditions and so forth. I almost see it as the, the type of fighting that would happen in the deepest and dankest parts of Hive Mortis where you'd have vast chambers where you're just trying to hold off against the shadows. You know, you're just praying that the shadows stop moving at some stage because you know that you probably won't get out otherwise. That is so good. That's <laughs> so good. Oh, can you imagine those cramped tunnel conditions where, you know, you're fighting nomads and you've got, because we know there are a bunch of different types of helamites and that, mm. that these, these bugs, kind of like the xenomorph in Aliens, crawling on the walls just trying to get to you and, you know, you're, you're just going full auto down this tunnel and you're, you're watching these bugs die, but not quickly enough and they're getting closer and yeah, closer. Yeah. And, you know, there's about six or seven of you in this tunnel and you're all right because you've got plenty of ammo and, you know, your heavy's just it's, it's about to let loose with that, that heavy stubber. But then you hear him cough and you look over your shoulder and there's about half a dozen nomads coming up from behind you. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh, oh, man, I think I left the stove on. <laughs> and that's the last thought you have before, like, a hell I might bite your head off. But I always envision it's like this from Aliens where uh, Hicks is reading. I think it's Hicks. He's reading the little scanner. He's like, yeah, yeah. Meters, three meters, like five meters. It's like, that means we're in the room. You're not reading it right. And then they pop their head up through the little air vent and there they are crawling through there. That's what these tunnels yeah. would be like. It's like, oh, we know they can't get past this wall. And they're like, hang on, we can hear them moving? Like, I can hear yeah. them moving somewhere. They've got to be somewhere. And then just boom, 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 popping up left, right, and center. So it would it would be a, a terrifying way to go, especially with nomads. But one little quick shout-out, and we did mention before, the 88th Dust Wall Penal Battalion. Oh. I'm going to say it, and I don't need to say any more. Gang idea. Yep. They would be so cool. Yep. 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 Expand at your heart's desire. You can do anything with that. It is a, a penal battalion. That is, so it's, these are the key talking points for it. It's militarized. It's necromundan. It's bespoke in the, in the sense that they would have all kinds of manner of build of squad of um, designation. They would be ad hoc with the type of weapons that they would be fielding. They just give you total, unadulterated freedom to go ham. Well, what, how were they described? Uh, it was like a, a motley collection of ex-gangers, criminals, and outcasts. Yeah. Like, I'm picturing Goliath gangers in, like, the remnants of their forge plate and, you know, fighting alongside scummers who have, you know, a, everything from, remember, like, Lasslock weaponry yeah. that they've managed yeah. to have to, you know, one guy who's a former member of the Necromundan Spiders who's still got his regimental sabre and his yeah. uniform is... Yeah. You can still see the remnants of that, but obviously he belongs to the 88th. Or, you know, the former... The, the former Orlock with his custom... 
combat shotgun. But you know, yeah, he's 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 once again clearly no longer part of the house. These yeah. these the, yeah, this this collection of characters. I, I see, and I would love this. A noble, a noble that from a minor house or family who still very like vaunts him. It's like somebody like what uh was his name? Constantine Credo, like a yeah. noble in name only being sent to a penal battalion. But oh. I think if you, if you wanted to build it, you would go look up what are they? Uh, Schaefer's Last Chances. Oh, and try to God, transplant yes. each one of those members into a Necromundan gang. That the, would be cool. The Schaefer's Last Chances novels. Oh. There yeah. actually was a noble who got deposed and oh, sent nice. to the penal legion because the other nobles pulled a couple of strings and he like it describes him as this sort of hoity toity, very well to do guy because everyone in the penal religion knows if you get survive enough missions you can you can win your freedom you can go back to your planet he kept saying i'll go back to my planet and they'll regret the day they ever tried to you know try to dismiss me from my family and yeah yeah yeah, but that noble you're talking about i can imagine him being an officer in the 88th and you know where his weapons are just a little bit better yeah his gear is just a little bit nicer he's Mm -hmm. He's very, still very clean and well to do. He's got like a an adjundant, uh, yes, within yeah. within that. But you know, oh, no, stop, stop. I have so oh, many. I, 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 I did actually this. say I don't want to talk about it, other than say Colonel Shafir's last chances, and then the verbal diarrhea kicked in, and we just went for it. But yeah. anyway, continue. Oh. And now, next point, our this last, our last point. point. Yes, yes. This is finish her off. This is a weird one. Ancient warning chimes ring out in the spire of Hive Primus to warn the Imperial House of a breach in the dust wall defences. Unfortunately, those who could heed their warnings are either dead or fled. Azosium and his minions, both ignorant to their meaning and unwilling to send aid to those still loyal to the House of Helmore. Um... It is a little bit strange that there just happens to be... Oh, it's actually not strange. It's kind of prudent uh, that there's an alarm system that's sort of saying, hey, the dust wall defences have fallen. Um, There's a bunch of, you know, Xenos hybrid monster murderers coming to get us all. Um, It's also quite funny that Ozzy and his uh, lackeys have no idea what the alarms mean. And you just imagine someone's just like, what is that noise? Um, Just another set of fireworks celebrating Ozzy's return. You there, shoot those speakers. I I no longer (laughs) wish to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. But it it makes sense because why would Ozzy even care about him? Because they're before his time, you know? The dust was put up after he's probably put in stasis. Uh, yeah, like a lot after. Yeah, because he's talking about the destruction of Helmea. Oh, so, so yeah. the Secundus and dust wall doesn't mean anything to him. But yeah, they've they the basically Primus has been purged of so many valuable and capable people that they now only have people who are just going. Just 
worry about the fact that we are in power. Don't worry about what's coming to dethrone us or what's coming to utterly wreck Necromunda through just infection of a gene sealer curse. That's good. I like that. But the, the other thing as well, I think, also is that they're unwilling to aid anybody sort of uh, still loyal to House Helmel. So the, for what I can extrapolate from that is that they are still concerned that Helmel is not dead. Even though its, it's sigils have been taken down, its people scattered to the wind, its supporters, you know, killed or locked up or sent away, they are still concerned that the old house can come back. It doesn't even seem to be that. It just seems to be like, you're not loyal to me. I don't care if you die. Uh-oh, consequences. <laughs> uh, it's cutting off your nose to spite your weirdly robotic face. Um, yes. Yes, I, well said. I get it. I get it. I'm all, I'm all for just ridiculous levels of spite, but also it's your planet too, jackass. Um, maybe maybe he doesn't quite see it as that. Maybe he just doesn't. He doesn't see them as a threat, you know. And it's just like oh, that's just what it's, I'm thinking. It's the gene stealers. I dealt with these a very long time ago, or within my memory banks, we know how to wipe them out. We have toxin zero six two three seven seven one. Just a drop of that in their gas, and they're stuffed. Yeah. Meanwhile, no one wants to. Um, tell him that they got rid of all of that a little while ago because they were using it to gas, you know, Hive, <laughs> Gassesius, uh, in just a little weird, ironic way that Necromundans do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, we, we can't make that anymore, boss. Apologies. Yeah, we, we, uh, we lost that technology a few millennia ago. Oh, yeah. no. So, I mean, clearly, that, that's just the last point in the timeline. And it, it is indicating that clearly the, the next pathway for Necromunda is paved with four-armed monstrosities and the colour purple. The gene yeah. sealers are coming. They're com and as we mentioned earlier, they're coming. They're going to be sweeping out across the planet. They're coming in force. And it is going to lead, as you say, to a proper house of book for the gene sealers. Which would be interesting. I, I see no other way. I genuinely yeah. see no other way. It'll be interesting. It, it, it'll be that there was, you know, early days there was talk of a seventh house. It could this could be the seventh house. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, that's I I think it is. I mm. think it, this is the sign of the seventh house. But before we go into that stuff, we have four characters to talk about all of which are introduced in this book now there's a lot so once again there's no warlocks but there are two squats in this one so Nath I'm gonna let you jump in and choose who you want to do first do you know what actually uh, there is one of the squats I do like, amazingly so. It is Urson Grimyal, Yardland Nomad Hunter. Damn it, I really wanted to do this one. <laughs> of course you would, because I like him. You're always so jealous. No, he's, he's, he's cool. He's actually a really fun character, and I like his little uh, tech might oculi. How much fun does that thing look like? It's like it's a flying wally. 
Yeah, all the tech mites are ridiculous. I would love a generic tech mite kit or like rule set that you can build your own tech mite. Yeah. Like, yeah. But anyway, read about him. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about how cool he is then. <laughs> Urson Grimyal, Yardland Nomad Hunter. I think we can um, obviously define what his role is then. Anyway. He hunts ash clams. I think so. Yeah, yes. he's, he's renowned for it. Has a uh, boutique trade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it takes a certain kind of squat to live the life of a nomad hunter. Urson Grimyal, older brother of Oren Grimyal, long ago left the Yardland Holdfast to wander the wasteland hunting nomads for bounties. In the decades, he has travelled the great equatorial wastes and beyond. He has earned a reputation for having an uncanny ability to track down and kill even the most cunning nomad raiders. This has made him a target to the Wasteland tribes, and more than once nomad champions have sought to make their name by hunting down the honorary old squat, usually with fatal results for the nomad. Years ago, Urson was offered the stewardship of Yardlin by his, by his and Oren's father, Harrow Grimdral. When the elder squats sought to take the graven path, joining with the elders who tend to the Ironhead ancestral call. Ultimately, Urson rejected the running of the clan, passing it on to one of the other squat families of Yardland. Even when Urson learnt of the destruction of his ancestral home, he merely spat in the dust and carried on with his work. It was only after an encounter with Oren that Urson decided to help guide the younger Grimyal and his companions back to their holdfast, perhaps as a last favour to Harrow, or maybe because, like Oren, if he was to be the last of Yardlin, he might exact some vengeance from those that had ended his line. An exceptional hunter, Urson is a dangerous and canny opponent, and one does not survive long as a nomad hunter in the ash wastes without the ability to get the drop on one's foes. To this end, Urson carries a powerful Yardland longshot hunting rifle. The grizzled old hunter is never without a pair of Tecmite oculi. The small mechanical companions held aloft on whirring fans with an array of pick lenses, fighting hidden enemies even in the midst of billowing ash storms. So he's quite the adept hunter, we'll say. He's probably killed himself an ash lion here or there as well. Well, it says he's a nomad hunter, not an exterminator, so I can't imagine he'd interact with too many bugs. Well, no, because they're actually lions, so, like, you know, four-legged lions. No? No, so, no they're not. Lines of <laughs> the internet agrees with me. The number of people who have messaged us pointing out the fact that they are most likely bugs shocks me. Shocks me to the point of this may even be counted as a spam your correction that we're updating during the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I won't count it until next episode uh, if the, uh, if the, the wider lawkeeper universe agrees. <laughs> the wider lawkeeper universe. I like that as a name for the fan base. That's good. Anyway, back to old Grimyarl himself, Urson. He's, uh, he's quite a cool character, actually. Uh, the, the read within the book that we have for him doesn't quite reflect the story he has of when he meets up with his brother and the way he's basically fighting a bunch of ho- against a whole bunch of nomads. And it's him 
just on his own with his little Tecmite oculi. So you can see that he's definitely a hard case and will not be easily broken or, or shifted. But there's obviously the, the standard trope of, I guess, dwarves leaving their hold and then realising they should never have done that in the first place. What, what were they called in fantasy? Rangers? Was it the Rangers? Rangers? Yeah. yeah. But let's just, okay. I don't like doing this, but let's just talk about the model. Like, firstly, yeah. his gun is bigger than a Goliath. It is, <laughs> the, the guy's holding it with one arm. It must weigh like, I don't know, 40 kilos. That's like 20 point something freedom units of weight. I'm not 100% sure. But it's, it's enormous. And then I, when I first saw the model, um, I, was, I was actually quite annoyed. So I'm like, what are you doing? He's supposed to have two of those glorious little... Uh, what are they called? The the, the tech mites. Yeah. And I was always like, there's one on the base there, but I couldn't find the second one. It, he wears it as a backpack. Yeah, yeah. It it's just, like, it got, it's deployable. Yeah, it straight up just clips onto his back. I'm like, that's sick. But then he has that glorious pipe. Like, yeah, I, I love it. But he has so many throwbacks to the classic Necromunda squat range, like the, the military style cap. The goggles, you know, he's yeah. just got the the like the webbing around his jacket. I am, I, model wise, I love this guy. But you're absolutely right when it comes to the background in the book. He is, as far as I'm concerned, probably one of the hardest characters to come out of this campaign series. Where, yeah, he he meets up with his brother, and he's so very nonchalant about the whole. Yeah, our home and our family and basically everyone we've ever known is dead. Um, give me one second. I've just got to kill these uh, nomads real quick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, can, we, we can catch up after that, whatever, you know, yeah. or not. But, yeah, no, nah, he's sick. Um, Very cool character. He, I will, I, what I love about him is that he, he's taken up. It's, I mean, we keep referencing fantasy, but you kind of can't help it with squats. It's almost like the, um, oh, God, come on, think of the name, Nath. What are they called? Uh, Slayers? Slayers, that's it. Oh, I couldn't think of that. Yeah. But it's almost like he's taken up the mantle of a slayer and just been like, no, 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 I know what my role is. I know where I fit. And it's it's kind of cool because it, it breaks away from what his tradition is expecting him to do which is to take on that leadership role and become leader of the whole. He's like, that's nah, not my, that's not my thing. My thing is as a hunter, as a killer, I'm not necessarily a born leader or whatever, but it is, it is interesting that he gives up the hold to another family, not just his brother. Yeah, not his brother, but literally passing. He's just like almost saying, no, we don't, we don't need this. I, um, I care so little about this that I'm just passing it off to someone I pick. It's, yeah. it's strange when it comes to, you know, the concept of succession uh, at all, especially uh, for someone like a, a squat where you'd figure they'd want their immediate kin to be the ones to take over from it. Um, but, yeah, I could, he's almost, uh, almost, I hate to really do it, but he's almost overused aggression towards 
going out and hunting and trying to find nomads and the like to kill. It must come from somewhere. Mayhaps that is him tapping into those classic dwarf archetypes and sort of saying, these are my enemies. These are the ones I want to focus on. They're my goblins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's it. They're my, they're my go- what are they called? Groby? In, uh, Groby, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And we've always, we've already established that we could potentially get uh, Nomad Squig Hoppers in this, uh, in this scenario. So there is. I I don't understand why people think this is a possibility. It's happening. happening. (laughs) I've envisioned it. I'm putting it out into the universe. Someone is going to make Nomads that are basically goblins. And their Hellamites will be squeak hoppers. You watch it in the next twelve months. Someone's going to have a gang. I don't know. Just say put them on the the Hormigans, the Leapers. You know what I mean? It makes sense. You've yeah. made it all forty k, but in your heart of hearts, you know you've made Goblin squeak hoppers. Just a quick another word out there as well. We now officially have uh, Warhammer the Old World. I believe. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. If you don't love the goblins, then. Yeah, you're not a friend of mine. They are my favourite <laughs> by a country mile. They're just naughty. And that's what I sort of, it's almost a bit sad. I said, sort of, because I sort of see the nomads like that. I see them as just being more naughty rather than nasty. I'm just like, ah, oh, go on. You just, he's trying to disrupt a little bit of trade. You steal a mushroom here or there. But the reality is, you have people like, you have his brother, Urson, who has obviously not got the same mindset as me and decided these are the worst, most abominable threat not only to the squats on Necromunda, but to the, I guess, for use of a better term, civilization on Necromunda. Mm. So he's going off there to try and make his difference one nomad at a time. Just just doing a slight derail here. Of all the goblins in the old world of fantasy now, what was your favorite type of goblin? Not goblins. Oh thank, country. thank the gods. Oh, okay, we would have had to end the podcast. <laughs> If you'd answered anything but Night Goblins. No, night Goblins the were the best. Do you remember the old multi-part Night Goblins? Yes. Oh. They were, they were, they were brilliant. Like the massive oh. hands. The massive hands, massive heads. And um, <laughs> they shared half a sprue with the super old school Skaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, they were they, awesome. Um, yeah, everything was just a bit too oversized for them. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah, they were brilliant miniatures. The best unit I'd ever seen of them was a unit of 200 Night Goblins put together on a table. Oh. <laughs> Somebody ran it across the table. You're like, what's going on? You, c- you couldn't kill it. It's, it's no. like an old school Death Star. But that's how I imagine Night Goblins fighting. And, again, this is my problem when I think of the Nomads. I see them as, like, just this scurrying blocks. And there's some brilliant artwork in this book that shows them fighting more as, like, almost like Talon Desert Raiders sort of drifting in and out of the sands and the shadows, picking off shots. But unfortunately, in my mind, I've they're kind goblins. of got a... They're goblins, yeah. <laughs> but no, 100%. Like, you look at, you look at all the art through this book, yeah. and there's, there, especially the, um, the scenic art, like, there's, a, there's some amazing just combat footage, of, like, style pictures of them. In fact, there's one, um, you pointed this out to me a little while ago, on the third last page of this group of them, and it's like a black and white picture, 
And you've got this huge opening to the underway there. And you've got this group of them almost walking single file sort of past this. And, oh, they just look so good. And then you see them in combat. Um, they're the last two pages of the book yeah. there. And, yeah, they're, like, there's that one on that last page where he's, he's running, he's got the pistol extended. Yeah. And, oh, man, they just... Uh, the, the flip to that page is a double spreader. You've got the, the squats engaging them. Yeah. And beautiful bit of artwork. If you ever get the opportunity, people are listening, to have a look at the last two pages of, Ruin of Yard, Ruins of Yardland, you'll get to see something that just sort of invokes the right imagery for not only Necromunda but also for the fact that it's Necromunda at war and yeah. not just human warfare. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful artwork. It doesn't, it's not over, over swamped with detail or anything, but it gives you a full sense and gravity of what is going on in that, uh, in that tunnel network. But anyway, uh, moving away from our derail about how nomads are goblins. Yeah, uh, that was um, back to Urson Grimial. Yeah, back to, yeah. back to Urson Grimial. He's oh, right. One, yeah, he's right. One last point I want to make. I do love his little tech mites. They are, for me... The, the embodiment of like Wally in 40k. They look yeah. really, they got this sort of cuteness to them, but you know, in a very 40k sense. Oh, they're beautifully made, beautifully designed. And um, yeah, definitely, even if you don't like the rest of the miniature, you can't hate the little tech mite. He doesn't deserve it. I, I love tech mites. I think, yeah, if Games Workshop wants to make a kit of just like, random little tech mite bits that you can combine to make flying tech mites or crawling tech mites or tech mites on tracks or like spider tech mites. If you make that kit, all of the nerds will buy it. We will buy so many of them. I'll, I'll, I'll buy them just to have them built and never be painted here with yeah. the rest of my squads. <laughs> like just a generic tech mite box. Like, they, are, they are what battle, what uh, town gun drones and battle drones wanted to be. Yes. They, except they just, it's, it's that one little glass lens. It just gives them so much character. You're like, oh, what are you up to? What are you going to go steal? What are you going to go destroy? Okay. You want to kind of give them a pat on the head when they come back with a limb and a gun. And you're like, where'd you get that from? Oh. I don't worry about it. You little right, scrapper. Like your, uh, the dog companions you can have in some of the Fallout games. They yeah. just randomly show up and they're holding like a gun or something. You'd be like, where did you find the... Whose hand is that? Actually, it's a lot like having children. I couldn't <laughs> tell you the number of times I've been at the park and Goblin Juve walks up and I'm just like, why do you have a gun? Whose hand is that? Um, but... <laughs> the bacon, word for word, the conversation they have. <laughs> All right, that's the last bit I want to say about Erson. Who's our next character, Sam? I'm actually going to back up uh, a squat with another squat. I'm going to talk about his brother... Oren Grimial, and he is the last Charter Lord of Yardland. Now, during the Great Darkness, Yardland's holdfast was destroyed by the Sungar, and only a handful of Yardland squats remained. Pause there. No, it was destroyed by Gene Steeler cults. I don't care what this official publication says. All right? So I'm going to reread this. I'm going to reread this because that is wrong. During the Great Darkness, Yardland's Holdfast was destroyed by the Gene Stealer cults, and only a handful of Yardland squats remained. Among them, the outcast engineer, Oren Grimial. 
Many squats, so shamed by the destruction of their people, would take an oath of vengeance and spend what days they had left hunting down the enemies of the mining clans. Not so Oren. Determined that Yardlin should not fade into history like so many clans before it, he vowed to restore the ancestral hold of his people, no matter the kinds of allies he must make to see it come to pass. A brilliant, if somewhat eccentric engineer, Oren is an outcast from the technical doctrines of his clan, and he has crafted all manner of bespoke war gear and weaponry for his own personal use. The most unusual of these is without a doubt his fractal pulse beamer. A negative energy laser weapon made up of dozens of opposable lenses, capable of cutting down into rich mineral scenes, or just as equally carving limbs off troublesome wasters. That is sick. Um, so, if you haven't seen this model, Scummers, you think his brother's gun is a little bit, you know, over the top. Oren's gun is basically like 15 power cables going into what I can only assume is the plasma engine taken off a Cobra-class destroyer and turned into a gun after strapping it to an iron head plasma rifle. This thing is phenomenal. This guy is basically like if... Do you remember that, um, the white dwarf tech marine miniature? Yeah. Not tech yeah. marine, ah, uh, tech priest. Yeah, no, like the mechadendrite beard yeah. and, oh, I love it. I love it. And yeah, he has another sick little tech bike. This one's on some wheels. <laughs> yes. A proper little cutie, this one. And he's like doing like a hard, was it hard left hand turn or something? Yeah. He's really oh, leaning man. into it. <laughs> he's got like wheels and then it's almost like a, um, it's like a, like a dirt bike style. Mm. Like, oh man, I love him. But Oren, Oren, you know, he finds out his whole family and his hold's been destroyed. And one line in here that, in my opinion, exemplifies him as a character. Uh, he vowed to restore the ancestral hold of his people, no matter the kinds of allies he must make to see it come to pass. Now, we don't want to basically read this book for you word for word, but... One of the allies he makes in the tunnels going towards Yardlin is Lady Hera. And, yeah, imagine being the deposed planetary governor and during your travels coming into contact with, effectively, a deposed squat lord who says, you help me gain back my kingdom and I help you gain back yours. And, you know, inevitably you're going to meet Gollum and find one ring that you're going to have to throw <laughs> into a forge somewhere. Um, no, wait, no, that's those other dwarves trying to uh, reclaim their lost hold. <laughs> I love it. I love the sort of overarching dwarf mythos that just goes through every every type of fictional universe. Yeah, I think every, it's every type of dwarf <laughs> basically has some hold that they regret losing and uh, some sort of quest they've got to go on and some sort of grudge they hold. And, you know, that's 
it's it's sort of it is as you say the archetype. What I like about what he does is he doesn't leave the the scummers and the other gangers and whoever else has been amassed within the tunnels to get away from the nomads. He doesn't abandon them to their fate. He mm. effectively leads them and helps them fight their way through the tunnels. And this, and consequently, as you say, this is where he meets Hera, and basically continues to fight just to get out of there himself. Hera's path takes a slightly different um, direction, you'd say. But, yeah, there's something about Oren where it's there's almost like a, a positivity that breaks away from his archetype of being, you know, a sour old dwarf. It's more of a, um, I don't know, a, a dwarf that sees the hope on the horizon that yeah. there is something that can be done. There is something that will be done to to make their their lot a little bit better. So he's he's definitely a cool character, but um, I do find that he he gets stuck as a dwarf, like within that archetype, as you were saying, just a little yeah. bit too much. Yeah. Well, one thing I love is actually exactly what you're saying here. Is and please once again, people, you need to read this book purely for the story behind it all. But when Oren and Hera separate, he actually sends one of his most trusted Drillkin with Hera. He commands this, this Drillkin. So inevitably, a family member of his, to a certain degree, to travel with Lady Hera. And Lady Hera vows to remember Oren's assistance. So he, he basically says... You promise to remember that I've helped you. I will send someone with you. Hera agrees to this. And I believe Oren knows that he's possibly sending this distant cousin to their death, but still knows that he needs to rely on this human for assistance, not necessarily now, but later on. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. And it's something that... You can imagine a lot of the Scots would not be inclined to do, to oh, be banking God. their hopes on on a human, and like a, a Necromundan human as well, who's probably fickle more than anything else, and would be looking out for their own objective more so than anything else. And and he's got it right. Hera is looking out for yeah. her own. I was going to say, not even not even a human, a yeah. Hellmore. <laughs> Hellmore, exactly. <laughs> so. He it shows the desperation of where Oren's at, but I guess it's it's also shows a in a wider sense of desperation of where the squats are, and again, and we mentioned this many times in this episode about the scale of what the the nomads are up to. You know, it, it is it is quite large that even the squats themselves are having to make some pretty gnarly deals just to see if they can get away with this moment in time that they can potentially have a, a positive outcome on the other end of it. Yeah. Yeah, which with the way the book ends, obviously this is something we'll be talking about at the uh, end of the episode. But with the way everything ends, I'm not positive for anyone, really. No, uh, I totally agree. We, we, we can't really expect too much positivity, especially uh, in an environment where... I don't know, you might turn down the wrong tunnel and get your face ripped off by a maelstrom. Yeah, exactly. Like, those, those tunnels are chaotic at the moment. And not only does Oren need to survive in that environment and prosper, 
or at least get out. But he also needs Hera to survive there as well. So mm. that, it's a, it's a, as you say, it's a massive gamble. I will say one last thing about his miniature, though. I do love what GW did, the, the miniature designers, actually have him smoking a pipe as well in a similar fashion. His Huge pipes. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Every, like, scum is Uncle Spaniel here. Don't smoke. Why we've explained this in the Cam's episode. Everyone thinks you're a loser. Unless you're a dwarf with an enormous robo-pipe. Then yeah. it's totally cool. <laughs> like, every, every dwarf or squat model that has a pipe and that one Goliath with the cigar piece that, once again, still lives within my rug. Um, every dwarf's pipe is sick. I, I think they're just the coolest little additions. Beyond, obviously, the, uh, the tech ones. Yes. Tech mites are definitely the coolest miniatures, then pipes, then cigars, and then, like, those old-school night goblins. Everything else <laughs> ranks below that. I will say about his pipe, though, what I, what I love of the design, and I agree with your ranking system, by the way, what I love about his pipe and Urson's is that Oren's is clearly quite a bit more going on, like quite a bit more of a technological pipe. There's, there's a few little, it seems like, you know, a few extra buttons to push and a few levers to pull to get the yeah. best uh, process out of it. Whereas Urson's is, it looks just like a straight up pipe. Like it would not be uncommon to see that in, even in this world. But I mean, it would be because it's a weird looking pipe, but it's not, it hasn't got that technical element to it. It's, it's a bloke who's out in the field who can't quite necessarily get the bits and bobs to fix it. So it just has if, a pipe. If you're at a pub, and you see a bloke smoking a pipe like this, if you're looking for a fight, it is not, it is not with this man. All right? This man has seen some shit. Yep. Walk away. Oh, and Walk. I'm sure he'll fight you as well. He, 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 will, he will beat you with that pipe. Yeah, it, exactly. People don't realise this. It was actually removed from the rule book when they published it, but that pipe is a power weapon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically a power weapon, a servo claw, and a needle pistol all rolled into one. Yeah, exactly. Mundo. <laughs> all right, I think that's enough squat, squat, and goblin talk for this episode. Okay, Let's, uh, move we've away. Got, we've got two left. We've got uh, Silverland Servos, the Infotech, or. We have that beauty, Asangar, the Lady of Ash. How are you going? Well, I really want to read about the Lady of Ash. So how about you take old Silver, Silverlent, mainly because I don't want to spend my time pronouncing that name. And also, I have a few theories about the Lady of Ash that I'd like to explore, but we want to save her till last because we've got okay. a fair bit to go on with her. All right, done. I'm, I'm glad because this is this is a House Van Sar character. It's, it's what I'm here for, really. He's the smartest Van Sar character I've ever known. It's what I like. <laughs> Silberland Sevos, the Infotech. As much as they would like their enemies to believe otherwise, the Delark do not have a monopoly on the Necromundan secrets trade. Within Hive Primus, Mysterious agents, such as Nemo the Faceless, move in the shadows dealing in rumours, while Hive Temenos boasts the Conclave of Truth. 
fallen priests whose sacrament is the lies they spread. Sevos the Infotech has made himself one of this esteemed company. In exile from House Vansar, Sevos sought to merge his mind with the sacred STC, creating a synaptic inload interface to extract his consciousness. Unfortunately for Sevos, the STC rejected his attempts, leaving him shattered in both body and mind. His former brothers and sisters within the House of Artifice dumped his remains in the depths of the Underhive, striking his true name from their records for his breaking of the Three Laws. While Sevos' experiment might have failed to merge his mind with the STC, it did have unexpected results. While he lay in refuse, his body dying and his thoughts unravelling, he discovered he could see the electronic soul of all the hive around him. Not only could he see it, but he could also interact with its systems. Reaching out and taking control of a clade of maintenance servitors, he had these base creatures carry him to safety and bring nourishment for his failing body. Over cycles, he took control of more hive systems, using plundered tech to build himself a suspenser chair to carry his body and protect it from harm. It was not long before Sevos discovered that in addition to manipulating nearby hive systems, he could also steal data secrets as they were transmitted along the electro-highways of the towering city. Washing away any trace of his past, Sevos set himself up as a whisper merchant, growing rich from his trade and information. When the great darkness tore apart the social fabric of Necromunda, Sevos was one of the first to see it coming and took refuge in his underhive hideout, remotely manipulating events from the shadows. Later, when he heard the first whispers of the prophet and the great pilgrimage that would follow, he saw an opportunity to fulfil his ambition to merge with the Vansar STC and take his revenge on the clan that had left him to die. Okay, before you say anything, yep. gang idea. Gang idea? Gang idea. So that part where he talks about taking control of maintenance servitors... Okay, run Sevos as the leader of an outcast gang, right? Now, you'd have to... Firstly, there's no model for him yet, but you would have to model him up in the chair, like, picture Professor X in, like, a floating, like, anti-grav chair with just, like, weapons coming out of it, and there'd be screens all around. Oh, You'd just 40k it up. You'd 40k it up. But... Back to my gang idea. Like, do all of your gang members and your champions as that as servitors that he's somewhat merged with and has granted them an aspect of personality, which is why they're gaining skills and why they develop as characters. But model them up as use like the existing range of servitors and stuff, but take like Skatari bits and the hive scum bits and ganger yeah. bits. And create this amalgamation of like up, up crafted and like recycled servitors, and like you'd you'd have obvious maintenance servitors where like they'd they'd have like um screwdriver hands and that sort of thing, and that would be their close combat weapons. And yeah, oh man, that'd be sick. Like your your vehicles would be almost AI controlled. Um. 
harvesting vehicles and that that like with servo skulls in the front of them and that yeah, he's had yeah. his his servitors build and construct oh man that would be sick oh, i imagine um, the vehicles as like sort of maintenance vehicles so street sweepers and stuff, yeah. and stuff like that that have just been repurposed and that's just been repurposed and then basically had things bolted onto them to create something different for them. But I love the idea of that they have some semblance of personality being driven back into them. So what you yeah. take is you take drugs that can form madness within your gang members. Right? Ooh. So and you make your like you make your gangers take it because that's their personality coming back or their their semblance of sentience coming back to them. They're starting to realize that they're just a servitor or they are a tool now and no longer what they once were, you know? And so that could represent their madness kicking in. It's a bit of a disadvantage to yourself. But yeah, in terms that would of be thematic as yeah, yeah. It'd be so cool. But you do get the bonus of the drugs, which re represents them pushing their tech adaptations to their to their limit. You know what I mean? oh, so increased strength or increased movement or something along those lines. So you're just pumping them full of drugs until the madness kicks in and they're just like, bah. I would love for us to talk about servitors for an episode one day because, oh, man, ser fill, for, servitors are one of the most messed up things to come out of 40K. But um, They define grim dark for me. Oh, yeah, that's, that's not a hit or there. We can talk about that later. Yes, but, yeah. Yeah. Silver and Servos, uh, once again, you need to read the uh, story, Scummers, because this guy, while Hera was actually trying to flee uh, Hive Primus, Servos was the one in the background manipulating things. He was opening doors for her to get to. He was closing doors. He was running systems to try and stop the number of you know, those uh, fanatics that could get to her. He was working in the background to try and save her. And it'll be interesting to see where that particular storyline goes in the future, especially since this nut job, I don't know, is trying to combine himself with the Vansar STC. <laughs> he's also, he's using this clout now that he's trying to generate with Hera as a way just to eventually get himself in a position of safety. So he's not exactly... Mm -hmm thinking of himself as being in a in a positive situation and that's reflected upon in the book as well so his safety is not a guaranteed thing for all the control and all the knowledge he has so much so that at the at the end of this book we find out that he's actually attacked by Vansar gangers who have tracked him down they know about him and they want him dead and again one of the reasons why I think he's the smartest Vansar he left the gang Good work. Okay, you continue. Yeah. Continue. Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to ask me why I thought he was the smartest, but mm. anyway. Um, didn't, didn't click until uh, just yeah. then. We're like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> uh. So he he actually, I guess, what does it say? He, he gets himself into a bit of a pickle here. I'll, I'll actually read this bit because it, it's – it shows that his desperate nature of where he was. He was checking the rounds in his stub gun, hoping to take a few of the attackers with him, and a shape materialised out of the corner of the room. For a moment, Sevos thought the Vansar had found another way in. Then he saw the figure was tall and willowy, pale-skinned and bald. 
we all know that's how uh, mayonnaise wearing brothers, the Delac. So he, and from that little bit that I read, he's hoping to take a few with him. He knows he's in trouble. He knows that he's probably going to get killed here. And it's only the intervention of the Delacroix that, for, that allow him to escape there. But again, this ties in very nicely with the fact that he's hoping to create some sort of leverage with Hera. And I think obviously the, the Delacroix are involved in that as well. There is some sort of integration, intermix that's happening. And going from our Delacroix episode, we know that either the Helmors run the Delacroix or the Delacroix run the Helmore. So they have a very tidy relationship as well. So Hera, or somewhere in the Helmore line, has worked out that Silbrant is working in aid of them. Or, or is this one of those situations where the Delarc are looking out at the world and taking into account what's happening and saying, this is an individual of note. We've talked about this in the past. This is an individual of note. We need them. Because these Delarc just pop in and... So obviously, originally it's one, and then you know, all of a sudden, Servos is looking around, and there's half a dozen there, and they all level their guns at the door, waiting for those Vansar from the Dayglow Dragons to come through. And in my mind, this is that Delark nature of we're gonna we're gonna need you at some point in the future. We're gonna help you now. So later on, when one of our agents shows up and says, we need access to this system, we can't get it, we know you can. Or we know you have this particular piece of information. We want that now. And you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for us. Yeah, yeah. Or beggar theory. Is this this the end of bloody Return of the King, is it? 16 endings, go on. (laughs) Or... Uh, the Delarc, obviously, with the whole, hey, maybe the Aranthans aren't going to be too happy with us. We want every ally we can get. Um, <laughs> every servitor. Every, every servitor. Every, <laughs> every uh, non-Cordor-aligned garbage truck. Um, <laughs> or, no, there isn't another or. Uh, but that's what I think. It could be another one of those options. But, yeah, Sevos has obviously dipped his toe into a Delark business there. This may just be them going, hey, we don't want them to kill you because we want to kill you. I'm not 100% sure. No, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I don't, it's that. No, yeah. no. I, I definitely agree with your theory that it is them taking him on as a person of note like they did in Hive Mortis and making sure that they have the right key elements for whatever predicted yeah. future they're, they're planning out. I, I, I still think there is some sort of intermix or integration with House Helmore. I don't know what it is because obviously it hasn't been very clear, as is the Delacroix way, but whether they are the, 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 the more powerful in that relationship, I don't know. But certainly uh, Sevos is uh, a key part of their their uh, progress forward. But it's interesting because I, I feel like the, the Helmors know about Sevos, but at the same time, we know that Lady Hera most certainly doesn't. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of interaction between the two of them. Like I'm your I was your Kevin Costner. I was your bodyguard at some stage. But I and don't you can just happened. imagine there he is in his floating grav chair staring at Lady Hera. And I, <laughs> I will always love you. I. And she's just staring at him like, yeah. why is the toaster singing to me? <laughs> he insists on me calling him Kevin too. I don't understand what's going on. Can um, someone shoot that giant singing toaster? It is, <laughs> it is strange and rather off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to end the show there on you singing I Will Always Love You in a mechanical voice. Like, I don't know if we can get much better than that. Like, it's perfect. Like, end the episode or just end the podcast? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I can't, definitely end the episode. That's brilliant. Like, I want to hear more. I'm sure the fans want to hear more too. Don't. No, Let's, no, move <laughs> Let's move on to the Lady of Ash before... Uh... I bust into my uh, rendition of I Will Always Love You Once Again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Once Again. Oh, the, the second version of the song. I love it. Bittersweet. <laughs> no, no. Lady of Ash, I want to hear this theory of yours. All right. Here we go. So, I don't think we've mentioned the Lady of Ash before, have we? We oh, we might have only mentioned her in passing. I yeah. can't imagine uh, this woman would get much more than a, a sentence yeah, yeah. here or there. Maybe not a budgie either. No, no, no definitely not the thing. Oh, what did we call it before? The pigeon. Yeah, the pigeon. Yes. Dashway's pigeon. Yeah. Uh, right. So just first and foremost, the artwork for her is god-awfully intimidating. Oh, it's so good. And what I do love is the miniatures is almost on point too as well with regard to the artwork. But let's find out a little bit more about her first. Ashungar, the Lady of Ash. Of all the great spirit speakers of the Shungar, few are as feared or respected as Ashungar. To her people, she is a great spirit, an embodiment of the scavenger creatures of the wasteland. To the enemies of the Ashwash nomads, she is a storm-birth devil who picks over corpses and settlements alike, leaving naught but bones in her wake. Who Ashungar is? or where she came from, are secrets known only to the Grey Waste Walkers. Those sightings of her among hivers and guilders go back centuries, leading many to speculate she is either exceptionally long-lived, or more than one woman has worn the mask of the Lady of the Ash. There are also rumours that she is something evolved from the Wasteland itself, a creature of the Ashlands wearing the skin of a woman. Certainly, Ashungar displays an almost psychic bond with wasteland beasts and other similar scavenging creatures, able to apparently commune with them and even direct them toward the enemies of the Shungar. There is also a palpable energy that surrounds Ashungar, triggering animalistic terror in beasts and people alike, their instincts cowed before the majesty of the Lady of Ash. As dangerous as the Lady of Ash is alone, wielding an electrocharged spirit stave hooked like the beak of her grapple hawk with devastating results, she's rarely encountered without one of her wasteland beasts. The greatest of these is Terra's Shadow, a great scavenger avian or macro grapple hawk. Unlike the smaller cybernetic beasts common to the hives, 
Terror Shadow is a huge and brutal creature of sinew and bionics that can tear a fighter apart in seconds. Individual fight is a little match for the massive beast, while it is strong enough to threaten vehicles with its razor-sharp talons. More than one ridge runner or quad has been hauled aloft by the creature, usually to be dropped from a great height with fatal results. Right. So, yeah, very, very cool read about her, and I, I, I do love that they actually take a bit of time to talk about Terra's shadow as well. But I'll, I'll quickly talk about one of my other quick little theories here. Not a theory, but something you can do with her. The fact that Terra's shadow is uh, sort of the alpha of all of her creatures and beasts that accompany her. So you could have any other creature or beast accompany her that comes out of the Ash Wastes, which is, I think is awesome. Like you could have some other creature and providing the, the uh, arbitrator of the game is going to allow it to happen. Go for it. I have another different creature that she's allowed to use, provided it doesn't break the game. Or if you get some rules, like you made some rules for them, you could have her be accompanied by a swarm of ash lions. Like, you know, just imagine the, the chittering horde of insects, you know, sort of crawling up around the sides of her. That'd be sick. Yeah, but if it was ash lions, it'd probably just be a singular lion or maybe like a male lion or a female lion or something along those lines. I don't think it, she wouldn't need, need many. Yeah, because it would be an ash lion, not a, a bug. An ash bug. They don't call it an ash bug, do they? No, it's a swarm of ash lions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, folks. <laughs> you, you, you will never convince me they are not. If Games Workshop's going to ruin both of us and be like, they're canines. <laughs> they're canines. They're not, they're not cats. They're not bugs. You're both idiots. Yeah, they're just, just a form of dog. We just call it a lion. Just it's, a do- it's a donkey. <laughs> they're donkeys. They're... Um, <laughs> Just they're real, yeah, they're, they're, they're one and a half feet tall. Uh, there's just a lot of them. There's yeah. a lot of them. That's, that's why, why they're a swarm. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Your idea. No. <laughs> Lady of Ash, go. All right, Lady of Ash. So the, the other part that I wanted to, my theory about her is that, and we sort of mentioned it earlier, is that she is a Phoenix Lord, you know. And, oh, and okay. Yes, yeah, swing for. On stop. The, sorry, the concept of a Phoenix Lord in the sense that it is a spirit that, in, that takes over a body. And we know that because uh, when we talk about her interaction with Lady Hera and um, we were sort of jumping well, well ahead of a lot of it, what we need to talk about, Lady Hera, but she does interact with Hera and she says one word to her that just throws everything off, off kilter. She calls her sister. Oh. And so how could something that's been on her for centuries or been around for so long be a sister of Lady Helmore? And in, in saying that, Hera turns around to her and says, I'll kill you. You're not her. She's dead. Dead. Oh. So who is this sister? Well, that's that's a different chat, but my my theory is that yeah, they they are taking over. I guess the spirit is taking over, or at least manipulating the body of a particular, you know, person or ganger or whatever that they view as powerful enough 
to be able to take on the embodiment of the spirit. So you're really leaning into the concept of more than one woman has worn the mask of the Lady of Ash, where is it, because it does talk about the mask. I like that. Are you maybe thinking the mask goes on and this consciousness transfers across? Or is it the powers of the Lady of Ash that transfers across? Um, because I, I'm sort of thinking more like the power type of thing. I do like your theory of the mask, though, because that uh, makes it feel like it's the movie, The Mask. Shout out to our favourite corpse grinder cult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Cuba. No, we've done it before. The, the, number of, the number of people who messaged me about that, they're like, you realise I have to make a green mask corpse grinder now, don't you? And I'm like, <laughs> you can give them chain maracas. Yeah, yes. No, one one person was very angry about the fact I was so happy about the concept of chain maracas. Be like, where would the chain go, Samuel? Where would the chain go? But Lady of Ash, Lady of Ash. Um, I like that what you're saying. Um, where the that travels across because can you imagine handing the power of to control the storms and the beasts of the ash wastes? over to a good person, it wouldn't work. Would it corrupt them? Would it be like the, uh, uh, like the power of the Tesseract from, um, uh, from the Avengers, where you, you gain that control? Or is, does a person have to be maybe inherently, maybe not evil, but like bad? Do they have to be inherently bad for the spirit of the Lady of Ash to to want to join with them, maybe? I, I believe more in that, that what would happen is the consciousness would go across into somebody who is displaying the right appropriate levels of uh, nastiness or just badness, that the, the spirit would go, we can align ourselves with this because they hate Necromunda enough, they hate the Necromundans enough, they hate the squats enough, that that is what we can feed on to draw ourselves within their, their body, but their consciousness would be a passenger within this within this system, and so they'd be watching it all happen, unfolding, without being actually able to have any sort of control over the situation that they're in. And that's, I think, is probably a little bit more terrifying, as they're sort of stuck in a cell, watching their body and their brain being used for whatever nefarious purposes. And I could imagine the Ashwaste Nomads would have offered up you know, people to become the next spirit or whatever previously back in the day. But now the spirit looks for candidates that would best suit its its machinations, its ideas of where it wants to be and where it sees Necromunda and the Nomads. Well, let's have a look at this. So we we know it's a sister of Hera Helmore. Now, that being said, if we go back, do you remember, I'm looking at uh, Cinderac Burning here, there's the list of Gerontius Helmore's trueborn children. Now, currently, there are apparently one, two, three, four daughters of Lord Helmore still alive. 
We have Zarina, Layla, Jezza, and Hera. Now, we can knock them off the list. We also have one, two, two of them that were killed by Hera during the purge. That is Iveta and Kyrie. So that leaves us a couple left since Hera's been born. So Hera was born in 977 of M41. Uh, let's have a look. We have a Mary Helmore who died in 957 M41. She's out. We've got Zav Helmore who died in 948. She's out. And... Okay. Oh, and Jamer Helmore died in 970. He's out. Hera doesn't know any of those girls. That leaves us. Thalira, who died in 988 when Hera was, by the looks of it, 11. We have uh, Saria, who died in 979 when Hera was 2. Unlikely. Evelyn who died in 997 when Hera was 20. That's my number one contender right now. Or Rosha, who died in 980 when Hera was three. My theory yep. is that the sister we're talking about, if she is a true-born Helmore, she could be, uh, she could be related to Hera through her mother. Uh, and the Yulanti line. So if the mother, uh, Consort Junos Gillian Yulanti, was, you know, had a, a child with another man or mayhaps a cloned child, we don't know. There's lots of possibilities here. It obviously wouldn't be on this list of Helmors, but if it is one of these Helmor Ruborn children... I think it is likely Evelyn. She was old enough... Sorry, Hera was old enough to at least build a relationship with this woman. Obviously, Evelyn dies when Hera is about 20. So my theory is Hera either organised for the death of Evelyn... And Evelyn has somehow survived, has gotten out into the wastes, and has been full of such malice and rage, and possibly rescued by the nomads. And this spirit of the Lady of Ash has crossed into the body of Evelyn, because Evelyn was someone who had such determination to destroy her own family that the nomads have seen that as power and have seen that as an opportunity they can take advantage of. And mayhaps if... And this is purely going on a theory that I have that the ladies of, Lady of Ash is simply a spirit occupying a human body. Yep. That this, when the, the former Lady of Ash, maybe her body was dying and they needed to find a new host... Yeah, the spirit has travelled into Evelyn's body. I, yeah. I see it as as it, it, it identifying something that's tastier. You know what I mean? Where it's going? Oh, this this is 
another uh, this is a, a being that is driven with more anger and more hatred i'll simply what i was what the skin i was wearing and going into something else i i'm actually completely almost like possession <laughs> almost like a possession yeah it's finding something that is more of a go- like a burning beacon in the in the in the ash waste and saying that is where i need to be this is where me as a spirit needs to exist and what will obviously bring better outcomes for us as nomads. Yeah. I will say, Scrutinator Spaniel, I am very much on board with your investigatory work there. You, uh, you've done very well. You've really gone through the records and tried to work out where this is going to formulate. One thing I do want to mention, though. Uh, firstly, I'm just going to ignore Terra's Shadow because Terra's Shadow is sick. Uh, everything about Terra's Shadow is sick. An enormous, giant, murderous, cybernetic, like, grapple monster is the best. I love everything about it. The model of Terra's Shadow is, it's basically like a cyborg pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. I love Terra's Shadow. I love the idea of it. I love the beasties. I love beasties of Necromunda. I don't like it for one particular reason, though. And that is the supposition that it might have killed... Logan, our boy Logan, who, which we didn't mention when we talked about Sevos, Logan oh. is led to Hera thanks to Sevos, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So Hera owes him a lot. And we're, and we're going to get to it, folks. We've got to do this little talk about Hera and her story. It's sort of, I don't know, it feels like a background story in this book for some reason, but it's not. It's definitely one of the key elements, but because there's so much going on with the squats and the nomads. But, yeah, Terror Shadow is cool, and it is exactly, as the name implies, an absolutely terrifying beast to take on in Necromunda, especially on the roads and so forth, knowing that your little quad can be easily lifted up and dumped by, effectively, what's a battle chicken. Yeah. Oh, the battle chicken. I love that. (laughs) Um, But look at the Lady of Ash model. She is such a crazy amalgamation of different sort of bits and motifs and like if you look at her look at her boots those boots almost look van sar produced then you've got the classic nomads sort of robes and rebreathers and the the piping and that everywhere but then her shoulder pad uh on that right arm almost looks like it's been taken from like a Gene Steeler Cult mining model. It looks like it's come from like an Adeline Jackal. Then her staff is so heavily technical. It's, she's great. This is, in my mind, in all those books where we talk about people being expelled from the hives, so they have to go out and live as nomads and become nomads. And we've, we've talked about it a bunch. I genuinely believe her equipment her gear her outfit is taken from these different generations of exiles and adopted brothers and sisters but also raids against convoys and that because she's everything about her screams like techno barbarian it screams like the the barrel meets finesse you know what I mean? Totally, totally agree with you. And for me, I think I see on her hip, and it's probably probably me stretching, 
but it's almost like an Escher chem set on her left hip. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm in total agreement with you here that she's just this eclectic mess of different things that have been picked up over the centuries, over the millennia probably, that they've just embodied within this character. And how that transposes on the physical concept of what the, the Lady of Ash is, I, I guess from a, a spiritual point of view, it's okay, she can, you know, can carry that across. But how this physical nature is carried across, it's very, very interesting because it means that this, this build-up of who she is and how she is is something that's happened over time. It's not something that's simply, okay, well, now you're the Lady of Ash. You've got to put, in, put this, all this gear on you. You know what I mean? There might be yeah. a few little totems and whatever that get carried over, but the majority of is going to be things that have come across her journey within that new physical format. Yeah, for sure. And oh, the concept of her coming in and maybe expanding on that story and us learning more about her, us learning more about Hera and the nomads themselves. Oh, man. Oh, we'll, we'll learn heaps more about the Helmores as well because we'll get to get an understanding. A lot of the information we have about the Helmores is derived from Gerontius' story or what we've seen in the Aranthian succession. So we'll hopefully get a bit more depth and detail about why she called her sister. But I guess it's a good little synergy into what exactly is going on with Hera in that she... <laughs> so just, we've probably spoken in little bits and uh, starts and stops about what's happening to Hera, but the, the basic premise is that she flees Hive Primus on her very fancy yacht. Her yacht then gets shot down. She then... And it's, it's the nomads who shoot her down out of the sky, actually. She then gets attacked by Vansar. She then gets driven off by nomads, but is, is guided and directed in a certain way. And the Lady of Ash is there the whole time. Hera can actually see her force and directing her nomads to attack and drive her in a certain way. So maybe there's a, a city or a hive that she's trying to make her way towards. She's trying to make her way towards the Dust Bowl and the nomads prevent her from doing that. Well, the Lady of Ash prevents her from doing that. Eventually, they lead her to the tunnels and they basically allow her in there. And that's where she gets to meet Oren. And Oren, as, you, as we mentioned earlier, is where he makes the deals with her to ensure that she is going to be on his side at the end of all this. It is within that one of the final battles that we get to read about that Hera actually confronts with the Lady of the Ash. And we get to see that interaction where she gets close enough to speak to her and call her sister. So all of this is heavily manipulated by the Lady of Ash to get Hera to some place. Now, all of that talking I've done has regrettably set me up, well, regrettably set up Sam for his soapbox moment. Have at it, sir. Say what you've been wanting to say for three books. So, Hera takes a little bit of a beating. And due to the heroic actions of our boy Provost Marshal Logan Kane, is thrown 
through a door that immediately shuts down, saving her from the Lady of Ash. He's not dead, by the way. He's not like, dead. No. He's not dead. He, something happened to him on the other side of the door. We don't know, but we know he's not dead. Yeah, he's too no. much of a badass to die he, with that. Dead. <laughs> My boy's coming back as, like, the next cyborg assassin, but yes. he, he's killing Gulliman. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Hera is basically battered and bruised and broken, and it says, as her consciousness faded, her last sight was of a mechanical insect crawling toward her from the darkness. We find out that this mechanical insect is actually a hiver. And when I say hiver, a hive noble in a Malkadon hunting rig. And for those of you too young to remember Spira Hunters and the beautiful suits that they wore, I want you to pause the podcast here. I want you to Google Malkadon hunting rig or just Spira's. And when you find that, when you have a look, come back. Because we are introduced to the character of Tomino de Galos Vermelk Helmore, 14th trueborn son of Gerontius Helmore. Or, as I so happily declare, declare him, Timmy motherfucking Helmore, you all mocked me. You all called me insane. Oh, you can't just keep calling everyone Timmy. There's not a Timmy in Necromunda Spaniel. What's wrong with you? It's right here in black and white in the ruins of Yardlin, Tamino, Degalos, Vermelk Helmore, or Tamino? Timino? Right there. Ladies and gentlemen, scummers of all types, Timmy Helmore is here. I will take my apologies in the form of worship. I can see into the future. I looked into the future all those months ago when I first said Timmy Helmore. Was it the Scions of Gothral when I came up with that? It was? Yeah. You're welcome. All right? You're all welcome. Now... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths. Nath, take over here, or else I'm going to get us banned from <laughs> podcasting. So, as I said, I regret giving the man the, the soapbox for that moment. He needed to have it because in the uh, off-air stuff, there's been a lot of talk about how I'm going to say my big swear word and I'm going to let yep. everybody know how right I am. I... I'm going to agree with you for the pace of the podcast, but I do think oh. you're bonkers and you're pulling on a very, very thin strand, there, thin strand to, uh, to get this to happen. But... Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Amino, Timmy, no. Uh, Timmy, no. Timmy, comma, no, question mark. You need the inflection. Amino. And that's also a, a slightly a New Zealand accent. Timmy, yeah. no. Uh, Timmy, yeah. no. No, it works. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, it works. We'll, we'll say that if that's the, uh, the phrase that we're going to attach to that, it works. But from there, I regret having to say this, but Timmy, Timmy, no, pulls Hera out 
of her situation and takes her into Hive Secundus. Man, not just takes her into Hive Secundus, sees who she is and using the medical systems of his Malkadon hunting rig, jabs this long, dripping needle straight into her chest. And she awakens immediately from basically the, the, the hair's breadth away from death that she was, which is what, when she says what you said earlier, she screams, I'll kill you. You're not her. She's dead. Dead. And it turns out that stim was laced with stinger mold spores and Escher crafted hypercoagulants. And it, it literally starts putting her body back together. And she, she looks up at her brother and she sees him. And it's, it's actually a, a beautiful moment between the two of them where, where they connect as brother and sister. And he cradled her head and looked into her eyes, having purposefully removed his helmet as to not unduly distress her. This is... Like, it's, it's actually a, a quite heartwarming. And she explains to him the, the entirety of what I think we've discussed over, like, 17 hours or something now. She yeah. does it in, like, 15 words. Yeah, right. Father died, the Aranthians came back, and it all went to hell. I think that about sums it up. We should have just said that. We should have just read that. That would have been it. <laughs> it could have just Why been, did we not do that? It could have just been like 17 hours of silence after that. Yeah. Uh, this I is the Aranthian succession. Gerontius yeah. dies, the Aranthians come back, and it all goes to hell. Yeah. I think that about sums it up. <laughs> but in this... Oh, no, babe, sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll get the correction there that we, we've got uh, strato, strato planes confirmed for their size as well. That's right. That's strato, a lot of strato planes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up. Yeah. But they start talking about what's going on and Hera keeps saying that she can't give up, we can't give up. And it's, it's talking about the, the plan for them winning is it's killing the one they call a Zostium. So-called Terran Aranthian. That's uh, some yeah, completely new information that we get at um, uh, no word of a lie. I reckon we're like the the fifth last paragraph of yeah. the history. We're told he's a Terran Aranthian, and it's like, all right, good luck with that. See you in the but, next book. But the part that gets me is how Timmy knows this information. Yeah, where he's the one telling Hera. Hera even says, "How do you know these things?" Mm. And you know, everything everything she tried to do, it says the records were either sealed by father or missing. Yeah, and, but I, I love his response. Oh. There are more secrets in Secundus than you could imagine, sister. More secrets and power. The power to kill a god. Now, remember our scrutinator? Yep. Our scrutinator was talking about the same thing. The, the right place, the right weapon to kill. Aussie. So I think Timmy and Hera are onto this. Now, I, I did sort of not put the right gravitas here on when I was saying that they disappear into Secundus, but 
It's a classic Necromunda. They uh, flee into the waste, never yeah. to be seen oh. again. Helmore's last surviving trueborn heirs vanished into the shadow of Secundus. Classic Necromunda vanishing off into the Underhive, basically. Which is also crazy because there's a bunch of kids still alive. And mm. apparently we're now finding out, nope, they're all dead. Yeah. Um, so rest in peace to all the other Helmore children. Apparently Hera and Timmy are the only ones left. So um, I guess I have to recant my statement about this being the book of loose ends. There's a lot of Helmore loose ends that get tied up. Oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Um, I'm, I'm still upset about Angry Goat. Oh, poor Angry Goat. Oh, the poor little ducker. He even gets a mention right near the end of this he book. Does. Actually, he does. <laughs> she, in her, like, in her days, she screams out, no, we're going to call him Angry Goat. No, Angry Goat, not the olives. And that was sort of before she slips away into her sort of passing out before Timmy gets her. So good old Angry Goat got a mention right near the end, you know. Anyway, we'll, we'll immortalise him at some stage. Uh, but, yeah, it ties up a bunch of loose ends, but it opens so many more questions. Like, this, this effectively confirms, in my mind, we are going to Secundus. We are going to see Secundus as the new focal point, perhaps for another campaign series, with the ultimate bad guys not being... Isostium, not being Credo, not being the Prophet, but mayhaps being the Gene Stealer cult. And are we going to see the cult uprising to a point where, because we know, even just through this book, a bunch of them have gotten out. A yeah. bunch of them have gotten out in all directions. Yeah, yeah. And really hell bent on spreading that Gene Stealer. Curse, I guess, across yeah. Necromunda. Yep. Are we going to see a possible imperial intervention on this, where we see Azosium and the Aranthians and the gangs and the squats and possibly even the nomads trying to suffice a gene stealer uprising? Well, I think I think you will definitely see something trying to pacify a gene seal uprising and it has to be the imperial house as was mentioned in episode three the second ten thousand year history that the imperium basically gives the hell male hell more at the time tap on the shoulder and basically says sort this out yeah like if you don't sort out a gene seal occult infection in a hive we will come and sort it out and consequently if we sort it out it means we sort you out too yes. so I think the Aranthians need to to sort this out. But if this is the next great sort of arc, story arc of Four Necromunda, that means that my theory of the Helmors being safe as rulers of Necromunda is a little bit blown out of the water. Um, my theory was that if there is a miniature of her, then nah, she'll be all right. The Helmors will be all right. But if the story arc is going to be focused around the Gene Sealers, then that means the Aranthians are going to be in place for probably at least some sort of significant period of time, you know, and the, 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 the rules and the concepts and the ideas of Necromunda will change according to what the Aranthians are looking for. And the, what the Aranthians are looking for is purely what Aussie's looking for. So it, I think there's going to be a lot of conflict 
from the top down. But I, I, I do believe you're right. Secundus will be the next big battleground and it'll be the Gene Sealer cults. And you, we, you and I have talked at length about this outside of the podcast is that it will be the Delacroix. It'll be the Delac who are the other faction that will get some sort of focus here because mainly they are not involved almost in the Oranthian mm. succession, but they are most certainly there. And this is not, I'm not being funny when I say this, the Vansar are not involved in the Oranthian succession very much. They're not. They're but not. they're not I've... even, they're not even present. Whereas at least the Delacroix are present. You know, they are, they're, they're making their actions. They're doing things exactly as they would in the shadows. So I would say they would probably be in play in some way, shape or form. And, you know, they, they, they probably are the best to go find those secrets out of uh, Secundus. And I would love if the Delacroix are there to, to go into Mortis, you know, have them persecute yeah. their campaign of finding those secrets about the Oranthians. Or maybe it's Credo goes in with her army and, and takes all those secrets before the Delacroix can get there. So, yeah, it'll be... I, I see a, a future for Necromunda of, a, of some brilliant storytelling going on with it. But let's have a look at some of the unanswered questions. Let's go. Where is, where is Cal Jericho with Ronti's mm -hmm. corpse? Uh, yep. Then you have, Rock where Rock. is the murder cyborg? Sorry. Stasis. Stasis yep. coffin, casket. Yep. Uh, where is the murder cyborg? Yep. Uh, where are the missing Medina daughters? Yep. Um, who is dumber, House Goliath, or an actual pile of rocks? <laughs> um, where, what's happened to the prophet? The prophet doesn't literally get no yeah. mention in this last book. Uh, I think Credo gets a line where, where Credo was, you know, a, 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 such a focal point in the first and second books. She doesn't really get a mention. What's happened to her? Where, what was her background? What was her history? You know, we need, what was her, what made Adina want to just side with her straight away and then ask her the question of, who are you? You know, there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. What's happened to the untold millions that left their hives to go off and do something uh, in Temenos? You know, what, what's happened to those? What's happened yep. to the industry of Necromunda that has been decimated by the, the, the prophet and by the pilgrimage? There, there's so much going on. What's happened to the enforcer cadres that they surely must be in a weakened state? They got belted from end to end, you know, and whatever's left of them is obviously with the Oranthians. So there must be some way that they're rebuilding their ranks. And it can't just be like, round them up. We're just going to throw more back in there. And that's what I mentioned earlier in the episode. What happens to House Escher? What happens to House Goliath? You know, for me, I feel like we are at the beginning of some really fantastic story arcs. And I just, I just really hope they are expanded upon and we, we do get to see some. I don't really care if there's a definitive outcome. I just want to see the story progressed beyond what our questions pose right now. Okay. Okay. If you can have one question answered, just one, that's a definitive answer, they break it down for you, and they give you an answer in black and white right there. What is it? Right. Really easy one for me. 
what is Credo's army and how did it get on Necromunda? Oh, that's a big mm. one. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. You don't hide I've, an army on a planet, especially yeah. an imperial planet. I've already answered that one for you, so you really wasted that, uh, what you, that one there. They're buried in the dirt, your, ne- oh. your Necron theory. Carried it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, I just, you know. No, anyway. I like that. I really like that. I would love to know an answer of, yeah, how this army got there, how they're equipped with what they're equipped with. Yeah, how they are. Yep. Yeah, how their numbers have gotten so big so quick. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so, and so I pose the same question to you. What is your loose end you want to see tied off completely? You know, no more questions. Credo. Just Credo. Who is she? Yeah, right. Who is she? How did she know? How did she know that that capsule was inside the Escher throne? Like, you know, how did how does she have connections to the the first mother of Escher and to the point of where she's looking at Adina and going, you know, you look pretty much you're very similar to her, except the nose, you know? Like she's <laughs> she can she can point out those differences. Like I would love to know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. I, I agree with you. That's sort of like yeah, if if I had to go a second or third option, that would be understanding who and what Credo is about. But as mentioned multiple times, this book does leave a lot of questions, which I don't think is a is a terrible thing. I think it's a way that allows us as a playing group and as a community to go forth and expand on that ourselves, yeah. as our podcast likes to do anyway. You're like, now that's the new canon. That's the new canon. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's not a terrible thing. Uh, I would like some some loose ends tied off. I, I, obviously, we want to see what happens with Hera. We want to see what happens with House Helmore. There is a fair bit going on that we yeah we need those definitive answers. But I'm not going to ramble on about it anymore. Um, I think we're pretty much done with mm. the Oranthian succession at this stage. Oh. We've covered off everything. It's been now. I've said other episodes of marathons. This experience of the three books has been phenomenal so much knowledge so much learning but uh most definitely uh taking the best out of us in terms of our podcasting ability all future episodes are going to be no longer than 26 minutes that's it (laughs) i'm giving you i will do house goliath in 11 minutes and that includes eight minutes of me ranting about the fact that it doesn't make sense that they have moving chainsaw mohawks. It would be cutting into their brain unless they've purposely like put a groove in their brain. They could have put a groove in their brain. Boom. That whole episode just then done. Oh, perfect. See, this it is makes, doubles it as a Goliath episode. Better. Yeah. It makes them dance better <laughs> with that groove in the brain because they're groovy. You're hurting the podcast, not me. Yeah. You're- <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right, I think we're actually okay. going a bit manic here. We are actually uh, going a bit manic. Let's okay, of these three up. books, yeah. Right before that, of these three books, I'm interested to know which has been your favourite book. Oh, clear winner is Vaults of Temnos. It is true 40k to me. It yeah, is, it is religious it, insanity. A religious insanity. The vast movements of just the regular people. The the admission of Lady Hera that the secret of Necromunda is revealed, that it is 
not the nobles or the or the the higher ups that have the power. It is the people, and yeah, I I love that book. I loved the way it explored what a hive world would look like under a religious zeal. And as I said in the previous episode, how that would probably how a chaos cult would manifest in in a similar sort of function as well. So, what about okay. your uh, what about your favorite book? Uh, I hate to say it, Ruins of, Te- uh, the Ruins of, Temen- of Yardlin. Ruins of Temenos. The Ruins <laughs> of Yardlin. Um, I, I love the, the sort of last drastic moments of leading into possibly the fall of a society. I love the idea of the, the nomad hordes dragging society down. And, yeah, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Um, that being said, I also think I like it because I just love reading about dwarves. I, I just <laughs> think they're neat. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I will admit that the, the exploration of the squat, squats and the nomads and just the ideas that are formulated, actually seeing a sort of uh, a result with the Aranthian succession is really cool to see in this book, but um, it doesn't offer quite the same flavour that I like as uh, Vaults of Temenos. But look, I will say all three books are a fantastic read. If you've listened to our take on them, thank you very much. But I would recommend getting them and having a read. It is, 100. Yeah. yeah. Get, get we, your own ideas happening about it. Get your own, your own input and your own take on it because it's, it's just, I don't know, some of the writing is just so good that, it just allows you to immerse yourself in a law and a universe that we all love so much. But there's also so much that only so much we can read for you. Like just every time I've read these books before recording, I'm relearning something new and something different or looking at it and going, oh man, my perception on that has been totally left of center from where it really is. Yeah, um, true. And yeah. even just talking to you about it, like you, when we've come together and we started to discuss it and you've said something and I've gone, ah, oh, I didn't see it in that light. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, yeah look, def- definitely worth a read. As I said, Sam said, we can't read it for you, but uh, get out there, grab those books, have a read of them. And there's so much gaming content in these books as well in oh, the terms yeah. of how you yeah. run campaigns. We haven't even touched on. In fact, <laughs> we're going to do another episode of just us talking about the gaming. No, we're not. No, um, we're not. Dead. We're that not. would be another twelve hours. Just that episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, gals, scummers, get out there, get these books because just for the law, I, I, every now and then I'll just open one of the Necromunda books up and just be reading just stuff I've already read, and yeah. It's gang idea. Oh, man, we haven't even talked about gang ideas. I will say one last thing before we move to gang idea is that um, it's something that we do horribly on this podcast. We always talk about the artwork. Like You, you guys can't oh. see it, but we talk about it. But these books are great for that. Some of the artwork mm. is. This yeah. book especially. Yeah, yeah. For, for terrain stuff? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. But let's not do it because we are a audio-based medium, not a visual. So let's uh... just look at this picture right here, though, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can you see how good is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. I love it, Sam. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys should see it. Um, but yeah. anyway, yeah. Gang, ideas. gang idea, gang ideas. Okay, All right. 
Now, do you want to do you want to do one for just this book or or a gang for the entirety of these three books? I have two gang ideas, and I think for the entirety of the books, I think that is the the best way to do it. Do it. No, you tell me yours first, sir. Give me one because okay. I want to talk for ages. Okay. Um, if we are going to look at the entire thing, I have an idea for a, oh, how would I put it? Um, so it's an Ashwaste Nomad gang, and I would base it around the, the ruins of a former hive where I wouldn't really have them done as your regular sort of raiding nomads they'd be very techno heavy so they would be wearing like um they, because they'd be fighting primarily within hives as opposed to out in the wastes uh, a lot of their armor i would make up of um sort of like pieces of metal that have been battered into shape almost like um basically the techno barbarian archetype where yeah, okay. they'd, they'd still be robed, but over that, they'd be having this weird patchwork armour of, you know, like, Goliath chess pieces, and then draped over that would be, like, rusting chain mail, and uh, they'd, all their weapons would be clearly captured from other gangers and that, and all their close combat weapons would be, like, crudely battered and sharpened bits of rebar or, like, axes made out of... Uh, like the like someone's femur with uh, like cool. like sharpened cogs bolted onto it. Yes. Um, then run them almost as uh, a group of nomads who, as the hive has expanded, they've moved into the hive and have tried to claim this rec- reclamation zone and yeah. have them worship the metal recycling facilities of the hive as a living personification of their god, which consumes the the detritus and rubbish of prior generations, and they use that to, to craft new weaponry to defend against these interlopers. Um, Are like, you talking about militant recyclers? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like... They've, they've been in this, because this part of the hive has been there for so many generations that they don't understand that they've moved into this part. And they, they simply see that by, with their shamans, you mm. know, speaking to the machines in certain ways, and when they, when, when they uh, throw these materials into this, like this moor that they would worship, it grinds the metal together and out comes these shards that they then use to turn into knives and spearheads. I love that. Yeah. I love it. I love oh. it. They're, they're, they're adapting a piece of technology, not for the physical advantage or the militaristic advantage of it, but for the spiritual nature of what they envisage it like. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. saying, this is this is something that portrays our spirit in in a way that we understand, and so you know, 
it, it, there wouldn't even be like a, a big red button for them to hit to activate them all. They just throw stuff in. Yeah. So they couldn't even throw in. Yeah, as you say, Vic, there's there's weapons made with femurs and stuff, so they throw bodies in there as well. Yeah. And it crunches them out and spits them out, and they, they try and work out what they can make from the viscera and, and the exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. they're like, they're looking at it all like, oh, mm. we know we are, we make offerings to the more because that's yeah. what they would worship, worship the spirit of the more. Yes. And they throw it all in there. And it destroys the interlopers. It just yeah. crushes them to nothing. Yeah, exactly. And then they're, when they're going out and capturing these prisoners, they take them back and they, they, they strip them of whatever they need. Mm. And they throw the, the prisoner in. And they're just yes. like, yep, okay, so we've offered an offering first. And mm. then they throw the weapons and stuff in. And if the Moor decides we can use these, they'll come out mm. undestroyed. But yeah. they don't realise that the, the machine is working and it's like, oh, why do I have biological components in me? Cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. And it's just pushing everything that's out. So, so cool. that yeah. last gun they've thrown in, that's now getting spit out because the, the machine's just trying to get rid of the biological matter that's not supposed to be there. They're like, yep, the more has told us we can use this weapon. We that, I love this. That, that is yeah. Friggin' awesome. But that's, I, they'd have that captured idea. weapons and yeah. sort of like, yeah. But oh, I'm just torn on how I'd, I'd still have them on. Helamites and that. But and I can imagine armor plate and yes. into them. Yes. Yes. Helamites was like chain mail going down them. Oh, and... my God. That would look so cool. Yeah. That would look brilliant. Even Helamites with like, I know it might sound a bit silly, but almost like mechanical peg legs. Yes. You know what I mean? Where it's been yes. destroyed and they go, well, the Moor has given us this and we can see how this looks like a Helamite leg. So we're going to try and attach it to our to our creature. And they could even have, oh, do you know what you could even have? If the machine is trying to cleanse itself and they throw another body in and the body comes through and it's like a tech who's managed to survive the Moor and they go, well, you're usable now. Do you know what I mean? You're not just you're not just there to be destroyed. Yeah. So then, oh my God. So they're then saying, nope. Because in my mind, this particular clan would. I personally believe the nomads are humans. I believe they are most likely the original inhabitants of Araneus Prime, yeah. and the ones that they were they've joined with the ones that have been expelled from the hives. So that works really well for my in my theory, because they would then effectively brainwash these prisoners that, you know, no, the more has chosen you, the more, the more is stated, you are to be saved. You're now one of us. And yeah. through, be it, um, you know, dosing them up with those mushrooms that people were taking earlier to talk to the planet or, yeah. you know, just even maybe the, the, the powers of uh, one of their shamans or a psyker or a piece of technology they have where they can adapt the individual's mind to then join the tribe. So yeah. the tribe grows with this, this individual, the more has chosen to survive. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, that would be so cool. And it would just be a great way to throw different elements into a nomad gang that is saying it's them listening to the planet and saying, yeah. this is what you want from that. So, and the idea of them more, it would be overgrown and still functioning. 
So, you know, that it would be a destroyed part of a hive or something and it's overgrown with, you know, whatever grows out in, out in this particular area. So it almost looks organic as a mall. Yeah. yeah. That's freaking sick. I love that. Not to mention possibly generations of them throwing people in, like yeah. weird fungus and that growing on the side oh, of it or, yes. you know, these, these clots of flesh and bone yeah. with yeah. different insects and that that have crawled in there and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're living in this almost little environment inside. So yeah. just randomly, like, you know, something it has goes... Ecosystem. Yeah. Something goes pop and all these bugs come out and the shamans are like, oh, this is a sign. Yeah. This yeah. is a sign. We must, we must converge upon here. And it turns out that this happens to be a convoy there. The moor has provided for us. Yes. Like, oh. I love this idea. This is like probably one of your best. How am I going to make them more? Damn it. <laughs> I'm trying to build chaos. Because <laughs> you know what I love about this? It takes the concept of what a nomad gang is and it completely disrupts that without destroying the concept of what the nomads are. You know, so yeah. you can, you can, you're bending the rules, you're bending the idea of them without completely breaking it and saying, oh yeah, they've, they've discovered freaking carapace armor all over the place. And that's why my guys all wear carapace armor. You know, you, you're actually, you're taking this idea and you're formulating something that works with the nomads, but bends it just enough that it becomes you know, integrated into what you would see within a, a normal gang. No, I like one that. of your best. One of your best. I love that. That is so freaking cool. All right. Well, beat that, loser. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks. No, good one. Um, right. I don't, I've got nothing then. I don't want to say. <laughs> no, do it. Do it. I okay. believe in you. Yeah, so my idea actually comes from a range of miniatures that I saw recently. It was the Warhammer Underworlds Death Gorge Dagox Stablads. Now, these are freaking awesome. Oh. Oryx, I did. You'd yeah. Them. And I, as soon as I saw these, uh, I thought these have to be a Necromunda miniature. And as, as the old adage goes, everything's a Necromunda miniature. So... The idea is that you remove any particularly orcish-looking icons, mainly the shields and the heads, and you replace them with corridor components, and basically they become a corridor gang. Now, if you look at those miniatures, you go, ah, oh, they look a little bit out of shape for humans, so their arms are just a bit too long, the, the torsos are a little bit too long. But now this is where the law kicks in for the gang. This is an idea that these are followers of the Prophet, who have stayed out in the ash wastes just that little bit too long. And they're like the fourth or, maybe, no, not the fourth, maybe like the second or third generation that has been out there. And from that, they've now become distended and a little bit warped and corrupted, but they're in total belief in the prophet. Now, I envisage this gang being sometime after the pilgrimage and what has happened okay. to them. Yeah, what has happened to them, they've been corrupted and mutated slightly by the ash wastes and the uh, the radiation out there. So you could use all these miniatures, and there's just some really cool elements within there. You have a guy blowing his huge horn, and I could see them using that as a way to let everybody else know that the nomads are on the way or something along those lines. But they, they've basically formed their own pilgrimage within the ash waste and, and as i've said they're totally lost 
So they're just struggling to, to fight on. Their equipment is made up of just rag, tag, whatever they can get. They, they're scavengers as much as they are pilgrimages. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. They, they, I reckon they'd look like imagine hooded heads on those miniatures and so forth. But from there, that you could have, you know, heavily mutated members of the gang. So the Jubes would be children who really look like they're in dire need of some hive air and not just the waste air. Yeah. Um, you'd use a lot of rebreathers and so forth on them, really make them look like they're a struggling caravan out in the waste and they, they just don't know where to go. So anything overly technical would, would just be too much of a stretch. And I could just see them, yeah, scavenging, doing whatever they can to survive, but they are heavily, heavily mutated. I think it was in the Blood Angels lore on the, the, their home planet of Baal. There was so much radiation on there that there was mutated... The cannibal mutants. The cannibal mutants. That's what yeah. a little bit of an idea of this, that there are mutated gang members and they just, they just accept it for what they are because they still hold all the iconography of imperial rule and imperial uh, doctrine. So they're, they're doing everything that would, would highlight them as imperials, as, uh, as practices of the, the prophet and his methodologies, but they've just succumbed because they're only human. They've succumbed to the ash wastes. Yeah, I love that. And they're... That that um, that particular creed of their religion has kept them out there all that time, where they've been unable to rejoin society. Where maybe they're looking at it like, "Oh, these non-believers won't accept us," so we sort of keep diverting away from major settlements and hives and. Yeah, yeah, that's I like that. sick. I like that well. So rather than just being lost, they're actively avoiding these major settlements because they're saying, well, they, they don't see the light the way that we see the light, and that's why they attack us. Whereas in the reality is they look at it and see it as mutants coming out of the ash wastes. Yeah. Like, what are these weird yeah. They don't understand the light, so we must always go searching for the light or bring the light to those small communities that can't really stand a chance against one of our gang raids. Oh, that's awesome. However, I did say that I've got two ideas. Second idea okay. is uh, a group of Cadians on Necromunda. Now, these Cadians... All right, buddy, strap us in. <laughs> these Cadians. Now, this one is not derived... This, this idea didn't necessarily start with the, the miniature. This started with the concept and the idea of the law. These Cadians are stuck on Necromunda and they can't get back to Cadia for two reasons. One, there's no ship that'll take them there and there's no planet left to go back to. Anyway. <laughs> I was going to say. Um... So within, say, the you know all the bureaucracy and red tape of something like the Imperium, there's no way they could requisition or jump onto a ship that's going to that sector of space to reconnect with their unit. So they're waiting for a ship that will never come. Consequently, they become embroiled within this religious fanaticism that's going on on Necromunda. So they begin to take on the, the teachings of the prophet, not so much that that is the new way for them, but it is a better way because 
the teachings of the ecclesiarchy that they had followed previously had seen their planet destroyed, had seen yeah. them countless light years or, you know, whatever many kilometres away, millions of kilometres away to a different planet to not be there when their home world was destroyed. They, they, they lose touch and they lose faith with the ecclesiarchy and the, the, the words of the prophet begin to, to ring true for them. So as they progress, they still see themselves as a military unit, but they see that they're no longer needed on Necromunda as a guidance for, you know, new regiments and so forth, because it is absolute disarray, absolute chaos. Even the, the, the regiments on Necromunda would be going off kilter. So these Cadians, not necessarily following the pilgrimage, but begin to follow the idea that the Aranthians need to be the one in place, because that is what the prophet is asking for. So yeah, buddy. they work themselves in a way that they begin to kill any detractors, anybody who's pushing against you know, the idea that the prophet is wrong or the Aranthians are wrong. And they adorn themselves with all manner of seven-pointed stars and or still cover themselves in all this imperial iconography as well. And they take on a Minotaurum priest or something along those lines, but they still have a standard bearer in the gang. They still have the captain or the major or whoever leading them. And I would see no Jews in this gang. They didn't bring any white shields with them. These are advisors to a Necromundan unit. So you don't bring your juniors along. You bring along vets. So yeah. you almost feel them as Venators, I would say, but every member gets flak armor. Every member gets a last gun you know, other than obviously the command squads and so forth. So in this, they still function very much as an Imperial Guard squad, but within the confines of what they would look like within Necromunda. But it's all about ensuring that the prophet is the new truth that must be heard, and they take that truth with them. And so you could see it like, I, I don't know if you can remember the model where it's a commissar holding up a book and he's reading from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be like the company, that would be the company commander or major, whoever's going to be your gang leader and reading yeah. from the book, screaming it out like, you know, the, the Cadia fell because you believed the false teachings of an ecclesiarchy that has let you down. The prophet's grown word, corrupt. corrupt. Yeah. There's a snake within our midst. The word of the prophet and his teachings and his understanding of the imperial creed is the truth. And anybody who doesn't believe that or anybody who even chooses not to listen, you are an enemy. And it's almost their way of venting their frustration of not being on Cadia when it fell. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it that, you know, by by allowing these deviations from the true word of the emperor, we lost our planet. By yeah. allowing ourselves to be turned away from our true mission of persecuting his enemies, we lost our planet. And now this prophet has come in and is saying that by simply following them, we could regain it all. We could get everything back, including our honour and a new home. So we mm. must follow the prophet. We must daub ourselves in his sigils and his emblems because that's the only true way to praise the emperor. It is religious insanity. It is perfectly yeah. you. I love it. <laughs> exactly. And the other concept is it is soldiers looking for a fight. 
They, they yep. you know, they have no fight and they want to be part of this war. So they go find their fight and they find it on Necromunda in a place where there's so many willing to have a fight. Oh, man. That's my gang of ideas. That's sick. <laughs> I love both of them. I'm not going to lie. I love the Cadian one more because that's just, that's just like religious insanity and you could turn that into a whole new uh 40k army and yeah. i'm yeah. down with that because my chaos gang has swiftly become a chaos gang and a kill team and a 40k army <laughs> so uh we could do opposing imperial guard armies to fight That's each cool. other look uh, to be honest with you i i you personally think i, I kind of do because i think one of these two gang ideas is going to make my gang for this year that I will get built and ready for whatever tournament we come up to against. Oh, you know, mate, the, honestly, the amount of shit me and Punk Taku were talking to each other, every time he puts up one of his new cultist minis, I'm just like, nah, man, your god's lame. <laughs> but then I'm just sitting there going, oh, man, i got to build more. i got to build more. And then yeah. chat, chatting to Sean from Once Upon a Kill team, I'm just like, I gotta build more kill team, and now I'm just like, well, I may as well just build an army because that just gives me an excuse to buy a bunch of dawns. Um, yeah, true, true. Because to... they're awesome. I need no excuse to play more Imperial Guard, but I don't know. Um, Look, in terms of the modeling opportunities, the Quarter Gang, the Mutated Quarter Gang, I think is awesome. Uh, but in oh, terms that, of that's, the war... that's model, that is model dreams. Yeah. Like. But in terms of the, the law, I, I will admit I do like the other Cadian one a little bit more. So I, I am torn. I will make a decision shortly and hopefully start punching out some miniatures. Well, un unless uh, Games Workshop release a uh, what is it, the Techmite box, my squats are going to be sitting here staring at me for quite a while. <laughs> but that being said, if we see some tasty new Gene Stealer miniatures. Oh, I know could convert them into my chaos gang so <laughs> yeah your boy is trapped in i'm praising the dark gods death to the false emperor it's 2024 year of the unholy four if you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i get mm. you i get you I, i'm just waiting for my red balloon moment where gw releases something else and i'm like i did say one of these two gangs was going to be my gang for the year but no, no, it's no. now something totally uh, different. Yeah, now something completely different. Yeah. Oh, maybe it'd be Stratoplanes. <laughs> if you're listening, Mr. Games Workshop, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> well, this has been a killer. I think we're sitting at like six hours so far tonight. I had purpose. People often ask us, like, how do you not know? Like, you always say it's been a long night, but you don't actually know how long you've been recording. Um, we lose a little bit of time, obviously, through the editing process and that, but I also don't have clocks in um, sort of in the sort of my man cave where I record um, purely for this, because if I look at it and I'm sort of like, I look at my, I've just seen the clock on my phone. I yep. realize what time it is and how right. small amount of sleep I'm going to get before I have to get up for work in the morning. Yep. Um, but yeah, so we, when we record, we try not to, pay attention to the time because we we rant for 40 minutes about things like um i don't know squeak hoppers squeak hoppers <laughs> and uh the, our favorite goblins in a necromunda podcast yeah. but yeah this is uh, this has come to about i believe about six hours yeah, this right. episode. Wow. 
So we should wrap this bad boy up. We will wrap it up. I'll just say one last thing. I really hope everybody has enjoyed uh, this series on the Aranthian succession. Uh, we do get a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback. Thank you all very much for that. And, um, yeah, I really hope you've enjoyed it and you get heaps out of it. And if you haven't enjoyed it, um, respect for listening to the whole lot. Um, I'm just assuming if, if you're still listening to this and you haven't enjoyed it, respect, man. That is, I, that is some level of determination yeah. I'll never get to. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But think we will, as is the habit, close this bad boy off. Um with a quote and for something a little different i'm reading a quote from the front page of the ruins of yardland heed the scavenger's shadow who will break the hives asunder born of ash and spirit she will feast upon necromunda and that was our latest episode of the underhive law keepers podcast I am Spamiel, and on behalf of the Lawkeeper team, thank you for listening. Please follow us on our social media pages available in the show notes, and don't forget to follow and review us on your preferred podcast platform. As always, if you have questions, complaints, corrections, or if an ancient and malevolent ancestor spirit drives you to destroy your oppressors, please reach out to us at underhivelawkeepers at gmail.com. Thanks.